It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour with The Mixed Martial Arts Hour back in your life on this Monday, December 5th, 2016. Hello again, everyone. I'm Ariel Hawani back inside our New York City studio. Another week, another stacked episode of the show. Nine deep this week, a who's who, an all-star cast. This has become a tradition, as you all know. I'm very excited about this week's lineup after a very busy week once again in the world of mixed martial arts. I mean, consider the things that have happened in this great sport since the last time we spoke. Um, Well, on Wednesday, the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association was launched, spearheaded by the likes of George St. Pierre, Cain Velasquez, Tim Kennedy, TJ Dillashaw, Donald Cerrone, and oh, by the way, uh, it also highlighted the resurfacing of one Bjorn Rebney, the former Bellator CEO and founder, the man who left Bellator in June of 2014 somewhat unceremoniously without any sort of heads up to the media. Just uh, in the middle of the night on June 18th, word got out that Bellator was replacing Bjorn Rebney with Scott Coker, and we have not heard from Bjorn Rebney since. That all changes today. In his very first interview since leaving Bellator, in his very first interview since launching or helping to launch the MMA AA, Bjorn Rebney joins us on today's show. That's one of the things that happened. Uh, Conor McGregor, he was issued a boxing license in the great state of California. He also broke his silence on being stripped of the featherweight title and if you listened to this show last week you know that it was not his decision and that this was not really uh not really well thought out by the ufc because look what he's saying and look what he's doing he's walking around with those two belts he's saying i'm still the champion uh this is going to turn into an even bigger headache count on that ufc letting go of more employees most famous Matt Hughes and Chuck Liddell, who we were told time and again, will always have a home in the UFC. They are no longer with the company around 10 to 15 or so employees let go. And what I was told was the last of at least for this year, the string of layoffs from the new ownership group WME IMG. Uh, the Korean Zombie is back. He is fighting Dennis Bermudez in February Super Bowl weekend. And Bellator had two shows this past weekend. They were okay. Nothing huge coming out of him. But the big news as far as fighting is concerned, Demetrius Johnson successfully defends his flyweight title for the ninth straight time. He is now one away from tying Anderson Silva for that elusive record in our great sport, something that he has wanted for a while, something that he has talked about for a while, Uh, a hard-fought, entertaining battle, defeating Tim Elliott, who won Tough 24, a great card with a lot of interesting things that happened on it Saturday night in Las Vegas at the Palm, so we have that to talk about as well. And the fun never stops this weekend because the UFC has two cards, one in Albany, New York, home of the great Crossgates Mall. That's headlined by uh, Derek Lewis, and then one, of course, in Toronto, headlined by the prestigious interim featherweight title fight. Um, Bellator also has an event this weekend as well. There's a big kickboxing match. So much going on. Let's run down the lineup, and then we'll get to our first guest of the day because uh, I can't wait to talk to this man. Uh, 410, we're going to be joined by TJ Dillashaw. He was, as I said, involved in that MMAAAA announcement on Wednesday. He has a big fight 
on December 30th, 350. We'll talk to Henry Cejudo. Lost a very close one to Joseph Benavidez on Saturday. Looking forward to talking to the Olympian. Uh, 330, speaking of Olympians, Dan Henderson will stop by. He competes against John Jones in Chell Sonnen's Submission Underground 2 event on Sunday in Oregon. And that's the UFC 151 main event that we never got. Ryan Hall will stop by at 305. Somewhat controversial win over Gray Maynard. Dominant, but uh, some people criticized him for it. So we'll talk to him about that. Alistair Overeem, in what I believe is his first interview since losing to Stipe Miocic, will stop by at 245. He has some news to share, which I think is very interesting. Conor McGregor's BJJ training partner, Dylan Dennis, will stop by at 225. Bjorn Rebney is coming on at 145 to give us his first interview since leaving Bellator two and a half years ago. And at 125, we'll talk to Dominic Cruz, who of course faces Cody Garbrandt on December 30th. But first, let us go to the phone lines and welcome in my good pal, friend of the program, the man who successfully defended his flyweight title on Saturday for the ninth straight time, one away from tying history. Mighty Mouse is on the line. Demetrius Johnson. DJ, how are you? I'm good, Errol. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for the time and congratulations on the win. Is it fair to say that that fight was a little tougher than you thought it would be? No, man. You know, like I said, each time I go into all my fights, you know, everybody's like, oh, man, what's the prediction? What's the prediction? I say, I give myself a long night. You know, I'm not, you know, naive or I don't put myself high on the pedestal. I know every fight's going to be tough. I know, you know, watching Tim Elliott, he was in the UFC before. He fought the best of the best. And, you know, he didn't, you know, last night I did and I was on the stream. Tim Elliott was on a seven-fight win streak, you know, coming into that fight. So, you know, I got number love for Tim Elliott. He's an amazing fighter, and uh, it was going to be tough. Okay, so what's going through your mind in between the first and second round? Because, uh, you know, clearly, according to most sane people, that, that first round went to him, and I think it was the only round that went to him. But he gets you in the, the two chokes, the Dars choke, a guillotine for a second. Uh, it seemed like he rocked you at one point. What are you saying to yourself? Because this is somewhat uncharted territory. You're not usually in this spot losing the first round. What, what, are you, what, are you, what are you thinking, and what is your corner saying to you between the first and second? No, I've, I've lost, you know, I, I've been in that position before, you know, when I fought Dotson the first time, I got it's dropped. It's been a while, 2013. It, 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 it's been a while, but you, you never forget what that those feelings feel like. You never forget, because once you forget about those feelings, then you almost get complacent, like, oh, uh, you know, when you, you know, people, Dominic Cruz said it before, when you fight people, you take something away from that fight. So all those fights have been in the past, you know, when I fought John Moraga, get blasted in the nose, and she started pouring blood been there before I, I tasted blood so therefore tight you know a chance to even fucking tap like i'm already going out so you know i was in 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 those chokes you know i just worked you know hand fight worked my way out and that's what they get out I'm like all right you know got back to the corner matt goes all right you know we've been here before he, he he's you know long playing his game you know you got a hand fight don't get your head stuck in there and just make sure you pass guard like you are and try to isolate that arm and go for the submission. I was like, all right, sounds good. <laughs> uh, so calm, cool, and collected. There was one point in that first round, I couldn't tell if he actually rocked you and somewhat dropped you or if you were just going for the takedown. Do you know what sequence I'm talking about? <clears throat> yep, absolutely. I was going for the takedown. Because I got rocked out. That head kick would have landed. That, uh, that soccer kick would have landed. So I wasn't rocked. I was trying to go for the takedown, and he just threw a punch when I was going down. Kind of, you know, just... It looked like I got rocked, but I wasn't on, you know, when I got rocked the first time by Dotson, I was rocked. That was when, yeah. when Dotson hit me. I was like, oh, shit. I had no idea where Dotson's coming from. I was like, oh, he's on my right-hand side. That fucking hurt. <laughs> um, uh, in, in the midst of the Dars choke, at any point, was it dicey? No, no, no. no. I, I gave Herb Dean the yep. thumbs up. I said, I gave 
you know, jerk me. I was like, hey, dog, I'm good. I'm good. So it was tight, you know. I was just sitting the where I was, you know, spreading my, my, my traps and keeping, you know, my arteries open because, you know, a dark choke is, is usually a blood choke, you know. At one point in time, when we had the guillotine choke, it wasn't a blood choke, it was more of a... So once I was able to get a little air to my lungs, and I was like, anyway, I was good, then when he switched to the dark, I was like, okay, my left artery is good. My right artery started closed, but I'm still good. Pretty amazing. I mean, he, he looked very good in that first round, but also towards the end, he, he put his hands on his knees. It looked like he was very tired um, pretty pretty quickly into the fight. Did you notice, you know, into the second round, third round that he was he was gassed? Chokes. I mean, he... Hey, DJ, can, chokes I, chokes can, I, he, he, can he, I interrupt? He's going for it. You're kind of going in and out. You're kind of going in and out, um, so we we missed the beginning of that in some of your answer before. So can you can you can you stay in one spot for us? I want to hear what you have to say. I'm sorry, I'm just moving all out of the damn house. Okay, yes, um, yeah, I think he went put everything in those chokes. So okay. with that being said, when he put his, when he put his hands on his knees, it was all right. You know, we still got four more rounds on me. <laughs> so I mean that that's kind of a big it's kind of a big thing to show you, right? Like, like to, to, to expose that to you in your mind, that has to give you a lot of confidence when you see him doing that in the first round. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, you know, I don't look at, I don't like, oh man, he's already tired of me. I'm going to jump on him. I don't look at it like that. It's just, you know, he, he, he could have been playing pop. Oh, sure. Come get me up. I'll come get you when it's time. And so I, that didn't play into my mind at all. Okay. Um, did you feel like he was bigger than your typical flyweight? He talked afterwards about almost quitting in the sauna and he wants to go up to bantamweight. Did he feel bigger than your, your, your typical opponent? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the lengthwise and how, how he moved. Being on top, not as much because he was more heavy going for the guillotine. But as far as lengthwise, I mean, trying to, uh, I told Matt after the fight, I was like, okay, I need to break somebody's arm with a straight arm lock. And he goes, why? And I was like, because I don't know, you know, I've arm so many people, I know where the breaking point is. Mm. Uh, but when I had him in a straight arm lock, I was like, dude, like usually people are tapping the gym to this, maybe because they don't get their arm broke or whatever. But, you know, he, he's definitely bigger than average flyweight. I thought your wife, Destiny, had the best line to sell Tough 24 and also to sell this particular fight. It was in one of the pre-fight packages that aired during the broadcast. So you probably weren't watching. I don't know if you've heard her say this before, but she said that there's, you know, th- there's so much riding on this particular fight for you because this whole show, Tough 24, was based around you and your dominance and how you're the, you know, the king at the top of the castle and these guys are trying to take you down. And if you don't beat the winner of this show, then it was all kind of for naught. Did you feel that way as well? Did you feel like there was a little more pressure going into this fight not because of who you were fighting but because of what this whole thing represented um I, not for me as much i think my wife you know destiny because she said you know every single wednesday she was reminded that you know i'm fighting yeah you know goes, oh, i watched her husband's show and you know people were reminded her over and over oh we're losing you again dj I'm sorry. Uh, we don't want to believe in who we are. So it was a little more stress on her because every point that she got the reminder that, oh, Demetri Johnson is this person. We knew who we were going to fight, but you just get that, that friendly reminder, I guess you can say. Did you feel like Tim was the best guy on the show? Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, Tim, he has a lot of heart. Um, he has a lot of experience. 
Um, you know, I picked him and Demonster Pace to win the show. Uh, but obviously, there were some great fighters out of the show. You know, Eric Shelton, he got a contract. Max Chanel, uh, Pantoja. So there's a lot of guys. Brandon Monero, he's in the UFC now. I had Tim and um, Demonster Page winning it. And, and, and do you feel like it, it kind of it was all worth it because like on, on, on the outside looking in, you say, okay, the one guy who was most recently in the UFC wins the show. So what did it tell us? The guy who used to be in the UFC is better than most of these guys who were not in the UFC. Like, did you feel like the whole thing was worth it? Was it good? Like, did you enjoy being a part of that? Yeah, I enjoyed being part of it. And and it's in the day, man, who who knows? I mean, Tim Elliott, who knows where he sits in a top 10 in a rank, in the top 10 division now, you know, Brandon Murray, I think he's ranked 15 now. Who knows? So what if, you know, Tim Elliott and Brandon Murray fight? Who knows yeah. what Tim Elliott and Henry Cejudo would do? So I try not to look at the rankings because rankings mean absolutely nothing unless you're the champion because anybody can lose any fight. The only one you know who's number one is the guy who's holding the gold. That's me. By the way, at one point in the fight, did you, did you kind of like squeeze his nose? Yes, I did. <laughs> Why are you doing that? Is it just to stop him from breathing? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just disrupt his breathing. I mean, like I said, man, we're we're having a good time in there. Like I knew each time I, I would get my, you know, he has this type of smile, grit look to him. Like yeah. when I would grab the choke, and he'll like start smiling. I'm like, are you smiling because you're about to go to sleep? Are you smiling because you know I'm going to get it? Are you smiling because you're just giving it to me? I'm quite unsure what's going on here. So <laughs> I just grab it and grab his nose and. I don't know, you know, just they're fighting, man, having a good time. There was one picture, I, I, I'm not sure who took it, so I apologize to the photographer, but there's one uh, sequence in the fight where I think you, you have his back and both of you are actually smiling. It looked like you were having both a great time out there. Yeah, you know, because we're both great athletes, you know. A lot of people don't give Tim Elliott credit because, you know, he comes off this awkward style, the style, he's gone off, he, he you know, he left, he got cut from the UFC, um, you know, went to him four or whatever. But you got to think, man, this guy on the Ultimate Fighter and cut weight, fought four times, made 125 within six weeks, fought four times in six weeks, and comes out and, and fights, fights me. You know, we're having a good time. We're both martial artists. We don't care about talking shit about one another. You know, he's a family man. I'm a family man. We went out there and we left it all out there. A lot of people were saying afterwards, okay, it's time that we get a super fight. You know, the... The, the same sort of talk that happens every time you win. But I feel like, you know, now more than ever, we can't talk about that. You're one away from tying Anderson's record. I feel like you don't want any part of that talk right now. You want to defend the title next, right? Yeah, absolutely. I want to defend the title. I mean, it's been a day to be there. I'm only 30 years old. Um, and obviously, it doesn't matter who you fight because, um, you know, Conor McGregor went off and fought Eddie Alvarez for Eddie Alvarez's first title defense and that was a super fight. So for me, I'm focused on making history um, and I think that's more important than going off and do super fights. I mean, the money, the money's coming um, and I, I'm not going to worry about that. Um, did you happen to see the co-main event? And if so, I know you're preparing for yours, but I don't know if it's on in the locker room and if so, who do you think won? No, I watched the fight and it, it, it was hard. You know, I'm not going to lie. It, it was very hard to watch. It wasn't hard to watch, but it's very hard to score because, you know, him and did a good job walking Joseph down. I mean, he dropped Joseph in that first round. Like, I know that look in that face. I've seen it before. Um, so he, he, he definitely hurt Joseph. And it sucks, you know, because you can guy in the balls twice and they take a point away from you. And it wasn't like it was intentional. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that kind of just sucked the life out of the fight, you know, because who knows? A lot of people said, you know, 
I definitely gave him in the first round. The second round, you know, Henry kind of got it. In the third round, definitely Joseph. So, at most, you know, me, Matt, Brad, all of us in the locker room, you know, at most it could have been a draw. Um, 30-26, I don't know where the fuck that guy was smoking. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. So afterwards, Joseph was saying that's the only fight he wants, you. He wants to fight for the belt. Does that interest you at all? It's up to UFC, man. I, you know, at the end of the day, it'll be the third fight. Is, is, is it going to sell? That's, I don't know if it will or not. Uh, but as with the UFC once, that's fine. You know, out of all my title defenses, going on, you know, I just completed number nine. I've never picked who I was going to fight. I never cared who I was going to fight because at the end of the day, it makes no difference. But I'm not asking you to pick. I'm just wondering if that motivates you. You've already beaten him twice, the second time emphatically. How do you get up for a third? Yeah, it's a fucking paycheck, you know? <laughs> How do you get motivated to do another interview? You're right. Because you're, gonna ask, you're not going to ask the same questions, but I'm always a motivated man. You know, this is how I make my money. I'm always willing to go out there and, and put on that line. I mean, if you look at that fight, I have everything to lose, nothing to gain, essentially. Sure. Um, so, at the same time, you know, this is my job. The UFC calls said, hey, this is going to fight. I'm like, okay. The only thing I ask is that, you know, I fight in Vegas. I, I want to, you know, break the record in Vegas. That's where I, I think I perform my, my best. Huh. I have my best weight touch. So, I, I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to have, at all of my years in being in UFC and putting my foot down, this is the first time I'm going to say I'm fighting in Vegas. Like, wow. I'm not fighting anywhere else. Okay, so the next big Vegas show is March 4th. Well, there's one March 3rd and 4th. Do you want to fight that weekend, or is that too soon? Let me see. December, January, February, March. That might be too soon. Um, I'm going to go get an MRI possibly Tuesday or Wednesday. I think I might have had a little tear in my LCL, my right knee. Oh. Um, and it happened in the first round during the fight when we were grappling. Um, I heard a little pop, and I was like, I think I just, you know, have a little, I think I might have popped a tear in my LCL. I mean, it feels fine now, but I've tur- I, I had a tear in my left knee. I know the feeling of it. And so, you know, it's still swollen right now. Most of the swollen goes down. I get an MRI just to make sure. I mean, I would have been sure just to be safe, but sorry. Um, so you don't know if it's actually torn. This is what you think. No one's actually told you medically what the injury is. <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I know it's not completely torn. Okay. I, I know that, but I know there's something wrong with my LCL. Like, I know the feeling. I, I felt self-conscious. I felt the pop in, in the fight. I was like, it was like, pop. And I was like, yeah, that's the right knee. Someone wrong in there. So. Damn. Did it scare you in the fight? I mean, were, were you worried about it? Or does adrenaline take over? Adrenaline takes over. I, I fought with a broken arm, broken leg. I'm not broken. Broken, broken rib, broken hand, and broken, you know, leg. So when it popped, I was like, all right, you know. Um, You know, I love when you fight on these free cards only because we don't have to listen to the DJs, you know, selling pay-per-views, flyweights on (laughs) pay-per-view. You don't don't have to answer any of that. Isn't that nice? Yeah, it is nice. You know, because at the end of the day, that's not what it's about. You know, I jumped in the sport to to be an athlete, to display mixed martial arts. And that's what I think all of us were were trying to do on Saturday night. Um, uh, Word has gotten out that you, uh, you got 350 for this fight. Is that accurate? Hello? Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I was just saying, ooh, we. Oh, is that accurate? Uh, that is accurate for the most part, yeah. Is that the most you've ever gone for a, a fight? Uh, I believe so. I, I'll have to check the books. I don't keep track of that, but so it as goes, far as, you know, the payout, yeah. So it goes up every time you fight, because that's a lot more than your last fight at 197. Yes. That's great. So that's why you don't care who you fight. Well, I mean, that's, that's how it's been in the very beginning. I never I never cared. I, I think we start getting a lot of these guys who 
you make going into the 10%. You know, at the end of the day, we have a very short window of opportunity to make as much money as possible. And obviously, in the flyweight division, there's nobody who's going to bring me, you know, Conor McGregor money or anything like that because I would say I'm the most popular guy in the flyweight division. Not, yeah. not saying anything that I'm, you know, if, if the flyweight division was doing, you know, prompting or whatever, I would hope I would be the winner. Sure. Um, so yeah, um, I'm not worried about that. When the time comes, when it, I, I just don't, I can't see myself saying that. I'm like, I'm not gonna fight you. I'm not gonna fight you. I want to fight you, even though you're on a four fight losing streak. But everybody in the fucking world wants to see me fight you. Like I just can't see myself doing that. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, d- does a part of you feel a little bad for Wilson Hayes only because he had the title fight and then it was taken away because of your injury? No, I mean it's, it's part of the game, dude. I mean, yeah. there's been times I was an amateur and I. I I've showed up, made weight, and the guy came in into the gym, and we're about to fight, and he goes, oh, I'm not going to fight. I'm going to wait in the car. And he never came out of the car. So what? I, I, yeah, it, it's happened to me before where I've gone to the weight cut, and the whole, it's the whole, and an amateur. I mean, granted, it's totally two different spectrums, you know, obviously title fight, amateur fight, but I've been there in the heat of the moment where the guy wouldn't get out of the car to fight me, so... Well, what can you do? Obviously, you know, if, if Wilson Hayes keeps on doing his thing, you know, he already accepted the fight to fight somebody. Um, if he beats him, and if the USC deems him worthy of a title shot, sweet, sounds good. Let's make it happen, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he's fighting Sasaki in uh, Brooklyn last I heard. He was supposed to fight January 21st in Anaheim, but they canceled that show. Another thing that happened this past week. Um, a lot of talk now. You are the pound-for-pound pound king. Do you agree with everyone who says this? Please say yes or no. That's Don't give me a PC answer here, okay? <laughs> say yes or no, damn it. <laughs> you know, I, I believe so. I, okay. I think I am. I think going out there showing everything. You know, my last fight, I showed I had a great clinch. TKO, Henry Cejudo, Joseph just went three rounds with him, even though it was probably improved him Cejudo, but those guys never really took the fight to a different place. Those guys never really fought in the clinch or, or used the wrestling, uh, wrestling aspect of all the grappling to, you know, went out there against a very gritty opponent, you know, Tim Elliott. A lot of people don't give the guy credit. I mean, you can't give a guy credit unless you, you know, oh, that guy sucks or whatever. Until you get in there and fight him. Like, it's, Totally different, you know. A lot of people might sit back and watch Dominic Cruz do his footwork. He goes, "Oh, Dominic Cruz just dances around and he runs away." It's a total fucking different atmosphere until you get in there and you actually experience it. So, yeah. um, but I, I was able to make adjustments, get out of some tight situations, persevere, show adversity, and overcome. You know, essentially the bigger flyweight or the taller guy that people want to throw out there. So yeah, I, I believe I am the pound for pound best fighter in the world. Oh, great to hear you say that. Now, what do you say to people like, and you know, the, the pound for pound stuff is barbershop talk. I mean, I wish that people would focus yeah, more on. Exactly. <laughs> I, I wish they would say you're the greatest flyweight of all time. To me, that's an actual thing that you could say. That's factual. This is the greatest flyweight of all time. It's so subjective. But what do you say to people like me who say, wait a second, DJ fought at 135 and he lost to Cruz. I mean, that's a fact as well. How come Cruz doesn't get talked about in that discussion? What do you say to those people? You know, I, I think it's because it, that happened like five years, five years ago. Okay. I, I think it had five years. I don't, I don't keep track. You know, I don't know because it, I think for me, when you see the overall, overall of town in my general is that if I was the same size as Cruz or same size as John Jones, weight wise, everything's identically the same. I would think that. I would be able to beat them, showing what I'd be able to do in the octagon. I've knocked people out from the clinch. I've submitted people from armbar, Kimura, uh, last-second armbars. Uh, I've knocked people out with one-hand punch. I kick people. 
people when they see that, you know, it's barbershop talk. They're like, yo, you know a dog when they give a, a black man giving a brother a fade. He goes, you know a dog. And not Demetrius Johnson, man. He he's pretty good, dog. He five three though. Then another guy goes, yeah, uh-huh. but he's short though. But he was same size, that motherfucker. He kicked his ass. So I bet, I guarantee it. That's where I think it's like barbershop talk. So yeah. I don't know why people don't. I'm just in the gym training. Yes, it is fun to talk. Um, you, you, last thing, you went through your Twitch number super fast on Saturday. I couldn't hear it. So give the people the actual Twitch number because you're killing it there. But you said it so quickly. I think you were trying to like get through it for TV time. Uh, it was impossible to understand. So give us the proper number. Yes, it's twitch.tv slash Mighty Mouse UFC 125. We have a great community there. The Mighty Squad, we're growing. We're a big organization. Come join in. Okay, by the way, you know we have Dominic Cruz uh, up next. Is there anything you want to say to Dominic? Actually, we could bring him in right now if you want to say anything to him. Dom, are you there? I got something to say. I want to say congratulations, DJ. You've beaten Anderson Silva's record. That was your thing. That's what you wanted to do. You've been an awesome champion at Flyweight, and I have nothing but congratulations for you, man. You looked awesome in that last fight, and you mixed it up great. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Dom. See, you see that, ladies and gentlemen? This is two athletes, two professionals, another. Yes. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys both on. I'm so excited to see it, man. I appreciate that. I got one more. What's that, DJ? You're cutting out again. You got one more what? Yeah, one more. Uh, Dominic, uh, the analyst that you are, we expect you to know these facts. He's got one more until he ties Anderson. Well, yeah, I'm not in the analyst role right now. I'm in savage (laughs) mode right now. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Well, very cordial, (laughs) both of you. DJ, appreciate the time. Congratulations again. Thank you so much for coming on. Looking forward to the next fight and keep us posted on the knee. Will do, brother. Thanks, man. Good luck, Dom. Thanks, buddy. But before we move along, let me quickly tell you about my good friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or concert. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone. And in fact, I just used it the other day to look up tickets for the surging New York Knickerbockers. I don't know if you know this, but they're currently 11 and 9. They're killing it at home. And I want to take part in one of their games. So I perused on the SeatGeek app, checked out the ticket prices, and I have made the mental commitment to take my family. And I will be doing so by purchasing tickets off of the SeatGeek app. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for you, the sports and music fan out there. SeatGeek does all the price comparisons for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work you save all the time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on the app is given a grade-based value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So this is what you have to do. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, click on add a promo code. Enter promo code MMA. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app right now and enter promo code today to get $20 off your first purchase. Now back to the show. All right, now we're being joined by the reigning defending UFC bantamweight champion, Dominic Cruz. That was fun, right, Dom? Getting to talk to the guy that you beat five years ago who claims he's the pound-for-pound king over you. That was fun. Yeah, <laughs> look at you. Uh, <laughs> typical typical Ariel. Love what? Starting the fires. 
I was, no, I, was it's perfect. I was backing you up there. Why doesn't Dominic Cruz get mentioned more in the pound for pound discussion? You've lost once at 145. You beat you beat the guy who beat you twice. You beat the guy who people consider to be the pound for pound king. Why isn't your name included? No, I I agree, but but how can you decide what people include and what they don't include? And so the biggest thing I've learned through all these injuries that nobody ever uh, really thinks about is my lack of control through those injuries has taught me to not worry about the things that I can't control. And if people don't want to talk about me in these certain instances, I can't control it. I know where I stand. I know where I'm at. If you watch me on Fox, if you watch me as an analyst, if you watch me as a commentator, people should be intelligent enough to understand why I'm the pound for pound best but they don't see it because they choose not to. And I can't control that. So I let these people who don't fight, who don't walk into that octagon and threaten their own lives for entertainment of the outside people. And I let them think what they want to think. Why did the UFC make the right call in booking your, your next fight against Cody Garbrandt and not TJ Dillashaw in your opinion? Well, I mean, we're in the fight business, right, Ariel? And this is a fight. And that's exactly what this is. I mean, plain and simple, he's not, uh, he's not top, top five pounds alert in the top five of the division. And that's my job to go out there and prove it. He did talk himself into this fight 100%. And now it's my job to go out there and fight him. I want to fight him. I want to fight this man. And that's why this fight is happening because it sparks interest. There's a beef there. This guy's been running his mouth a lot. So I'm, it's my job to go out there and shut it for him and show him why he's nowhere near the level he thinks he is. The last two wins, you know, knocking out Almeida, knocking out Mizugaki in less than a minute. I mean, just based off of those alone, let alone the rest of the the undefeated record, he's more than just talking, though, right? He's actually doing. Well, he's got he's got knockouts on his record, yes, uh, in the first round, yes. But so did uh, Shane Carwin, and we all saw what happened to him when he went out there and went past the first round, didn't we? Sure. Wow. And that's what this game is. This is a game where you have to be able to mix it up and not just one round and show how dominant you can be with your power, but you have to have more than power. You have to have prowess. You have to have ring generalship. You have to understand how to mix things up in the clinch, in the takedown, over-unders. You have to understand that when you're on your back, how do I get back up without threatening myself? You have to understand how to keep it after you earn it. And a style where somebody's only been proven to be able to go, you know, three rounds, uh, that's a tough style to deal with when you're fighting a guy like me. And that's exactly what this matchup is about. One thing that I love about this rivalry, and it's a very exciting matchup, and it, it could headline a pay-per-view on its own, in my opinion, is uh, it, it feels like there's some subtle things going on. Like if if one goes on Instagram and, and looks at what you're posting and then looks at what he's posting, and then if you just somehow make your way over to his girlfriend's Instagram, you're leaving comments on her page and then he's writing to you. And this is for no one to see and you're not making a big deal about it. This feels like it's like the, like a, a, a real deep rivalry that we always long for. Is that an accurate way of assessing it? You know, what this is, is um, that whole thing that happened with his girlfriend, first of all, I'll just squash that immediately. I have no problem with his girlfriend right? or women in general. I love women. I respect women. I'm a mama's boy, to be perfectly honest. And by me going on there, I got tagged by her, apparently. I didn't even really realize who she was at first until I looked into it, that she tagged me in that, in that thing. And so all I said was actually very nicely. I said, 
don't get involved in this stuff. Your job is to take care of your boy, your, your boy toy, you know, plain and simple. Um, I don't know how they are, who they do it, but I don't want her involved in this stuff. And to me, it's his job to tell her that stuff and keep her out of it. But clearly she probably wears the pants in the relationship because he's a big softy as much as he tries to pretend he's a tough guy. And she went out there and tried to defend him, but really I just don't want her involved in it. She shouldn't be involved in it because I don't want her to get embarrassed with comments from people on the outside. And you don't get involved in this beef. This is between me and Cody, me and Cody only. This has nothing to do with her. And I was very kind and gentle in about letting her know that. What makes you uh, think that he's a big softy? Well, he, anything you say, he flies off the handle. <laughs> I mean, anything. You could literally say your hairline's a little crooked and this guy is going to go crazy and say, don't ever talk about my hairline. I'm going to bash your face in. Like, man, relax, guy. Like, he's just, everything, everything you say, he's like a ticking time bomb. And that's because he wants to be that. He wants to portray this image that really he has no love. <clears throat> he's he's a... He's tough. He's a savage. He's this, he's that. But those are the most insecure people in the world are the ones that have to call themselves something that they're not. Just be quiet. Sit on the outside. Prove it with what you do. And, you know, that's what I do. That's my, that's my angle at it. And he's about to find out real quick what I'm, what I'm about. Do you think you're in his head? You know, I don't think he's smart enough to know if that would even be possible. <laughs> I honestly believe that. I think he's literally about as smart as a rock. He's had multiple concussions. If you look at any of the spelling that he does on any of his stuff, I mean, he, can, he wrote plain as like a plan, you know, like he, he just doesn't ha- he doesn't have the, the intelligence to understand if somebody was in his head. All he knows is he's either angry at you or he's cool with you and that's it. And that's all right. He wants to be angry with me. That's fine. I, I, uh, I applaud that. I, I, uh, <clears throat> I look forward to it. It makes this seem more fun for me. Do you think that he's going to go into this fight like once he sees you fight week squaring off in the cage, all that stuff too emotional? I mean, you you know about this game. You've been in these big spots before. You've been in rivalries before. Do you feel like when you see that emotion coming out of him, that's a sign that you already have a small victory over him? Well, I mean, no matter what, if somebody can spike your emotions in any way, shape, or form, they're doing something to you. And... That's a form of control. So anybody can look at it how they want, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm controlling his emotions. Like I know that I don't know what this guy's feeling. You know, Ariel, I I can't, it'd be, there's not enough factual basis for me to say, yes, here we go. I've got control of him, but I'm going to say that all I can do is be myself and continue to say the things that I'm saying to him. And as you see this take place, I think his reaction alone tells the story. Plain and simple. Just look at his reactions. Look at how he acts. Look at the things he says. And that should, that should paint the picture for, for people out there enough. Uh, been a while since we talked to you. We didn't talk to you after his last win. Um, there was footage that surfaced. He's walking into the arena at 202 T-Mobile Arena. You're walking in as well. You're there to work for Fox. And you guys get into a little uh, argument, if you will. Daniel Cormier steps in. How real was that? No, I mean, it was real because he, he searches me out just like Faber did after I beat Dillashaw. Faber came to the back and found me where he knew I was going to be. It's not hard to find me, Ariel, especially when I'm working for Fox. You go to the back, you know, I'm back there, you know, I'm working the cameras, you know exactly where to go to find me. 
I don't doubt that they're going to be waiting for me in Sacramento when I'm out there too covering that Fox fight because they know where I'm going to be. They know I'm in Sacramento. I mean, it's common sense to know where I'm at because I'm working while these guys are talking, trying to get a chunk of my limelight while I work to make money for myself and, and money for my family. They find me and they're trying to get a piece of that. They're trying to break off a piece of that every single second they can. All these guys, as they should, I commend them for that. And that's how he talked his way into this fight. He went and found me when I was doing my job and he put himself in a situation where he could try to look as tough as possible. And he made sure and put his, his nice coat on that he wears every time he wants to act tough. And he did that. He went out there, he acted tough. He did his job. And now all he's got to do is act that way for every 30 second clip he can. And then he gets himself a shot. Same thing Faber did throughout the entire career that he's had to get title shots. He did it with McGregor. He did it with me. I mean, this is their game. This is the alpha fail game where they're going to walk their way, talk their way into everything they can so that the publicity gets behind it. And if, if media gets behind it, it becomes real. If media doesn't get behind it, nobody cares. So they just know to make it real with media. And that's Faber's, uh, you know, tutoring, helping the punch drunk Cody, no love. Um, and what do you make of these uh, these suits? Because he's 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 wearing David August, and I don't know who's paying for them, but you know the UFC hooked Connor up with them. That's Lorenzo Fertitta's tailor. Do you feel like the UFC is grooming Cody? As be, I mean, he's a good looking guy. He's got the tattoos, got the look. He speaks very well. Do you feel like they're kind of grooming him to be that next guy? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, um, none of that matters. If they're, if they're grooming him, I'm glad because we need as many stars as we can get in this sport. I mean, how many shows are we doing a week? How many shows are we doing a year, Ariel? Yeah. And the more stars that we have in the sport that people can connect to and embrace and call their favorite, the better it is for all of us. Me, it's better for me because now people want to follow him and hate me. It's better for me because people want to see me smash him if they're following me. And it's, it's better for everybody. So if they're grooming me, good. Or, excuse me, if they're grooming him, good. I'm glad. It's okay with me. Um, but it's going to take a lot of grooming because I'm telling you, the guy's not smart enough to deal with this level of, uh, of competition that, that's at the top. And speaking of competition, I mean, when you consider TJ, Faber, the guys you've defeated as of late, do you think he is as good or better than them? Or do you think he's a notch below them? And the reason why he's getting this is, as you said, just because of his talk. I think he's got a look just the way you said. Yeah. I think he's got a look that, that they're writing, that he's writing on. <clears throat> I think he's got a record that he can write on until I beat him. I don't think he's as uh, well-rounded yet as he could be. And I think that on that night, that's exactly what I'm going to prove. I mean, he's got knockout power. So what? I said it already. I compared him. You know, you got the heavyweight division. You got Shane Carwin knocked out 10 people in the first round. That's a scary guy. But you take him past the first round, you mix it up just a little bit with him in a sport of mixed martial arts, and you don't just sit and box with them or kickbox with them. And things kind of go downhill for a guy like that. And um, that's not what a champion is in this sport. And that's not a, what a champion in this sport is like who keeps the title for years on end. I've been fighting five rounds. I've had one three-round fight since 2010, Ariel. I've been fighting for the title since I started this thing, man. I've got multiple titles. I'm not just a two-time world champion. I'm a five, six-time six world champion. My belt only got taken away because I was injured for so long. 
and that wasn't a real loss of my belt. So technically, the way I look at this, I'm more than a five-time world champion, especially if you count the WEC, and nobody takes those wins into account as well. So because it wasn't picked up by media then, and media makes everything real. The only fights that have been made real in my career so far are the last two because those are the only fights where media has been at their height, highest with Fox Sports, with uh, where the sport is now. Right. That's okay. I like being shoved under the rug because it keeps me under wraps so that when I unleash myself on these guys, they have no clue what they're actually facing. I think DJ said it best. All these guys want to talk about what I do and how I don't do it well enough. And then you get in there with me and you're lost. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Cody when we fight on New Year's Eve. He took umbrage with the fact that you spoke about his dad and, and, and made it personal like that. Was that a conscious effort on your part? Did that just come out of nowhere? Why did you bring that up? Well, I brought that up because, you know, to be perfectly honest, I see similarities in himself and myself. And I grew up without my father around. And that's okay. The difference between me and him is I've dealt with those demons. And I've forgiven my dad and I've let go of that entire situation. And if he had done the same, like he should have, it wouldn't even have ruffled a feather on him. But like I said before, he's such an emotional, uh, trying to perceive some savage being that he's not, that that got right under his skin. I brought it up for one second and he ran with it and he's still crying about it. He put a, he put a, um, an interview I did on his wall about my dad and it's like it's no big deal talk about my dad talk about my past i brought it up for everybody to know about because it's in my past me and my dad have a decent relationship now i don't talk to him very much but it's no big deal like that was one little thing and i've just let go of that situation but i knew that he hasn't so Mm. i brought it up to let him stew on it because i know that he can't deal with it in his own head forget what I said about it. The real problem with Cody is he's mad at himself for not being able to let go of the situation and the anger that he has towards his own family. That's his problem, not mine. Damn. You're, you're incredible, Dominic. Uh, a couple more questions for you. Um, I, I sometimes cringe when I hear Dana White when, when he like sold this fight for the first time because he says, he always says, Dominic Cruz has the worst luck in the world. Worst luck and we're going to put him on this card so that he gets the money that he was supposed to get when he was going to fight Faber on 148, blah, blah, blah. Can we stop talking about that already? Why do we have to keep talking about that? A and B, are you on the flip side thankful that you are probably going to get a boatload of money because you are fighting on the same card as Ronda Rousey? Well, it's easy for Dana to bring that up because I was the one who called him when I had to pull out of these fights. So I'm sure he has a, you know, we don't get to talk too much. And and the talks that we do have, I've gone out of my way to call Dana myself and explain why I had to pull out of these fights like a man. I didn't want to call my manager to tell him. I wanted to call Dana myself and let him know like a man, I'm sorry I have to pull out of the show. I'm not happy about it. So I'm sure that's a stinging thought in Dana's brain. So that's the first thing he thinks about when he thinks about Dominic Cruz because those are the only talks we've really ever had. We've met one other time other than that to renegotiate a contract. Other than that, I've always sat down with Lorenzo. Lorenzo's always gone out of his way to talk with me about many different things. And um, the only talks me and Dana have had is when I had to call him to pull out. So that's why, in Dana's defense, he brings that up all the time, is because that's really the only conversation me and him have had, unfortunately. But on the other end of things, it's like I don't have the worst luck in the world. I have the best luck in the world to have gone through that. And I say that because it taught me how to turn into a man, to let go of the things that I can't control. It taught me how to grow 
in this sport outside of this sport so that when I get in there, I no longer need this. I no longer need to have the belt to be happy. I no longer need this sport to be happy. It's all just something that I can enjoy now and be happy with. And it's a cherry on top of my life to be able to compete today because I've lived for three and a half, four years without it and realized that this is nothing but a gift we're all given, Ariel. This isn't something that I deserve. This isn't something I should have. This is a gift for me to be able to compete in front of all these people for the amount of money that I'm getting to make now is incredible. Uh, coming from, you know, paying money to fight in the beginning at 155 pounds for my first three fights. So it's like, I look back at this sport when I was 19 years old, starting this thing back in 2007. And I look at the things that I've learned and that stuff that happened to me was not the worst luck I ever had in my life. It was not the worst thing that ever happened to me. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because it turned me into a man. And now I'm here today still fighting for the same title for more money than I ever made then. So how is this the worst thing that ever happened to right. me? It's not. And now I get to walk into this fight and finally get the payday that I should have had before the Anderson Silva fight. I was a multiple time world champion before that Anderson Silva fight. And then after that Anderson Silva fight, I should have made multi-million dollars when I fought Faber for the third time, but I didn't. This is all shoulda, coulda, woulda. It's a beautiful thing. None of that matters. Yeah. It's all out of my control, but it's okay. I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm blessed to be here. And I'm going to take this horse by the reins and I'm going to ride it out very hard. This has been without a doubt the most newsworthy year uh, in the history of mixed martial arts. So much has happened. So many great interviews, quotes, moments. Um, but what you just said reminded me of, without a doubt, my favorite line, my favorite answer that I've heard personally this year, given to me or anyone else, when I asked you right after the Dillashaw win in Boston, if this was the greatest moment of your life, and you said the greatest moment of your life is when you finally realized that you didn't need a belt to be happy. And it gives me goosebumps till this day to hear that. And you, you stick to that, you know, 11 months later. So uh, that is amazing to hear. One last thing for for you, um, Dominic, two weeks before your fight, your longtime friend Uriah Faber retires. Are you surprised that he is walking away now? No, I'm not surprised. I think it's a good thing for him. I mean, honestly, like, he's going to be a great manager. He's already a great manager. He's been a great manager to these guys for how long? Dressing them out in torque. He's been making money on his team since this thing started um, while he fought. So finally, he's going to get out of the fight game and just make money wholly on these fighters that he promotes. Right now, Cody's the guy that he's promoting. He's making the most money off Cody. He's dressing him out in Torque. He's got Cody wearing Uriah Faber shirts everywhere he goes. And so it's a genius move on his part because um, he's leaving the sport. He's still making prize money, but then he's still managing fighters. He gets a cut of their purse because he's got stock in the management company that manages all these fighters in a lump sum, including himself. So it's, I mean, it's just smart for him. He's a businessman. That's what he does. He's almost a promoter, but he just was fighting, so he couldn't quite do it. If he could run his own show, he would. Um, I think this is a good move for him. And to be perfectly honest, the guy started this sport uh, in the lighter weight classes. When I, when I first started this thing, there was only 155, 155 pounders and up. And because he had a good, uh, a good following in Sacramento, that whole town got behind him. He was able to get a lot of people to show up to the shows and be able to make a, a run for the lighter weight classes. Without him, without a star, an early star in the early days of this sport, the lighter weight classes might not have been made. That's the truth. Uh, I was there right next to him, right with him. The difference is he was bashing me down while he was the star, so I didn't get the limelight. 
and that's okay. That made me who I am today. I'm appreciative for your eye favor. I'm appreciative for the rivalry. I'm appreciative for the fights that I had with that man. I'm going to look back at time and be glad that, you know, we fought like we did and said the things that we did about each other. And uh, I'm, I'm happy for his future. And that whole thing with me and him is completely buried. Like, I couldn't be happier that that chapter of my life is done. And I wish him nothing but the best. Um, however, his, his, uh, his little stepson, Cody No Love, is about to get worked. And that's something that's going to affect him. So I'm sorry about that because I'm going to affect his money yet again. Incredible as always, Dom. Thank you so much for the time. Best of luck to you on December 30th. We will see you out there in Las Vegas. Uh, just, just You are cerebral when it comes to these interviews. Uh, a pleasure and an honor as always. Thank you, Dom. I have one thing I want to say, Dario. Please. When it comes to, the, I know the number one thing people want to say when I say, you know, the greatest moment in my life was not having the belt and realizing I didn't need it. I don't mean that it's not awesome having the belt. What sure. I mean is if you need that belt to be happy, anybody, then you're messing something up. And while I will have that belt, I will continue to defend it and continue to be the best in the world. That only brings my money up, but that doesn't bring my myself up. And I'm going to keep having that belt no matter what. It doesn't take away the importance of the belt and what I can do for money with it. But all it is is a cherry on top, and I keep saying that. It's a cherry on top. It's not something that I need. So that, in essence, makes the belt a gift for me and not, and not a curse. When you need that belt to be happy in order to find validity in your life, in order to feel like that's what's going to make my life better, it's hurting you in the end. And that's something that a lot of people forget and miss when they're coming up in this sport. And I want to point that out for all the up-and-comers. you got to be happy outside this sport because that belt isn't going to solve all your problems. Mm. That's it. Well said, Dom. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. There he is, Dominic Cruz, bantamweight champion, UFC, defends his title on December 30th. Okay, um, if you recall, on January 4th of this year, we did our yearly award show. At the end of that show, New York Rick and I uh, both came up with this, not an award, but this topic, if you will. Who's the one guest, if we could pick one guest that we want to hear from on this show this year? Who's that guest? Who's that guy or woman that has been uh, elusive to us that we want to hear from? Both of us picked Bjorn Rebney. Last year, New York Rick picked Bjorn Rebney as well. Two years in a row. Well, with less than a month left in this year, in 2016, we have delivered him. Joining us on the phone right now is the former Bellator CEO and an advisor for the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. He resurfaced last week on that now infamous conference call, the one and only Bjorn Rebney joining us. Wow. How about this? Bjorn, are you there? I'm right here. How are you doing? Wow. It has been a while, Bjorn. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, like I said, we have been wanting to talk to you for a very long time. I have to admit, uh, when, when you guys put on that conference call last week and you just sort of uttered the first words, whatever they were that came out of your mouth, I got chills because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you just disappeared off the face of the earth. You were not... You know, you were not visible on social media. You did no interviews. We did not see you. We had no idea where you were. And then just hearing your voice again uh, was pretty chilling. So it's it's nice to hear from you again. It's nice to have you back in the mix. Well, thanks. A, I appreciate it. B, I'm just, I, I was never raised as one of those dudes who said a lot when I didn't have anything to say. 
You know, I feel like if, if you've got something to say and it's important, you say it. If you don't have something to say, I'm not one of those guys that goes out to sushi and, and shoots a picture of it and snapshots <laughs> it to all my friends. Sure. It's not my gig. So I figured, you know what, when there was something important to say and something I felt really strongly about and I felt connected to and I felt was super important, uh, I would speak up. And in the interim, I just figured I would, you know, I would do what I've been doing for the last two plus years, which has been good stuff and it's been exciting and fun. But um, this was something that was important and it's something that means a lot. And it, it, I can't stress enough how vitally, vitally important this is and what's at stake. So I felt like it was time to say something. Now we will get into that and we'll get into what you're doing and the aftermath um, after the, the press conference on, on Wednesday. And, and just, there's so much to discuss. You know, I'm, I'm very, very interested in this topic, but I think it's only fair to start this journey back in June of 2014. I was woken up in the middle of the night. I went back and looked at the article, June 18th, 2014. I posted it at 4.15 a.m. Eastern time that Viacom was going to replace you with Scott Coker. And there were rumblings that maybe that there was a rift that, you know, you were going to leave the company, but this was your baby. You were the founder. You had done so much to promote the Bellator brand. When did you find out that you were going to be replaced by Scott Coker? Well, look, look at it this way. If you look at what you take a look, Ariel, at what I created, what I promoted and produced for a bunch of years, and you look at the promotion today, it's super obvious. I had a unique strategy and vision for MMA and, and, uh, that strategy may not have aligned with some of the folks that I worked with. And if you're an entrepreneur and you create and build something and you need an enormous amount of capital to take that company worldwide, it's just common sense. Whoever provides you that capital is going to want to control the company. And with control comes the ability um, to determine where the company goes. And sometimes the decisions that people make are really good decisions. Sometimes the decisions people make that buy companies are really bad decisions. But you got to look at it from the perspective of an entrepreneur. Without substantial investment, it's virtually impossible to build a worldwide brand. And with it, you lose the ability to make decisions for your company. It's just the way that it works. So, you know, look, as, a, as an owner of a company, as somebody who builds something, if you disagree with the direction the investors want to head in, you've got pretty obvious options. You can stay or you can go. And here I am talking to you about the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. So, you know, it's a pretty it's a pretty clear cut situation. It was clear cut then. It was clear cut now, and or it is clear cut now. So that's basically it. Wait. So are you saying that you decided to leave? It was your decision to leave the promotion. Look again. What I can tell you um, and what I can share is basically self evident. If you watch the shows today and you watch what Tim Donahue and I produced and promoted and EP'd and created, they're very very different obviously very, very different. And, you know, there's with that, like I said, comes the ability of a company um, to make all the decisions Hmm. and entrepreneurs deal with that shit all the time, Ariel. I mean, you know, you look at a lot of different companies and people who build them want to go in one direction and people who buy them want to go in another direction. And those marriages either laugh by those people sticking around and those people sit back and say, yeah, I'll, I'll toe the line and I'll do it and I'll do whatever you ask, or they don't. <laughs> and they didn't. So here I am in something that, you know, look, I'm not going to compare and contrast and say one thing has this relevance or one thing has that relevance. But what I will say is, is that this really fucking matters. What we're talking about yes. here is hugely significant. Sure. And it's got, and it's not, you know, look, I mean, God bless, we got JP Pierre and CBO working with us. And he's a baseball player and he's made a great living at baseball and he's, and he's going to be with us and he's talking to fighters, et cetera, et cetera. 
baseball players just settled their issue and entered into a new CBA and the differences, the gaps that existed, they were relatively small gaps. God bless them. It took them years to get to that point where the gaps were small, but they were smaller gaps. These aren't small gaps. These are huge. So I look at something like this that I'm privileged enough to be able to work on. It's important. It's got real implications. It'll impact people's lives. So, you know, that's, that's the nature of it. That's how I look at it. That's how I look at the past. You go through these different, you know, stages of your life. You move from one thing to another thing. And sometimes you get the opportunity to have something to gain an amount of expertise in one endeavor, to, to learn things in a single endeavor that ultimately in people's eyes now and in, in the eyes of somebody who's making ultimate decisions later on in life or at the end of our lives really actually make a difference. And, and I hope you recognize that I agree with you with all those points and it is very important to talk about these things. I mean, heck, uh, I lost my job at Fox because I talked about these things. One of the reasons why I lost it is because I talked about these things too much. So um, I, I hope you don't think that I'm dismissing that, but I feel like in order to properly tell the story, because as you know, as I know you've seen, a lot of people have brought up your past. So you didn't talk to anyone when you left. Uh, we didn't hear a peep out of you. Um, you know, not a press conference, not an interview, nothing. Everyone wanted to get that big, you know, tell all what happened to Bjorn Rebney and, and, and you didn't do it. And I know you say you don't like to share, you know, just mundane things on social media, but was there a reason why you didn't do it? Like, did you sign some sort of NDA that prohibited you from doing that? Yeah. I mean, look, you, when you're dealing with issues at that level and when you're dealing with huge multinational conglomerates and there's a parting of the ways of, of, you know, the initial founders and CEO and chairman of the company and those companies and the president of the company leaves simultaneously. Obviously there's legal documentation. Um, obviously I'm not going to get into a, uh, he said, she said, here's when things started. Here's when things finished here were all the machinations. These were the arguments. These weren't arguments, et cetera. I'm not going to get into all of that, but you know, like I said, and I, again, I'm not trying to dodge the issue, but, um, it, it just, this happens all the time in business and you, and all kinds of business people encounter it. You literally, um, you sell and once you sell, it's, it's, you look, it's a good warning for entrepreneurs all across the globe. If you haven't built a big business, if you haven't built a multinational entertainment um, platform in a conglomerate, once you do it and you accept an enormous amount of money from people to do it and they want to buy a majority stake in it, your ability to make decisions in it is over. Hmm. You can't decide where things go, but, but that's not, I'm not saying, whoa, that's wrong. You know, if somebody came to me and said, Hey, I'd like you to invest millions of dollars in this thing I'm going to do. I would say, yeah, sure. I'll be happy to invest, but I want to control it because that's my money on the line. That's just the way business works. So, you know, that's it. That's the nature of the beast. What was it like for you? I remember the first time that I interviewed you was at the MMA Awards. You were there with your family, with your, uh, I believe it was, you have two daughters and, and your wife was there as well. Am I right? My son would be really pissed. I've got okay. a daughter and a son, my bad. both of whom are in college, kicking ass and taking prisoners. And it was me and it was my daughter, my wife, and Toby Amata coming off of that exactly. insane inverted triangle that he hit in 2009, which is still one of my favorite submissions in the history of watching MMA since I was a youth. So Yes, and, and you were sort of like the, the little train that could. You were the new promotion, but you had this amazing moment and you were at the awards and it seemed like you were so proud to be there with your family. This was kind of like a, a thing that you were working on for so long. Bellator, here you are, and this was your baby. You were, you were omnipresent when it came to Bellator. 
what was it like for you? And you seem to be at peace with it. I know it's two and a half years later, but just to watch the evolution of the product, it's changed, as you mentioned. It's still the same name. It's still pretty much the same logo. Some of the same fighters are there, guys that you built, Chandler, Kern, et cetera, on the sidelines. I mean, honestly, what's what's it like to watch those events from the couch when the thing is changing, but it's still, it still bears the same name that you came up with? You know, look, it's... I, I guess you got to look at it from a couple of perspectives, but one is... What they've been doing over the last few years obviously isn't how I do it. Yeah. Um, and again, that's just business. I mean, so look, the, the, the attractiveness of mixed martial arts to me stems from the competitive nature of it. It stems from the high test evolution. It, it stems from, from champions fighting champions and challengers progressing through the ranks and beating guys and, and making that move up to the next stage. And look, I, and, and I, I don't want, I, I've got mad respect. You know, look, one of the reasons, Ariel, that I devoted my, my life and energy and a ton of my money to build out a company was because I love the sport. I mean, I honestly, I loved MMA. I love MMA now. Um, and, and I've got mad respect, you know, like The Last Emperor. I mean, Fedor, guys like that, that I watched fight, you know, in the early 2000s or when I watched Hoist introduce the world to BJJ in the first UFC event you know, 23 years ago or Frank and, you know, it's off wicked open fisted battles with boss back and King of Pancrase, all that stuff sits in my memory and it sits in my memory with huge fondness, you know, and it was 20 plus years ago. I've still got, like, I, I think you and I talked about probably now three and a half, four years ago now, but I have VHS tapes of old pride shows. I don't have a VCR. I don't even know if you can buy VCRs anymore. So I don't know what I'm going to do with them. But I, like every time I go into the garage and say, shit, I got to clean up the garage. I don't throw them away because I think, fuck, one day I may want to watch those. Mm. But, but to me, you know, and again, this is no disrespect intended, but that to me, those, those characters have, an, have a, a, a moment in time for me that makes them the biggest and the best in that moment. And then there's a progression of MMA and that progression in mixed martial arts is seeing the new guys and the explosive and what's happening next and how the sport evolves and moves forward. So, I haven't watched much ah. Bellator because it's not, it isn't what I would choose to watch at this stage. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It doesn't mean that it's bad. And it doesn't mean that I disrespect or have, or don't have great admiration for the, you know, for, for the Franks and for the Kens and for the Hoises and for those guys. But it's not my thing. You know, I mean, like I, I watched Eddie versus Connor, you know, I watched every second of it. I watched the pre-shows. I watched all of that because that to me was, was big and it was current and it was now and, and it was the best lightweight in the world in my eyes. You know, a guy that I talked about as the greatest lightweight on earth for a long time and everybody told me I was out of my mind until he actually transitioned to the UFC and proved it. And it was Connor, who was obviously an absolute freak of nature who has both of the pieces of the puzzle, you know, an unbelievable arsenal and he's also got an Ali-esque mouth. You know, he's a once in a half decade type of promotional piece of magic. So, you know, I, I watch those things because those things from as an MMA fan, those excite me. I look at them and I go, shit, I got to get my guys together. We got to watch that. That's going to be insane. And everybody wants to know my opinion on shit. And so <laughs> that's a different, you know, it's a, it's a different fit. Okay. But again, it doesn't, it doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make any of that stuff bad or it doesn't make it not, you know, not the right thing. It just, it's not my thing. Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, when you leave the company in June of 2014, how soon thereafter do you start thinking about an association, putting the pieces together, getting the ball rolling? 
Well, no, I mean, look, first thing I did is I slept for about three weeks, which I hadn't done for the prior five and a half years. And, and can you I clear up the Mexico stuff. tweet? I know why you said Mexico World Club, but you've been attached to this Mexico tweet for so long. Everyone <laughs> thinks that you're in Mexico or we're in Mexico. It was because of the, uh, the Netherlands-Mexico World Cup game, right? Yeah, I got. I had a bunch of buddies over. We were watching the World Cup. And we were <laughs> drinking a lot. And we were watching the Mexico-Netherlands game. And Mexico, of course, was we hit pause. <laughs> and then we were drinking and we were eating and we were having fun. And then we hit start again and nobody was allowed to look on their phone to see what was really going on because a bunch of my buddies are Mexican and they were losing their mind. And we clicked back on and it was like Mexico had scored. So I, I tweeted Mexico and then the bottom fell out in the Netherlands won, And I was like, you know what? I'm an idiot and I'm breaking my own rule. I probably shouldn't be tweeting. So I just stopped tweeting from that moment forward. And it became like this infamous tweet. Like I had gone to Mexico and was yeah. with Pablo Escobar, and, <laughs> but it wasn't, it was just a dude who was really excited drinking beer with a bunch of buddies. And then suddenly it didn't go well. And I just said, you know what, that's probably the end of the tweeting for the next couple of years. <laughs> what a way to go out. I mean, it's amazing how that <laughs> turned into something else. So many people have tweeted me that right now as we're speaking. Um, Okay, so can, can I ask you, you know, how soon, okay, so you, you sleep, you probably take a vacation, you decompress, then what, like, when's the first step? Well, look, the first step in this whole process, basically, I, I mean, and I'm not, I don't want to sing my own praises, but I have a lot of experience in this space. I know the sport, I know the business, I know the law surrounding the business, I know the athletes. And about two years ago, Okay. Probably four and a half, five months, um, maybe not even that long. Um, after Tim and I had split from Bellator, um, I was asked by some really smart people who I've got enormous respect for to basically create a plan of attack, to a plan of attack to force the UFC to completely reverse um, its outrageous and despicable treatment of its athletes. And so at that stage, and I was working on some other cool stuff. I was working on a great tech venture and an OTT project and some very cool stuff that was unrelated to all the time I'd spent in combat sports. But, you know, I, I started really digging. And, you know, the first step for somebody like me is you start digging, you do an enormous amount of due diligence. And then fortunately, thank God I was in a position where I could step back and, and do a lot of due diligence. I had the time and I had the wherewithal and the access points to really dive in, to understand the numbers, because we'd all heard it for years. You now you'd heard it. You'd been talking about it. We'd all talked about it as a promoter that had done pay-per-view and cut deals in 140 countries around the world, et cetera. You hear about it, but you don't hyper, hyper focus on it because it's not, you know, I was trying to build a company to compete with UFC. So I wasn't sitting there saying to myself, okay, I need to know backward and forward every UFC number and the dynamics and the percentages and what they're doing and what they're not. I was more engaged in the competitive aspect of what do we do next to try to take another step up this ladder? But as you start diving into it, and as you start looking at the numbers two plus years ago, I thought, okay, well, this is insane. It's unethical. It's outrageous. It's despicable. If you know the sport, you know what happens long-term. It's, it's got wrongful on it in so many different ways. And then I said, okay, screw it. To do this and to do it right for the people who'd reached out to me, First of all, you've got to get some of the biggest names in this space in the UFC to step up. And, you know, we were very fortunate to have George and Tim and Kane and Cowboy and TJ on board. And I started talking, you know, I started talking to George years ago and Tim, I don't remember how long ago, but an ex very, very long ago. Um, and you secure that, you secure their understanding. You share with George and Tim and TJ and Kane 
And you, you sit down and you say, okay, here's what's at stake. Here's really what's going on. Here's how the other leagues work. Here's how a real sports enterprise is supposed to function. And you, you get them to understand it very clearly. And then you figure out, are they going to be willing to engage? Are guys at that level with those kind of names going to be willing to put themselves out to say this matters, this is important? Then you, get, you, you, you have to have legal backing. So you find the greatest attorney literally in the history of this type of legal matter, and that's Jim Quinn, um, who has written the book on sports-related matters and representing athletes and representing athletes' associations. He wrote, he is responsible for creating and crafting law that governs how the NFL does business and the like. And you get Jim Quinn on board. And then you go out and you get strategic PR firms to handle both general market and sports-related. And then you get a team of marketing specialists on board. And you get key strategic advisors on board. And you hold meeting after meeting after meeting. And you get money behind it because a fight like this is not a fight that you just send out a few tweets and say, you know, wow, this is really important. Let's get it done. You've got to have real support behind it. Who is, it who is the support, Bjorn? The people who came to me initially, they have asked to remain nameless. Okay. I said it on the thing and yeah. I'm going to respect that. And Fair you know enough. what? There were guaranteed on my eyes, there will come a time without any question when I will be able to introduce them. Okay. I will be proud as crap when I can't introduce them because they are, I, I did not sit back and say, this situation is a disaster. I want to fix it. Who do I put in place? People came to me and said, this situation is a disaster, huh. as I used to affectionately say, clusterfuck. And somebody has to fix it. Somebody's got to make this right. Because as TJ and I said, when we were at the press conference, and I, I don't remember if he said it first or I said it first, but we both said basically the same thing. If this doesn't get fixed, we don't have a sport in 10 years. There's no possible way that mixed martial arts can continue down this trajectory and survive. There, it can't. And that's not hyperbole. That's not a threat. That's not me sending out a message to Ari Emanuel. That's the God's honest truth. It, it, it will not survive. It has to change. You ask guys to make that kind of sacrifice to give up what these guys are giving up long and short, short term and long term. You have to have protections in place. You've got to have pensions and post career health care, et cetera. So you put that in place. And once the, in, once those things are in place, you know, building something like this out is not just about filing a lawsuit. It's not just about making some uh, plans to go visit guys in gyms and talk about the issues. It's about a legitimate strategy. WMEIMG is a $6 billion company. They are one of the two most powerful agencies in, in the entire world across the sports and entertainment spectrum. They are a huge, monstrous, powerful conglomerate. The UFC is now a $4 billion enterprise. Between WMEIMG and the UFC, you're talking about 5,000 plus employees, monster power, monster influence. You've got to be ready to put a strategy in play. You're going to fight somebody like that? That's not jumping up out of the seat at a smoker somewhere and going, screw it. My training went well for the last week. I'll jump in when somebody bounces out of a fight. You've got to be prepared. You've got to have everything conceivable in place. The backing, the support, the people, the brains, all of it. And that's, that's what I charged myself with, with organizing and, and putting together. And it's in place. So since uh, last, actually since last Monday when the, the press release came out, um, it's amazing how many people have called to ask my opinion, to ask what this is all about, to ask all kinds of questions. And the same has been done in other interviews and on social media, etc. And the two main things that I thought... Um, continue to be brought up 
since the conference call were this. The first one was, you know, why is Bjorn Rebney doing this? What's in it for him? You know, he's had this this uh, this polarizing history. He's had public feuds with fighters and things like that. I mean, you don't need me to tell you this. You, you've, you've had these things. Whether they're right, he's right, they're, you can't, that's just the story. And I think it's somewhat unfair to just, you know, paint someone with one brush and, and not give someone a chance. But that's the way people are reacting. What do you say to those people who are hesitant to back this solely because of you? Well, I'd say, look, the, again, and I don't want to be, I feel uncomfortable being the one to explain again. And I think I probably spent too much time on this call with you explaining what the resume and the CV and the experience is. It gives me a crystal clear vision of what needs to happen here. I understand it better than anyone. And I've been able to, thank goodness, working with guys like George and Tim and Kane and TJ and others and and Cowboy, et cetera, to really put together the right focus, the right team, the right allies, the right infrastructure to make this work. Um, when you ask me why, why, like, why, there's two questions, I guess. One of them is, why am I doing it? And, and I go, there's basically two underlying things, because anything that we do that we put a shitload of time into and effort and energy, we, you've got an emotional set of reasons for doing it. My emotional set of reasons for doing it is that I've been around combat sports athletes since I was six years old. My grandpa Milton used to have fighters from Central America and Mexico, boxers at the time, because this was 40-something years ago and there was no MMA. I mean, there wasn't any MMA that was on television. There was MMA, but it wasn't anything like what we see now. But he used to have the guys come to the house and they would fight. They would stay at the house and they would fight on these brutal L.A.-based boxing circuits. They would fight like three, four weeks in a row. Um, And I knew those guys and I stayed in and I kept in contact with those guys as I went to junior high school and high school. So I've seen what happens to combat sports athletes when they're 35 and 40 and 45. And it's frightening. It's not a good, for a lot of these guys, not everyone, thank God, but for a lot of these guys, that evolution is a very, very ugly and scary evolution. And then I, of course, went into the boxing promotion business and then into the mixed martial arts promotion business. So I spent the better part of 44 years around these guys. And so when you're around it and you see it, and you don't just see it since you started watching it on TV eight years ago, but you see it since its infancy. And you see what most of these guys are dealing with long-term. And I don't mean long-term like when you hit 75 or 80. Like you go, oh, shit, you're old. Things happen. I'm talking about long-term when they hit their late 30s. That's bad. And we got to protect them against it. So from a heart perspective and a real ethical perspective, I looked at it and I said, this has got to change. The other piece of it, let me just be really brutally honest. I hate racists and I hate bullies more than anything on earth. They're bottom feeders. And the UFC, WMEIMG UFC today, that conglomerate, they're bullies. And it may not be with their hands, but it's with their money and it's with their power and it's with their influence. And so I'm in a good, I'm in a very, very good spot, a blessed spot. And I'm able to dedicate time and energy and focus to this. I don't have to take a paycheck I don't have to figure out how I'm going to put food on the table or pay the mortgage, but to be given an opportunity and to be in a place to have the expertise and the knowledge to be able to a address something that I think that I know firsthand. I don't think I know firsthand is a, is a nightmare for a lot of these guys moving forward and to be able to orchestrate a strategy that provides the protections that they desperately need, but that they deserve. 
because the, the UFC turning into a $4 billion conglomerate, the UFC being the most expensive sports property ever acquired, that didn't come from Dana or Lorenzo. It came on the backs of fighters who packed the arenas, drove the pay-per-view buy rates, drove the international and domestic television, the sponsorship, the closed circuit, et cetera, et cetera. They deserve to get paid what's fair. And so to be able to fight that fight, to be able to be in the middle of that, and also to be able to Superman punch bullies in the back of the head, that's a very attractive proposition for me, just given my personality. I thought the group on Wednesday did a very nice job of answering as many questions as possible, but not, you know, laying all the cards on the table because there's no real need to do that on a conference call. So I'm wondering this, when you guys said goodbye to us Wednesday night after that two plus hour conference call, what has happened since then up until now? What has the reaction been? What can you tell us about the calls you fielded, the reaction that you've seen, that you've heard, what the other fighters, you know, the, the, the five who are there with you have said, like, what's, what's the news here? How many people have signed up? Can you tell us anything about what happened since the introductory conference call? Yeah, it's, it's been super positive. Um, obviously, and you touched on at the beginning of our talk, you know, obviously the, the reaction to the association, the need for it, the guys involved was super, super good. Um, the reaction to Bjorn, the necessary evil promoter who was engaged, um, maybe not as great, but who cares? Like, did that disappoint you? Cares. Did that disappoint you? Me? Did it disappoint no, you? I, of course, I expected it. Okay. I was the second largest mixed martial arts promoter in the world for a number of years. Okay. I didn't, I didn't expect people were going to look at me and go, oh my God, what a natural transition that is from being the guy who has the 100-man employee team and has 300 and something fighters under contract and has to control the money and make business decisions. There's a natural transition. So no, I didn't expect people to go, wow, that's, that's awesome. What a great dude. I expected people to go, ah, why is he doing this? Mm. That guy was part of the problem. He, why is he now part of the solution? So yeah, I expected that. The good news is, is it, it has been focused that the negative vibe was focused on me, which is exactly where it should be. Hmm. But the, the better news is that the reaction has been big and you know, Tim's, Tim's getting ready for his fight with Kelvin on Saturday. He's been, I've been texting back and forth with him like crazy. I finally had to text back to him and go, dude, you're fighting Saturday. Why don't we just like hold tight and you stop texting me and you just focus on what you've got to focus on for Saturday. Yeah. And you know, George and I have been going back and forth and Kane and I have been going back and forth about scheduling meetings and the overture and the fighters that are reaching out. And TJ and I have been talking constantly about different people that he knows that are, you know, engaged and want to become part of it and fighters that have reached out to him. So it's been good. It's been a little bit like trying to get a drink of water out of a fire hose because the reaction was, you know, I thought that there would be a reaction Ariel, but I didn't think that 129 media members would get on the call. I didn't think we'd have that level, but it has been, and it speaks to the need, dude. It speaks to what's, what's really at stake here, you know? So it's been a good reaction. It's been a positive reaction. And we're just, we're implementing according to what we're, you know, we're calling in house our plan to win. And there's a structure to it. There's different strategic steps that are being taken, but we're, we're following up. And if you reached out to us and we haven't gotten back to you yet, you know, between me and the team and the fighters and our office staff, et cetera, we're trying to get back to everybody as quick as we can. But, you know, it, it was a little bit more than I think even we had anticipated planning for what we thought would be a really good reaction, but it was bigger than that. So um, publicly you have five fighters on board. Are there more now that you can, can you tell us that there's 200 fighters, 100 fighters? Are you able to put a number on it? 
We're not. We, okay. you know, Tim has uh, Tim spoken to the amount of outreach that he's received singularly. George has gotten huge outreach. I know George had a big meeting with guys this morning. Um, TJ's gotten outreach. Kane and I are going to be um, spending time together later this week up in NorCal um, with fighters. It's just the um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And and look, the I know that there's big names on board, obviously, and that was intentional. And because if you don't have a a GSP and and guys like that and Tim and et cetera, um, you, you can't. There's no way to make this work. There's no way to get the traction going to take the steps forward. But all, those are big names. They're huge names, and the team is powerful. And there's great people behind it, and there's a real strategy in place, and there's support and economics behind it, and money, et cetera. But this is not a quick fix. Hmm. Don't let anybody misunderstand. This is not just because we jumped up with George and Tim and TJ and Cowboy and Kane, and we've got big attorneys behind us and a huge staff on board. This is not a quick fix. The WME IMG UFC conglomerate is projecting to their investors that they are going to generate a 50% EBITDA margin on $600 million in revenue. Now, you can do all the Google research in the world, but a 50% margin is absolutely enormous. Okay, now, would you call it illegal? I don't know that it's illegal per se, but given what's being done here, and given the fact that out of every dollar that the UFC generates, the athletes take home eight cents, and that they've got no protection and no pension and no post-career health care, they've got no say in anything. They're basically treated like children on an island with some kind of leader. You, there's an enormous amount to get done here, and there's an enormous entity that wants to fight and will fight aggressively to keep those margins. They bought the UFC off the backs of what the UFC had done, which is print money year after year and generate hundreds of millions of dollars in net profit on an annual basis for themselves. So people that generate that kind of revenue, people that generate that kind of income, people who go out and sell $2 billion in debt to high net worth individuals, they don't just roll over and go, you know what? I, that you make good points. Let's sit down. So this is a fight. This is a long, exhaustive five-round fight, but it's a fight we're going to win. And, and you know, as you know, being a part of an association, a union, anything like this, strength in numbers is very important. This has been a year where we've seen the PFA come out, a different law firm try to solicit fighters. There's the MMAFA. Shouldn't priority number one try to get everyone on the same page so that there's not infighting? I mean, when the PFA came out, it was somewhat embarrassing to see these two groups go back and forth. And that, that, that hasn't really happened with your group just yet. But I feel like there needs to be just one group for this to be successful. At the end of the day, what does everyone want? Pretty much the same thing. So why not try to get everyone on the same page? Because strategically, there's two huge barriers to entry for the other two groups. And there's two huge reasons that they won't work and can't work. First of all, as I said at the, um, at the press event with everybody, the union, and, and this, is a, this is an involved explanation, but the simplest part of the union is, is that a union today is a disastrous option today for the fighters because it has an underlying legal conflict under it, which is independent contractor versus employee. And so if you go the union route now, you put yourself in a position as a fighter where you'll be fighting about that one issue. Are we independent contractors? Are we employees for the next four years? So the union option now is a very bad option. Now, as some of my lawyer friends have called me and said, well, you've got to follow that up and you've got to explain it completely. There is an explanation 
which it gets into some legal intricacies, but the explanation simply put is this. When we get to a point where WME IMG reaches out and calls us to resolve these issues long term, when that happens and we sit down with them, they are going to say to us as part of that negotiated resolution of all of these issues, you need to become a union. Now, it sounds counterintuitive and it doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm saying, hey, we can't become a union now, but we're going to need to become a union at some point in the future. But it actually does make sense because in order for the UFC, for WMEIMG to secure what's called an antitrust exemption, mm-hmm. we have to become a union at some point in the future. So it's just a step-by-step process, but it is not a process that we want to enter into at this point. A, because it will take years to resolve. So you become an association, you become a trade association, and as more athletes join and more athletes join and the initiatives are implemented, you get more power and you orchestrate and implement, you drive them to the table. Ultimately, we call it the, this is your way out moment where the phone rings and that call will come, but eventually it gets there. So the union alternative now is a very bad alternative, but it will ultimately become the form that we find ourselves in years from now. Now, the other piece of the equation is this, and I was crystal clear on this because everybody can understand this really clearly. You, why on earth would you, you, Ariel, me, Bjorn, anybody, give away a third of something to people who have no long-term vision, no long-term plan, no experience in the space without fighting like crazed dogs to to reach the end goal you want to reach before you file a lawsuit. This thing, if this is filed as a lawsuit, and it's resolved before it goes to court, there's a 33% interest that goes to those lawyers. So if it's a billion or two billion or three, you're talking about real legitimate numbers. Why would you give that up before fighting and, and utilizing every conceivable weapon you have at your disposal to fight first? Might there come a time when we need to file a lawsuit? Maybe, could happen. I don't think it will, but it could. And when we do, We've got Jim Quinn who wrote the book to be able to file it. But for the time being, no way. Don't give up that money. That, that money should go into fighters' pockets. It should go into a pension plan. It should go into a retirement plan. I know you don't want to give away too much of the game plan, but in your mind, is there a time frame, a year, a month, whatever, where you think that you will accomplish your goal? How, how long do you think this takes? I think it takes time. I, I don't. What's time? I, I like five years, three years? Two? Look, if here's the thing, and I don't mean to sound like I'm dodging a question, no, no. I'm getting out of the way of a punch, but the reality here is if I did know, yeah. I wouldn't say, okay, fair enough. You don't, it's, I mean, you know, again, Tim's fighting Kelvin on Saturday and, and Kennedy's not going to step up and go, let me tell you exactly when I'm going to do X. Sure. Let me tell you what my expectation is relative to the finish of the fight. My wrestling blah, blah. blah. I mean, he's not going to say that, nor would we. It could be resolved quickly. It could take an extended period of time. You're talking about people at WMEIMG who sold close to, and these are rough numbers, but close to $2 billion in debt on this acquisition to very wealthy, very well-known individuals. And they made promises to them about where this would go and how much this would generate. And those promises were exorbitant. They were huge promises. You're going to get on the gravy train with us and you are going to eat until you burst. So when you make those kind of promises to people at that level, the likelihood of you going really quickly, eh, you know what, you make a good point, 
CTE is more prevalent in MMA than it is in football. Football's got a disaster on their hands. We should really create a safety net for these guys. This is, we really acted like horrible, vicious creatures. We'll fix it. That's not very likely. So it's going to be a fight. But, you know, it's like any fighter in the UFC or any MMA organization knows, you know, you prepare for a fight. You, you, you do a large camp, you bring in a great team, you have a nutritionist, you have a physical trainer, you've got jujitsu instructors, you've got a wrestling coach, you've got a striking coach, you've got, you got the more people that you can bring in that know their shit backward and forward, the better off you are in, in the chance you have to prevail. And we've got a spectacular team. So it's going to take time. I don't know how much time, but it's going to take time. But we're infinitely better prepared than anyone who's even remotely talked about this. Uh, two more quick questions because we are running out of time and uh, I feel like we could go another hour here. I mean, there's just so much to talk about, but I'm curious just so you can clear this up. As of right now, you make no money off of this. You're not getting paid any kind of salary. I am getting paid absolutely no salary. I haven't gotten paid for the last two years. I've been, I've, every plane flight I've taken, I've bought my own ticket. Um, every hotel I've stayed in, every meeting that I've had in, whether it was New York or Philadelphia or Chicago or Northern Cal, I've picked up myself. And look, I'm not whining. MMA dude was very, very good to me. <laughs> so I got no complaints, brother. I, 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 that that's not anybody pissing and moaning about anything. I have, um, I feel more than comfortable writing that type of check for myself and paying those credit card bills. Have you or anyone involved with the group heard from anyone at the UFC in an official capacity about the launch on Wednesday? No, I saw their placated. It was written by a PR executive that says nothing. Bull Durham comment. We're always happy to talk with our fighters about any issue. I mean, it was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? These guys fight in the cage. They fought in the octagon. The most, the, the best thing that they've got to look forward to long-term post-retirement is the repercussions for fighting in the octagon multiple times. There's no protective mechanism. There's no safety net. There's not a dollar in pension. There's no contribution to a retirement plan. There's nothing there. Nothing. It's not like they've got a program in place, but it may not be as good as we want. There's nothing in place. And this is the most violent sport on the face of the earth. The repercussions for being a mixed martial artist far surpass those in terms of negativity over hockey or football or, for God's sake, even boxing. Even boxing. And boxing has got a real ugly uh, progressive step for its athletes. So, and, and you got nothing in place. Now that's, first of all, that's not the comment. Again, like I said, when we talked, when the you know, press conference happened, yeah. the comment is we're flying y'all in first class. We're putting you up at the four seasons. We're going to give you, we're going to make good on this. We're going to fix it all. We've treated you like garbage. It's time to make this right. God, are we sorry? Please forgive us. That's the comment. The comment's not written by some Yahoo PR executive that says, we're always pleased to talk to our fighters about any issue that they have. Nonsense, ridiculous, offensive, hugely offensive. All right. We will leave it at that. Uh, Bjorn, I wish you the best. It was good to catch up once again. And please keep us posted as much as you can on, on the progress of this. A fascinating story, in my opinion, the story to watch in 2017. So best of luck to you guys. Thanks, man. All right, there he is, Bjorn Rebney, uh, advisor for the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. We'll talk plenty more about this at the end of the show, and I'm, uh, I'm guessing all throughout the rest of the year and next year, there's a lot 
there's a lot more to say. Um, for now, let's move on. Uh, very excited to talk to our next guest. A lot of you very excited to hear from him. Good friend, training partner of one Conor McGregor, but more importantly, one of the very best BJJ practitioners living and breathing on this great planet Earth. He is the one and only Dylan Dennis, who joins us right now via the crystal clear magic of Skype. Dylan, how are you, my man? <laughs> Good, man. How you doing? That is Good a sweet training. poster behind you. We've got Tupac. We've got Snoop. Is that a Malcolm X shirt? No, it's not, right? No, no, no. This is Javonchi. Oh, okay. Look at you. I like Malcolm X, so that's fine. He is the, you know, when I was 12 years old, going oh, to... Oh, in the back. Yeah, right there. Oh, no. That's an off-weight shirt, but... No, no, no. That's uh, that's not Malcolm X. I thought you were talking about the one. I was oh wearing. no, no, no. Yeah, the uh, the the one behind you. When when I was twelve years old, going to a Jewish private school, I used to rock full Malcolm X gear, hat, shirt with his face by any means necessary. I was down with the cause. <laughs> so, that's awesome. That's, that's gangster <laughs> stuff right there. It Malcolm is. X is a gangster, you know. Look at all your Nikes. Like, Look at all your shoes behind you. Why, why do you have them stacked up like that? Uh, just because I don't have too much room living in the city, so I, yeah. um, I train with the guy that runs Nike, so I get a good, pretty, uh, pretty good deal with them, a little, little sponsorship deal with them, so I have a lot of shoes and stuff. If I talked to you this time last year, where you were doing your thing on the BJJ circuit, you were kicking ass, black belt, all this stuff, but you hadn't quite entered the Connor world, the MMA world, would, would, would that, Dylan Dennis, a year ago... What would he say about what's happened to you now? I feel like your celebrity has just gone to a whole other level. A lot has changed for you. Could you have predicted this? I, I knew it since the beginning. I mean, obviously, Connor advanced it and it sped up the process, but I knew I was going to get here um, one way or another. I knew that I was destined for greatness. And even jiu-jitsu, people knew that I was going to be the best. I mean, if you watch me, people know that I, I talk the talk, I walk the walk. And I, I'm I'm the only really jiu-jitsu guy out there that, could do it all. He has fashion. He has. Uh, he, he could talk. He could do everything. You know, most jiu-jitsu guys are the same. They all say the same things. They all post the same thing. So I was always outside the pack of, in that realm. So I always knew I was going to get to where I was. So do you think that's why you have such a good connection with Connor? Because you are like that. You're you're not afraid to just stick stick out and be different than everyone else. Be different than the pack. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why I think that me and him get along really well because we're kind of similar in that sense where. We don't really give a fuck. That we just do. We are who we are, and we don't really hide it. We don't shy away from what people say about us. You know, like I'm still gonna be me. I don't care what the haters say. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm gonna do what I feel is, you know, right about me. And he's the same way. And and what do you say to the people who say like you're trying to be Conor McGregor? You're acting like Conor McGregor. Social media, what you say, your interviews. Have you always been this way, or has he influenced you that much? I mean, go behind. When I met him in my Instagram post, you could see I was saying the same stuff. So, I mean, it, the proof is in the pudding. Obviously, being around Connor would make me a little bit more like him, I guess. But I'm, I've was always been like this since I was born. So, um, yeah, there's no act. That's what people keep saying. Oh, he's acting like this because he met Connor. But when they see me face to face, they look away and they run. So, uh, there's no act here. This is all me. And if you come and meet me, I'm the same way. In a weird way, do you feel like you're kind of like a savior for the BJJ community? Like, this is what they needed? You're the guy who needed to spice up the sport? I mean, I think so. I'm the only one that goes to a Nick game, and the Knicks know who I am. I'm the only one that goes on the streets, and people are screaming my name. That's what I said when I meant when I transcend the sport. There's not like, who's the best guy in jiu-jitsu, Bichesha or someone like that? I mean, Bichesha, much respect to him. He's an amazing athlete, but if you go on the street, probably no one really know who he was or stuff like that, you know? So, I mean, who's going to uh, basketball games, football games, hanging out with OBG, I mean, OBJ, the guys know me. Um, I have rappers hitting me up and stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I transcend the sport unlike other jiu-jitsu guys. I mean, I, 
I think I'm the one building the sport up. I mean, who, how many other people are getting that? How many people know who a jiu-jitsu fighter is when I go to the next game? Uh, Persinkis is like, oh, that's a jiu-jitsu fighter down there. And it's, I mean, how many people, What uh, other jiu-jitsu guys would know that? Wait a second. You're hanging out with Chris Asperzingis? What is going on here? What What is happening to yeah. you at the Knicks game? Tell us, please. I'm jealous. I mean, well, it was with all the players, but he was a fan, and he was saying that, uh, what? Like, oh, the jiu-jitsu guy here, Dylan Dennis is here, and I was like, yeah, that's awesome, and he came, and he hung out with me, and I introduced him to my little brother. That's yeah. incredible. So, I mean, how many other jiu-jitsu guys are doing that? I'm the only one, <laughs> sport. I'm the only one that's talking to rappers, I'm the only one that's hanging out with all these guys, and, and uh, pushing the sport forward, you know, so I think that that's... When I say, when I said it's a fact, it's a fact. So, you know, you, you live in New York City, just a few blocks from MSG. What was it like for you that week, 205, world's most famous arena? You're with Connor, you're with the show, you're with the attraction, you know, the, the, the Rolls Royce and all that stuff. And there you are cornering him. I mean, for someone like you who's from here to be a part of that, what was that like? Yeah, that, was, that was truly a special moment. And I, I think he knew that it would be cool for me. Like it would, it's a special thing for me. Like living here and growing up here, the past four years, uh, it was just it was surreal. I mean, to walk out with him and you know, me and him are so close now. To see him make history in my hometown, it was it was really un, like unbelievable feeling. Being in the streets, feeling all the the presence of people. I would park on the street to go get food, and people would be running up to the car. <laughs> it, it, it was it was a really unbelievable feeling. It's nothing that you can match, you know. But the only thing that I could say about it is that it drove me. To be there one day and, and to do the same thing and win belts in MSG and, and and I mean that was always my goal since the beginning but the the feel the energy of the arena I really I can't explain what it does like it did to me or what it does to me it it drives me to you know feel the same thing. Were you needed as much in this camp? Um, Eddie's a different fighter than Nate. Doesn't have the BJJ bra- uh, background that, that that Nate does. Did they lean as on you as much as they did or were you were you less needed this time around? This time it was a little bit more wrestling and okay. a little bit more, like, I mean, people think that just because you're a jiu-jitsu guy, you can't do other, I don't know, it's it's a weird little thing that people think, but during this fight, I could I could be a wrestler, I could be, I, I, you know, I wrestled before, I could be a guy that shoots doubles and then holds in the guard, it doesn't pass guard, so all I did was mimic Eddie's style, and I did a lot, I studied a lot of tape on him to do that, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was used for this camp a lot, I would do three rounds or two rounds with Connor straight, just trying to take him down and then hold him. Not not as much as a jiu-jitsu guy where I'm taking the bag and I'm doing stuff like that. More just, uh, you know, being a kind of stocky wrestler. And then they would have Artem come in and throw hands. So I was more just there for the grappling. And and when you talk about, you know, dreaming of winning belts at MSG and things like that, do you mean in MMA or in BJJ? In, in MMA. Oh, yeah. In, in jiu-jitsu. I mean, at the level I'm at, the level I'm getting jiu-jitsu too, it might be like that one day. It might be an embassy where I'm winning world titles. Yeah. You know, so one day they're going to need a big arena to hold me in there. So how far away are we from you realizing that MMA dream, you debuting in MMA? Actually, I think very close. Like, oh. There's a fight There's a fight in February that I've been offered, but it's the same day as a jiu-jitsu tournament. Right now I'm in that dilemma of taking take the fight or take the jiu-jitsu tournament. So. It's uh, I'm gonna have to make my mind up soon, but I I feel like it would be soon. I mean, after being at that fight, it kind of it it it, it 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 was like I have to do this. this is what I want to do, you know. But I mean, obviously, I love jujitsu and I love the gi. I love I love competing in jujitsu. I love I love everything about jujitsu. So it it is a hard choice for me, but no, make no mistake about it. If I if I go to MMA, I'm gonna dominate and I and I will win the belt. Which promotion is this for in February? The MMA fight. Uh, CFFC. Oh, okay, that's great. Yeah. You're on the East Coast. I get a lot of offers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that was the only, that was the main thing about it. I liked that being the East Coast and all my friends and family would be able to go. But I mean, 
we'll see what we could do. Okay, so but uh, if you don't take that fight, it's inevitable. It's happening in 2017. 100. Uh, yeah, 100. 100. I mean, I'm young. I'm 23, and I have so many options. So I mean, I can really do anything. I have the world in my hands right now at 23. So I can uh, I can choose and pick and choose what I want to do. Um, did you want to become an MMA fighter before meeting Connor? Yes, you did. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, when I was 15 or so, six. Yeah, probably 16 or 17. Uh, the place I was at. The training, jiu-jitsu training, I was a little bit above it in my in my where my skill level was, so I couldn't really get too many good rounds. So I would train with the MMA team on the ground, like Jim Miller, Charlie Brenneman, and uh, um, a lot of good fighters actually that came out of New Jersey, AMA Fight Club. I was kind of the young kid, and I would just I was a jiu-jitsu guy, but I would do the MMA classes with them just to get good training in sometimes. So uh, I I learned quick the school hard knock, so I I know what it's like to be in there, and I knew what it was like going into Connor, and that's why I did so good training with Connor and uh, the team at SBG. And yeah, I always wanted to do MMA. It was just when and where, you know. Can you make a good living as a BJJ star? Like, can you actually, you know, and obviously you're not making Connor money because that's impossible for anyone but Connor to make. But, you know, for those of us that don't know, like how much money can you make as a as a BJJ star? It's it's hard, you know. I mean, jiu-jitsu life is it's a hard life, but you can make money if you hustle and you grind and you uh you kind of know what you're worth. The thing about jiu-jitsu guys, they don't know what they're worth and they sell themselves short, and then it kind of fucks up everybody else in jiu-jitsu <laughs> because then you're not really if someone if someone accepts free clothes or something. Why is someone else going to get sure. money? You know what I mean? So you have to know what you're worth and you have to put yourself out there and you have to be stern with what you're you're asking for and what you're demanding. So yeah, if you want to make money in jiu-jitsu, you can. You just got to work your ass off and you got to. You got to do privates. You got you got to teach. You got to go seminars. You got to do a lot of things. You know, so it is possible, but it's a lot hard. It's a lot of hard work, and that's why jujitsu guys are so tough. Uh, here's what I like about you. You're brutally honest. So I want to ask you about this because, um, you know, we've seen the rise of a lot of these BJJ promotions and they use a lot of MMA fighters to cater to the likes of myself who doesn't follow BJJ as much just because MMA is 24-7. So let me ask you about a couple of them. You tell me what you think of them, all right? All right, yeah. Metamorris, what do you think? I mean, the things that they did right here were sketchy, but I could honestly say that Holic has never done anything bad to me. He's never he's paid me on time, and uh, he's never done anything bad to me. But he has made some bad decisions with his company. But Holic is a good guy, and I think that he'll persevere. EBI. I like the promotion. I like Eddie Bravo a lot, but the the rule set is not my favorite. I think it's a little, I think it kind of hurts the pure essence of jujitsu, where these guys start in the back and then they uh, they submit the guy and then they act like they actually submitted them. I, I think that's a little bit of bullshit, but I would compete in it and I, I love Eddie Bravo and I, I think it's a good promotion, but I think the rule set needs to be changed. Um, you, you froze on us, but we can still hear you, so I'll, I'll, I'll fight through this. Maybe the video is going to come back. Um, Polaris? You want me to try to fix it? Polaris is awesome. I have nothing nothing bad to say about them. They, they help the sport a lot. They're amazing. And uh, they're a bunch of great guys, so I have nothing. They're they're amazing promotion. I, I mean, I'm I'm happy to work with them again. And then uh, this coming Sunday, as you may know, Chell Sonnen has his second grappling show, Submission Underground, headlined by John Jones and Dan Henderson. A lot of MMA fighters on that card. What do you think of his promotion? I think that's that's the same thing as EBI and the rule set. But yeah. I mean, Chell Sonnen is a is a legend in the sport, and uh, he actually texted me about being in it. I, I wanted to fight John Jones in it. Oh. I don't think he's going to be able to do another match in it. I think that would be a pretty cool matchup. I would love to do that, but I don't think I think he's obviously going to go back to MMA, so that would probably not happen, but I think that would be an awesome match to have. Um what uh, what weight would you compete at if you were competing in MMA? 
I think I would start out 170, and I could probably do 155 later on. But uh, probably 170. I mean, 185. The weight doesn't matter. You know, I can I can dominate any weight class. Are are these promotions coming up? Are they hurting like the the ADCCs of the world and like those tournaments that used to sort of be the, you know, the the heart and soul of BJJ? Or do they help them in your opinion? Depends on which tournament. The tournaments that make these weird rule sets, they give guys a false sense of confidence thinking that they're the best when they're not really the best, which I think is something. I mean, there's are, there are guys that win these tournaments are really good, but there's other guys that they get this false sense of confidence thinking that they're starting on someone's back and choking them. Now they're the best in the world. But uh, ADCC, is everybody knows that's where it's at. That's the real stuff. ADCC, Worlds, and IBGF Worlds, and the Gi, that's, that's the two biggest ones. Those are the ones that if you're a jiu-jitsu guy, you know that's the best what are the chances that you compete in an mma fight first or a high level bjj match what do you think happens first next well next uh, uh i mean i'm leaning towards mma just because damn a lot of people out there there's a lot of people out there that doubt me and i and i i can shut them up i mean obviously i do it for myself but there's a lot of questions i like to answer questions and so i mean it, it is a hard choice because the tournament that is there is a it's a big one and uh I really want to do it too and get some revenge because I didn't do so good the last time. But it is a hard, 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 uh, hard choice to make. But I'm going to talk to my team and make the decision. Which tournament are you talking about? Uh, it's a couple podio lightweight Grand Prix. Okay, it's a, it's a really good tournament. A couple podio. I like the way you say Grand Prix and not Grand Prix. Yeah, <laughs> pride. Let's <laughs> um, go, pride. Friend. If you if you train in MMA, will you train over in Dublin at SBG for a fight? Yeah, I mean. I would have to talk to Connor and John about that, but I, I would imagine I would go there for a month or two or something like that or live there. Um, I'm really close with John Kavanaugh, too, so whatever my decision is, I would talk to him about it. He's one of my mentors and stuff, and Connor is one of my mentors, so talking to them about it first, and then we would make a decision and then figure it out. So I have great teammates here that brought me to where I am, so I have a lot of great things in my life. So if I, need to, if I, do, have a, if I do make the choice, I'm going to have uh, a lot of people behind me. What about stateside? Do you have a team here? I mean, yeah, Marcel Garcia is my team, and uh, for MMA, for, for MMA, not so much. But I do. I grew up in the MMA kind of culture, so I have a lot of friends that would help me. I have sparring. I have okay. everything I need here. But uh, obviously, SBG would be the me. I mean, would be my obviously choice to go if I was going to fight MMA. But yeah, I have a lot of good people here that would help me. And uh, if I fight, I mean, it's not it's not brain science what I'm going to do. So sure, obviously I have the best jiu-jitsu team in the world. So, um, I mean, as you know, uh, recently Connor was, I guess, stripped, if you want to call it that, of his featherweight title. He's not necessarily agreeing to this. In fact, today on his Instagram, he posted a, a picture of him holding the two belts as he was entering um, a private plane, it seems. What do you make of how the UFC uh, treated Connor by taking away his belts and clearly not him being on board with this? Yeah, I mean, it's sad. It, it is sad. It doesn't make any sense to me. There's been champions that have been out for longer. And uh, Connor's one of the most active fighters on the roster, so it doesn't make any sense. But at the end of the day, the way I know the way he thinks and I know the way I think, we're very similar in our thoughts. And the way we see it is, like, doesn't matter what they do; he, they have to come take it off us. So no one's gonna go and get that belt from him. And you know, Jose Aldo could say he's a champ, but everybody knows what happened. And the belts really mean nothing. He's out to be the best fighter in the world, and everybody knows that. So, and at the end of the day, that's what matters to him is being the best in the world. And and that's what he is. How pissed was he when he heard about this? <laughs> I mean, that's probably, but yeah, huh. he was he was pissed. But that, I mean, he knows 
we all know who's the best. So, right. You know, the, the belts don't mean nothing at the end of the day. At the end of the day, the belts are just there. The the pound for pound number one is Connor, I believe, and I think uh, everybody else knows that. So they can make these fake belts, and they're not fooling anybody. I mean, everybody knows who the champion, the featherweight champion is. Where was he going on that flight? Do you have any idea? I think he's doing an appearance or something. I'm I'm not too sure. I mean, okay. I mean him talk still like almost every day, but uh, I think he's doing an appearance. He's doing. He was in Belfast the other day. I think he's doing a couple appearances or something like that. I'm not too sure, actually. Were, were you in Belfast? He's living the good life. He is. The Mac life, if you will. Um, yeah, exactly. Were you in Belfast uh, for that Artem Lobov fight? No, I wasn't. Uh, I, I was, because, I mean, I was in New York, so I didn't get to fly back to Ireland. But okay. uh, I talked to Artem a lot on the phone before the fight and stuff. Uh, I'm really close to Artem, and he had an amazing performance for that. So I was really happy for him. He, he deserves it. He works his ass off. So that was a great fight for him. He gets a super tough at- opponent. In, in in your opinion, the way you view things, how far away are you from coming to the UFC? Because you know, a lot of people, you know, we see Ryan Hall. By the way, let me ask you about this. What do you think of Ryan Hall on Saturday? Very controversial performance. Do you <laughs> I like- loved it. I, I was watching the fight and I was like, I hope they give this to Ryan Hall because for us jiu-jitsu guys, this yeah. is what we need. We need someone like that. Uh, I knew Ryan Hall when I, when I was a kid, so I'm a, I'm a good friend of his. But uh, it was also performance. And I- I don't understand why Gray Maynard's getting mad. If you're so good, you're so tough. Just go on the ground and, and try to, you know. I mean, the guy's laying on his back. When I was a kid, growing up, I was always told you can never back away from someone sitting on their butt. So, there's doesn't make any sense how you're going to get mad and uh, throw a fit about the fight if someone's laying on their back and you're backing away from a man on his butt. So that makes no sense to me. I think Ryan Hall did a great job. He's a really uh, smart guy, and uh, it was an awesome fight. How far away do you think you are from the UFC? I honestly think I could go my first fight in the UFC, and I think oh. I would dominate. I, I and I and I say that a hundred percent being fact. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not a stupid person. I know what I'm capable of, and I know who I've trained with. I know what I've seen, and I know that no one could kind of you know rock me or determine uh, try to beat me. So uh, I always say, yeah, I can go straight into the UFC, or doesn't matter. I'm going to get there anyway. So. Well, uh, yeah, they want to give me anybody. It doesn't matter. Well, you wouldn't be the first guy to enter the UFC O&O, as you know. So, okay, so perfect scenario. Connor makes it happen. You're part of Team McGregor. You debut in the UFC February, March. Who's the perfect opponent for you? Mm. Maybe Sage Northcutt. That'd be an easy fight <laughs> and just to get in there, and that'd be a good easy one just to get out of the way and then you know beat someone that has a decent name. Well, how about you versus the winner of Sage and Mickey Gall? Did you train with Mickey Gall when he was at uh, AMA uh, as well? Yeah, yeah, I'm actually pretty close to Mickey Gall. I mean, yeah, that that could happen. I, I like Mickey Gall, though. I'd rather fight Sage, but, I mean, obviously, there's no friends in this business, so if it came down to it, I would have to, but I do uh, like Mickey Gall, and he's a friend of mine. Or, you know, maybe we could set up that Nate Diaz fight if he, he was the one that wanted it, but, I mean, I haven't heard anything, so. So you still want that? You you think that this is a, a very, you know, even though he has, what, over 20 fights on his resume, you have none as far as that? nothing. Nothing. Yeah, that means that means nothing. No, that mean, doesn't mean anything. I, I always respected Nate. I think Nate's an awesome fighter, but when he called me out, then that's when we have a problem. So I mean, I haven't heard anything from him and uh, about fighting. But I mean, obviously, I respect Nate. I think he's awesome, and I think him and his brother are awesome. But he started this, and he called me out. So if he wanted to fight me in the UFC, make it happen. Have you tried to? Have you tried to make it happen? Have you talked to the UFC about it? I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually. Kind of close to Dana White, so yeah, I mean, uh, I ha- oh. the last fight was a little hectic. I didn't get to talk to him as much, but I mean, they know where I am, so <laughs> no one's got to me about it. When do you think we see Connor fight again? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, he could do what he wants. He's the, the double champ, so <laughs> he can he could pick and choose. I would like to see him fight Mayweather. I think that would be a cool fight. 
You think this is a possibility? hundred percent a possibility. hundred percent. I know he, he he's thinking about it. So I I mean the boxing world is every guy in boxing now is calling him out. So sure. he has an option. But I think him and Mayweather would be an amazing fight. Uh I think that at his at his where he is now, I think he beats Mayweather. So he just got his boxing license, as you know. Um do you think that there's a chance we see him box before compete in, in uh in MMA again? What do you think happens first? Sort of like the question I asked you about BJJ and MMA. Yeah, um, maybe. I, I, I think they have to beg him a little bit more and he'll do it. You know what I mean? They, they, they're all begging him right now. So, I mean, he, he, he's thinking about it. That's all I could say. He's thinking about it and it, it is definitely an option. I know he definitely is on his mind. So, if, they, wow. if these guys want to make it happen, if Mayweather gets some money for him, it, it will happen 100%. Wow. Uh, what what a turn of events! What a turn of events for you in your life! It's been amazing to watch. Good for you, my man. And uh, keep us posted on this potential MMA debut. If you have something to announce, you're always welcome here. Please do come back and share with us. All right. A hundred percent. This would be the place I would announce it. So. Oh yeah. I like that, Dylan. Appreciate it very much. Congrats on all your success. All the best to you. And Thank again, you. keep in touch. Take it easy, brother. I'll talk to you later. All right, there he is, Dylan Dennis. Great to talk to him. Love his personality. Love his bravado. His confidence. And uh, perhaps we'll be seeing him in an MMA cage sooner rather than later. Okay, uh, let us move along to our next guest. Always great to catch up with the one and only Alistair Overeem. It has been a while since we've heard of, of Alistair from Alistair, I think. And correct me if I'm wrong, Alistair. I think this is your first interview since UFC 203. Am I right? Errol Helwani. Well, it's good to be back. Yes. Um, first of all, good to, good to see you again. Well, not to see you, but to speak with you again. Um, and secondly, no, this is not my question. I've done a couple. Damn it. But they were a little bit off the radar in the small interviews. Okay. People that ran into me quickly, a couple of questions. But, um, yeah. Nothing that gets you the worldwide attention that your favorite show, The MMA Hour, does. <laughs> worldwide exposure. Yes. Um, well, it's good to talk to you, yeah. Alistair. It, it really is. Yeah. And I'm happy to hear that you're in good spirits. Um, we have a lot to discuss. But first, I want to ask you about that night in Cleveland. Do you still think about it a lot? Do you still think about what went wrong? Or are you over it? Um, well, I'm, 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 uh, you know, it's one of my traits. I, I always look ahead because if you uh, keep pondering about uh, the past and about what if, and um, that just makes you an unhappy guy. And, you know, I really choose to be a happy Happy guy, and and that's why you gotta you gotta look ahead. You gotta you gotta think about positive things. You gotta create positive things. You gotta do positive things. So that's basically what I've been uh, been up to lately. And you know, of course, you have to learn from your mistakes. So we've analyzed the fight and thought about the fight, and of course, I'm I've got great coaches, and yeah, I am working on a lot of new stuff. Of course, you know, um, everything needs to be better all the time. So we've um, we've been um, yeah motivated again, training hard again, and um, looking forward to my next uh, next fight. You know, and of course, what if what if we did it? What if you ponder too much about that, that just makes you unhappy. And we choose to be happy, so you sure. got to look ahead. Think ahead. That is a great way to look at things. Um, I'm just wondering, do you regret? You know, after it was this weird situation where you said you thought he tapped, and then they put you on the spot on TV, and then it's there, and there's no tap. Yeah, uh, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan put me on the spot, the bastard. Uh, <laughs> Do you regret that? Do you yeah. regret saying that in the moment? Um, well, no, I'm going to say something. My coaches were the one who addressed the issue with me, and they were like, hey, listen, he tapped. I was like, and I, and I spoke with them. I was like, listen, guys, are you absolutely 100% sure? 
And they assured me, yes, we are under 100% absolutely sure. Even the, the audience behind me, they were like, uh, so that's why I picked it up because, um, yeah, because of them. And then Rogan jumped on it and I could saw his eyes flash up. He's like, ah, oh, now I got you. <laughs> so he, he had me in that one. But um, it's all good. It's all good. Um, have you watched the fight since? Yeah, of course. Of course. Watched the fight a couple of times. Um, Is I it... watched the fight immediately after. Oh, really? Okay. Is it hard to watch yeah, just because you were doing so well early on? I mean, it looked like you had him. Well, we came very close. Yeah. Getting in the, in the, in the guillotine, he did an excellent job of escaping the guillotine and uh, pressing the fight after that. Um, you know, and the other thing was that it was over so quick, I didn't really have any damage. It was two right shots right on the jaw. He's got a great right hand, and it was already over. I, I was not gassed. I was not tired. I didn't have any damage. So big kudos to um, to Stephen Miocic. I mean, he's a champion for a reason. He uh, physically very strong, very accurate with that right hand. Like I said before, and um, yeah, he took me out. It was, it was a fairly easy fight, and he escaped the, the guillotine, one of my uh, dangerous weapons. Right. Um, you know, you're 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 obviously a veteran. You're 36 now. If this fight, this scenario for the UFC belt, the way it went down, happened five, six, seven, eight years ago. Would you have taken it so well, or is this just a product of you being around, being more mature, you know, evolving as a human being? Because it really is admirable the way you handled it afterwards. Well, um, I will tell you, I had to give it a, a spot. So after the fight, I went to Miami, uh, spent some time there, then I went to Holland, and, and, and Holland always has miracles uh, on, on me as, as a person with family, with friends. And with my baby daughter, Jazz. So, and then you mentally recover. You're, you're able to give it a spot. You know, you, you went for the number one. You didn't achieve the number one. I mean, I'm vice UFC heavyweight champion, I believe, right? That's when the loser. So that doesn't count, but still something, um, or, you know, and with the other championships that I did achieve, I still have nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, I'm very proud of what I've achieved. And, um, you know, I've got some great people around me. I enjoy training a lot. I'm training to become better. I've already started training, training hard. I uh, expect to be fighting again sometimes in the next couple of months. And, uh, um, you know, you're always as good as your last fight, right? Right. For the last fight, I didn't make it. But uh, when we win again, we're going to be on top of the world again. And so that's what I'm gunning for. That's what I'm aiming for. And I know I have it in, you know? Great. Um, do you have your next fight yet? There was some talk of maybe March. A lot of people wondering when you're going to fight again. Do you know when it is? Uh, well, I'm hoping February or March. Okay. So, um, we're just training. We always train. We always strive to be better. Of course, you got to stay in shape. Yeah. So February, March, that'll be uh, ideal for me. Any idea who you'll be fighting? I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, there's a bunch of top 10 guys, right? Not booked. Yeah. Or probably not be booked at that time. So I also believe that at this level, it doesn't really matter, right? Um if it's if it's a top five, top ten guy, it's it's all good to me. Do you have a preference? Like, if you were the guy who got to choose who you fight next, would you have someone in mind? Well, actually, I don't. Oh, that's a weird thing. You know, I don't. I don't have beef with anybody. I mean, a third fight with Verdum, and with that respect, would be a little bit nice. I could have beef with him, not really, but we have one. We're one on one, so that's something that could be uh, interesting. Uh, Rafa could be nice. Right, I uh, lost two and a half years, yeah, two and a half years ago, I guess, in my last um, loss. But other than that, yeah, Bigfoot was a fight I would um, like to uh, avenge. 
but he's not with the UFC long longer. So, um, yeah, maybe Travis is another fight I would like to avenge. Hmm. I don't think he's top 10, though, but uh, that's just a fight I fought. Should have been in my favor. And, um, yeah, I know I'm just better than that guy. You see, Alistair, why do you need to have a beef with someone to want to fight them? <laughs> well, you don't need to have beef. But it does make that story a tad bit more interesting, right? Right. I, that, I feel like that's something I would say to you, and then you would call me like a snake or a salmon or some kind of other animal. <laughs> sneak in. <laughs> sneak in. Um, no, but I hear what you're saying. We all know. We all know. We both know. We both know. That's right. (laughs) Okay, so Alistair, here's something very interesting to talk about. Um, I was told, and I want you to confirm it, there is a gigantic, some calling it the biggest match in kickboxing history happening this Saturday between your countrymate, Rico Verhoeven, and the great Badr Hari Glory Collision. It's happening in Germany. And I heard... It was also my countrymate, by the way. Yes, yes. Butter is my country. country. That's right, that's right. You're 100% right. But um, I heard that you're a part of it. Is that true? Yeah, well, the funny thing, uh, <laughs> that is very true. Oh, okay. I'll be com- I've been asked to um, be a um, live commentator for the show. I love this. So this is going to be my uh, second time commentating fights. I did it once before for, um, what was it, Legacy or, or Titan fight? I don't remember which promotion it was. Uh, some time ago, a couple of years ago, I did live commentating, uh, liked it, and at the glory they thought it would be nice if I uh, joined the, the commentary, commentary crew. So that's what we'll be doing uh, this Saturday. I was already going to attend the fight, because of course this is the biggest kickboxing match of, uh, of, of, um, well, of, the, of the last period, actually, because since the K1 uh, fell away, there's not really been these, these super fights that you're really looking forward to watch, but then... You have the champion, Rico Verhoeven, who's been um, two and a half years undefeated. And uh, calling out Badahari, who's uh, yeah, a little bit the bad boy of the K1. He was a K1 minus 100 kilo champion. He never won the, the Grand Prix. Uh, but he basically defeated everybody, all the top guys at one point. Never won the tournament. But um, he's seen as one of the dr- most dreadful, dangerous fighters. So there's a showdown between uh, the new champion, the new kid on the block, that's Rico, versus the old, dangerous, um, yeah, legend. I, I don't like to call Bother a legend because legend seems like he's an old guy, but he definitely has beaten many legends. Yes. And um, he's seen as one of the more dangerous, if not the most dangerous Kevin fighters at that time. So this is a brilliant move by Glory. Um, as As you know, and others may as well, uh, it's pay-per-view this Saturday. You can also get it off UFC.TV, the prelims airing live and for free on Fight Pass. You'll be calling all the yeah. fights as well, right? Um, I have not had a look at my schedule, but uh, <laughs> probably I'll be commenting uh, that, the, the main card uh, for that evening, yes. You like this? Not even sure. Is this something that you like doing? Well, I've, I've done it only once before, right? Yeah, but did you uh, enjoy it? I like it. Well, I do think that um, it, it carries a, a special load because, of course, uh, I'm the K- I'm K1 2010 Grand Prix champ. Besides that, I've um, fought Badahari twice. Yeah. I've trained with Rico Puba and I've trained with Badahari. I've trained with them both. They're both great athletes, great fighters. Uh, so I do think that um, uh, I, it's, it's a special thing to it that I'm, I'm commenting these fights. 
right, I, I do know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know them very well, as you said. You fought. Um, you're one on one with uh, Badahari. You know Rico very well. You've trained with him. Um, so, can you tell us, given the fact that you know these guys so well, who do you favor going into the match? Well, um, I would go. I would. I would say Bader. You know, if, if, even if you just look at it uh, on paper, Bader has a lot more fights, a lot more knockouts, an extremely high knockout ratio. Um, he has height advantage, reaches advantage, weight advantage. Uh, and if you look at Rico's list, of course, he's a run for the last two and a half years, but he, uh, he has not beaten, he has beaten some names, but he has not beaten the, the, the number of names that Bader has beaten. So my, my guess is not a hard. Wow. Do you think he finishes him? Does he knock him out? Um, I think that is a, a possibility, a big possibility. Happened, yes. What's your relationship like with Badahari these days? Well, um, we trained together a couple of years back, 2013, for a short period of time, so I don't know him that well. But uh, yeah, it's actually relaxed. It's cool. I mean, there's no tension. Uh, there was a huge rivalry back in 2008 and nine when we fought. Um, but we're cool. I mean, there's a mutual respect. Is his story a bit of a, a sad one for you? Like, it seems like, you know, some of these issues outside of the ring and the sport um, have have stunted his growth and, you know, he hasn't fought since 2015. Do you feel like, you know, he, he didn't realize his potential, that he could have been a lot better than, than what he currently is? Well, I believe that uh, he definitely did not reach his uh, full potential. Uh, that's one thing, uh, undoubtedly, for sure. Um, you know, because he, he, he has basically beaten everybody. He's beaten Sammy Shields. We went one-on-one. I beat him the first time. He, he um, knocked him out, and then he, he, yeah, he basically beat me back in the Grand Prix of 2009. So when he puts his sights um, to doing something, he gets it done, right? Because he really wanted to, to, to beat Sammy Shields. He had a very bad period before that. He um, got disqualified in the 2008 Grand Prix uh, for illegally kicking Raymond Benjamin while he was grounded. And then weeks later, he fought me, which he lost by KO. But then he came back so hard by beating Sammy Shield. He was at that time uh, the K1 champion. So he has his way of coming back. Um, now, he's not really been gone, right? His last fight was a year ago. But, uh, of course, there's a lot on the line for this fight, as um, it is basically seen as, the, as, as one of the bigger fights for the last five years. And Rico, like I said, you need uh, you need to tango. Rico has had a tremendous last two and a half years. Um, his last fight, he won a knockout with uh, with that very goodly timed low kick. And of course, there's a little bit of bad blood because Rico is calling him out. I've done that a couple of times uh, because, of course, Bada was uh, retired. But now he came out of retirement, so it's going to be yeah. It's, it's, it's two big guys. They're both 250, 255. They're both 6'5", 6'8". Uh, it's a little bit um, slight weight advantage, slight, slight height advantage, but it's a uh, it's a fight to look forward to, and um, it has worldwide attention, so it's looking good. Yes, um, you know, as you know, last year we had Rico on the show and we talked about you, and he had some interesting things to say. He said that you're not a kickboxer, that you don't like to get hit, that people figured out your style. Where does your relationship stand? <laughs> That's not really nice of him to say. I know. That, that, that doesn't really sound nice at all. No, I agree. I stood up for you, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> oh, what did you say? 
uh, I said that Alistair is a kickboxer, that he does like to get punched, and that none of you know his style. He's the damn champion. He's the uh, the Grand Prix champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm a little bit surprised by that, but um, on the on the on the other hand, I can't be bothered. I'm I'm fighting in the UFC. Uh, obviously, of course, there's always going to be some uh, some tension and some stuff said, but um, yeah. That's that. That's all you have to say about it. Well, what else do you want me to say? <laughs> well, because uh, the, the 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 fan out there. No, no, well, the, the fan out there will say, oh, of course Alistair's picking Bader because he doesn't like Rico because he said these things about him. No, 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 no. That's not the case at all. Um, yeah, I never had a fight with Rico. Rico is to a different sport. Okay, w- would you... I guess if Rico wants to fight me, then he needs to come in there because there's no way I'm going to go back into kickboxing. You're done with kickboxing? It's yeah. over? Yeah, I'm done with kickboxing. And of course, right, we went in there. Yeah. You can imagine how I went in there. I was supposed to rematch Krokov for New Year's Eve for the Dynamite Show. Yeah. The Japanese, three weeks before the fight, said, listen, Krokov fight is not happening. Fight K1, Badahari. And, okay, I was trained. I was ready to go. I was like, you know what? You know, I'll just do it. That's how I got into K1. <laughs> and I remember telling myself, when I knock Bada out, I'm going to challenge the champion who was Raymond Bionski at the time. And then I'm going to bang him too. And um, that fight, uh, I lost some decision. And then I vowed I'm never going to kickbox again. I'm done with it. But then in the summer, um, for the final 16, the votes, the Japanese votes had a chance to vote who they'd love to see in the final 16. And my name came up on top. So that's basically, they voted me to be a participant. And then that's how my invitation for the final 16 came. And uh, I was like, you know what, let's, let's, let's do this. Sounds good. I'm, I'm honored to be chosen by Japanese fans. And actually participating in the final team, I, I don't know, I fought, um, I think, when did I fight again? I don't know who I fought. I, I won by KO. But that tournament, that's such a huge hype around it. Then, of course, you advance to the final eight in December. Yeah. And I liked it. I liked the attention. I liked J- Japan. I liked kickboxing. And that's how I got into K1. And, uh, of course, that year I didn't make it, but 2010 I did. But um, that was a one-off. I mean, uh, then I became champion. I achieved my objective. I fought most of the guys. I didn't fight same show. But uh, that was also one of my objectives. I, we never fought. But then, um, one second. <laughs> what happened? <clears throat> yeah, my daughter. <laughs> sad? She was, I don't know what happened, but she's in the next room. <laughs> but um, Was that Storm? It was, yeah, uh, no, it's Jess, my oh, second daughter. That's right. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. No, but then, then my objective was met, and um, K1 went bankrupt, and then I just uh, restarted the focus on MMA. So to me, to go back into K- yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Why no. would I do that? I mean, I'm totally into the MMA now. MMA is making, um, you know, and then that's because UFC is making a huge development. Right, all these you got the grounds, you got submissions, you got takedowns, you have striking. It's it's you got to keep up with that. If I go into kickboxing now, I'm never going to go back and down because MMA is a sophisticated sport. Sure, a lot of things are at play. You got to watch your diet, you got to do strength and conditioning. There's so many different factors, so many so many more factors into UFC and You have to keep up with that, or you're going to be lost. You're going to be doomed. Um, do you do you think that he would make a good MMA fighter? Did you see his one MMA fight, Rico's? Do you think that he would make a good MMA fighter? 
Uh, well, uh, I, I believe he's not too old. He's still um, young, right? He's like 28 or 29. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is that is a little bit on age, right? Because as a heavyweight, you have still 39. So he still has like 10 years. If he would put his mind to it and focus uh, on what needs to be done, then I can see him um, yeah, breaking some bones. Yeah. But uh, that will take some time. I mean, he's going to have to invest years into it. Sure. Um, and, um, you know, of course, you got to pay bills. you got to do stuff. So that's for him, too. Uh, um, he has his, um, uh, you know, uh, with Glory, he has his, uh, his contract. I don't know how, how that situation is. But if he would devote himself 100%, then, of course, he will make, uh, he'll be able to do something. Will he become champion? I don't think so. Because, of course, there's a huge difference. He's 29, 28, 29. If you're going to start wrestling at 28, 29, I started wrestling when I was 14. It's a huge difference. Sure. Um, one last... Then let's go back to challenge, challenging yourself. And for that fact, if he would challenge himself that way, I would respect that. Because, of course, you're going into a whole different unknown field and that I can always respect. Because that was basically the same for me when I went into K1. It's a different world. Different opponents, different techniques, different distances, different everything. And, uh, yeah, if you go into that world and you perform well, but even if just go trying it, uh, I think it deserves respect. Right. Um, by the way, before I let you go, uh, Junior Dos Santos, very eager for a fight, has said he's interested in fighting you. I know you beat him not that long ago. Does that interest you at all when thinking about your next fight? Yes. Yeah. Oh. All right. Yeah, why not? I like I mean, it. As a fighter, you should never say no. I'm not going to deny him, even though um, I won by KO. Um, I actually uh, respect him after the fight a little bit more. He was he was talking a lot before the fight. There was a lot of things said. But, um, yeah, we fought. I beat him. I looked him in the eye. There was respect after the fight. So, yeah, to me, it's good. I like it. All right. Well, good to catch up with you, Alistair. Good luck on Saturday. We'll be watching. Uh, in my opinion, you can make a case that this is uh, the biggest fight this weekend, regardless of uh, sport, uh, regardless of promotion. Bader Hari versus Rico Verhoeven just got a whole lot bigger because Alistair Overeem is going to be the color analyst on uh, Saturday in, in Germany. That is fantastic. What a brilliant yeah. idea. I love it. I love it. And thank you for coming on this show to announce it. Uh, and it's good to catch up. And we'll talk to you soon. And when you have another fight, we'd love to talk to you again, Alistair. Hey, Ariel, it's always my pleasure, and um, I have the feeling we will be talking again soon. Oh, oh by the way, Alistair, did the c- commission in Ohio actually charge you $500 for being late to the weigh-ins? I wanted to ask you that. <laughs> I actually don't know. Maybe <laughs> they did. I'm sure they did. That was classic. Sure that was classic over Yeah, I'm sure they did. And listen, Ariel, I also have something to ask about you. Oh, okay. <laughs> what do you want to ask me? Um... Well, you're, you're going to UFC events again, right? Yes, of course, Alistair. I heard that something happened with you or something. I mean, welcome to June, Alistair. I mean, it's such old news. You're asking, come on, you got to keep up with the times. I was at your fight. It's only a couple months ago. What, what happened? I was at your fight in September, three months later. <laughs> but what happened? Look at Tell you trying to happened. start. What do you mean, what happened? We all know the story. What happened? I did a whole two-hour show on it. I broke some news. They were unhappy about yeah. it. They had nothing else to do but to kick me out. The people spoke. There was an uprising, and they brought me back 48 hours later. They recognized, it was a, it was a the, they recognized that this show can't go on without me. 
You understand? They recognize, they recognize greatness, right, Ariel? In so many words. You said it, not me, Alistair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, amigo. Hey, listen, always fun? Yes. I appreciate Talk it. Talk again soon. All right. Much love. <laughs> there he is, Alistair Overeem. Always causing trouble. Appreciate his time as always. Okay, let's go to our next guest, patiently waiting. Big win on Saturday night over Gray Maynard. We're talking to Ryan Hall right now. Ryan, how are you? Hey, Real, I'm doing well. Thanks. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, a fascinating fight to watch, as you know. A fascinating response to your fight. What's it like winning a UFC fight in that dominant fashion, going back online, and then seeing people say, oh, you know, some people are having to defend you, others saying that this is the worst fight they've ever seen. You just went in a cage for 15 minutes with another man, a very heavy hitter. You, you dominated him, and you have to answer this. What's that like? Um, you know, honestly, I really don't pay too much attention to what people have to say. Um, you know, uh, I guess, you know, anytime you do something a little bit differently, there's going to be mixed reviews. And, uh, you know, as long as, you know, I and my coaches are happy, um, with, with, you know, kind of the way that we're conducting ourselves, um, and, and the result, you know, ended up being a positive one. then then that's really what matters to me. Were you happy with your performance on Saturday? Um, yeah, of course, you know, no, nothing's perfect, but, uh, you know, I, I felt that I was able to go and execute the game plan and, and more or less neuter a very, you know, dangerous opponent, you know, a guy with a lot of experience, a bigger guy who, uh, you know, is, is beaten some of the best in the world. And, uh, I think he landed one clean punch and one illegal kick on the ground. And that was pretty much it over the course of 15 minutes. You know, I've, I, he refused to engage me on a lot of different levels and, uh, you know, uh, that was that was a choice he decided to make. But, um, you know, Gray's a very tough guy, and I was, I was very happy for the opportunity to face such a, a decorated champion. Is it disheartening to, to see that some people just want Rock'em Sock'em robots and, and can't appreciate that there's different facets to MMA? Is that disheartening for you? Um, you know, it's just, it, it's the nature of the game. You know, for the most part, uh, when it comes to fight sports, people, you know, most of the experts don't know what the hell they're talking about, in my opinion. That's and, uh, you know, to say, you know, nothing of, of the fans, obviously, you know. So, you know, people are going to look for a certain type of fight. Gray was looking for a certain type of fight. But, uh, you know, the reality is, is that, uh, you know, at least in my opinion, the, the goal is, is to hit and not get hit. And, yeah. and was fortunately able to do that in this case. See, I find your fights to be so fascinating because I feel like at any moment you can submit your opponent. And I'm always curious to see if they can negate your style. It's a unique style. It's unorthodox. But it's not dull by any stretch of the imagination. What is the message to those who can't quite figure it out, who don't know how to wrap their heads around it? Um, you know, uh, I really just don't have anything to say. I, I hope that the things that I do speak for themselves. And, you know, I just try to carry myself in a... In a uh, a respectful and a respectable fashion. I do my best in there. Um, you know, I'm facing tough opposition with a heck of a lot more experience than I have in mixed martial arts. And I'm um, trying to bring something different to the table. You know, for in jiu-jitsu, I was able to, you know, over the course of my time there, kind of impact the court, impact the direction and the flow of the way that the game was played. And, uh, you know, if, if we're able to do that in MMA as well, that would be, you know, that would be a pretty neat achievement. But in reality, I'm just trying to, fight in the way that feels right for me and, and, you know, develop myself as a martial artist. And if people can appreciate that, fantastic. If they don't, that's also fine with me. Um, they're, you know, I, I encourage them to watch what they like. The unbiased viewer can also say that Gray didn't engage enough with you, that the, the, the blame should fall on his shoulders. Do you agree with that? Uh, I would agree with that. Um, you know, um, the, again, I was, dominating the fight um you know at range you know i'm I'm just as ugly as i ever was or as gray as slightly uglier than he was when he started 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's, he wasn't effective there. If he's expecting me to trade punches with him in the pocket, I'm a better boxer than he is. But that doesn't matter um, because I, I try to understand how competition works. Um, it, it's more about not doing what the other guy needs to be able to do to be effective. And as a result, you know, I, I don't feel the need to engage him in that on that level because, you know, even if I'm a better boxer, the reality is that I'm certainly no, no Manny Pacquiao, no Floyd Mayweather. So better is a relative thing. And, and you know, it's, it's not so much that I can't be touched, that I can't be hurt. And, and he's very, very dangerous. And MMA is a... It's a tough sport, you know. When you talk about other ring sports, someone gets knocked down. You get eight, ten seconds to collect yourself. You get to have that heroic moment. It's pretty cool. With an MMA, when you eat a bad shot, people just pounce on you. It, uh, it changes the nature of the game, and in my opinion, I believe it should change the behavior as well. Um, you know, when when I slide into guard or roll into the legs or or even hit the ground, you know, to protect myself from punches, Gray is under no obligation to back off. He he and anywhere else are welcome to come down to the ground. And and you know, for the people that think that. That's passive. You know, I, I would disagree. Um, I'm conceding a certain portion of the fight to invite them to another. And, uh, you know, Gray would, you know, if he felt like sliding into guard or pulling guard, you know, I would have uh, welcomed the opportunity to come on top had I had the chance. So that's, that's a choice he elected to make. It's a choice that's within the bounds of the rules, both for him and for me, and uh, just played out the way they did on the night. Have you seen some of his comments afterwards? And are you surprised given how long he's been in the sport, that he's a veteran, he knows the game, that he would react this way? Um, you know, it's, I, I have seen some of his comments. Uh, you know, I, I can understand being frustrated, but, you know, um, <clears throat> he thinks I ran. I think he ran. You know, I kicked him in the head a bunch of times. But, uh, you know, the reality is that we're, he and I are probably never going to see eye to eye. I mean, he has a lower back tattoo. I don't. <laughs> um, we, we make very different decisions and, uh, that's fine. This is America. People are able to do that. And I respect his position. <laughs> very good answer. You know, uh, my favorite part of the whole fight was, uh, the face that you made after <laughs> when they announced you as the winner, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, uh, tough noogies for all of you. That was a great face. Do you, do you do that oh, face a lot? You. I feel like you do that face a lot. And, you know, I'm just trying to be myself, you know, I, I just, try to stay I'm pretty relaxed I don't yeah. really get nervous about fighting I like it I do my best and uh, you know hope for a positive result but what matters is that I you know go for it and try and uh, you know the results will be what they'll be if people like it they do if they don't they don't and uh, I'm just going to carry on with doing what I do <laughs> what do you enjoy doing more uh, like a high level BJJ match or a high level MMA fight at this point what do you enjoy being a part of more fighting by miles really uh, oh by absolute miles yeah um why uh, the jiu-jitsu community has gone in a direction that I'm not entirely comfortable with. Honestly, what? you know, from a variety explain? of different angles. Um, you know, just the rule sets and the attitudes and the the way that people seem to be conducting themselves. I'm not a big fan of. Oh, um, you, you know, it's just uh, I don't like all the social media stuff. I don't like all the the trash talk nonsense. You know, I don't like the seeming disconnect that exists between the truly elite competitors in jiu-jitsu and and the everyone else at this point. But it's turning into an Instagram, you know, fan fest and. Uh, it's just not, it's not the same sport that I came up in, you know, um, really for me, it was always about fighting and, uh, and being able to fight. And I always viewed jiu-jitsu as a fight without punches. And although there was certainly a period of time where, you know, what I was doing would, would not have been suitable for MMA, would not have worked. Um, the, you know, the, the understanding that it was really, that MMA is, is the mountain to climb is the real thing. And, uh, was, was very, very important for me at all times and, and kind of, 
put me on the path that, that have been able to, you know, walk, walk to this point here. And, uh, you know, fighting is in, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, being MMA is the realest way that we can pull that off safely, you know, and, uh, getting to be a part of that is always, uh, is always a fantastic experience. So I would never trade that opportunity for a grappling match. That being said, I really do love you to enjoy it. It's just, uh, uh, one one's a little bit more serious than the other. So it's funny that you say that, and it's interesting to hear you say that because um, had we not talked to Dylan Dennis like an hour ago, I would have said, oh, so are you not a fan of his type, you know, with the social media, things like that. He just told us that, he, you know, he's a good friend of yours and that he supported your fight and that he loved what you did out there. Uh, do you feel oh, otherwise? nothing negative to say about Dylan. No, Dylan's a, Dylan's a nice guy. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, on a personal level, I, I like a lot of people. It's just... Uh, it's just the game. The game has changed a little bit. You know, I have nothing that uh, Dylan's an excellent competitor. And obviously, you know, we competed for the same team in jiu-jitsu for a number of years. And, uh, you know, his instructors are friends of mine. His teammates are friends of mine. And uh, he's a nice kid as well. I've known him since he was a purple belt. And he's very, very tough now. And it's been great to see him do so well. Um, it's just, you know, it's just the nature of the game. And, and I've always, you know, kind of, I, I, I think maybe at least carried myself a little bit differently than, than some of the others. And uh, I just try to do what's, what's comfortable for me. But, uh what what I care most about is just martial arts and you know and and that's about it. So the everything else and the the you know the comparisons to organized crime figures and whatnot that really just doesn't oh. uh, doesn't get me up in the morning. <laughs> so you're not a fan of his social media persona. Uh, I'm not a fan of anyone doing that sort of thing, regardless of the purpose. Regardless of that, you know that that Dylan doesn't need me to sign off on his life. Of course. Know? So he's doing just fine. And uh, and again, I support him as a competitor very much. How do you feel about like the the um, the rise of the EBIs of the world with their with their rule set? Um, Chael Sonnen has a promotion, and they've adopted the same rule set. How do you feel about these groups? Um, you know, uh, it's, it's neat to see the the impact that they made, um, and there's definitely some uh, some very good competitors in them. That being said, uh, they are certainly not elite level competitions, and there's they're in large part responsible for the disconnect between the very top guys and the everyone else. Um, but you know, at the same time there, uh, it's, it's a great exposure for jujitsu. It's, uh, getting people the opportunity to start to make a living. It's nice to see, um, certain people going and being so successful. You know, it's been fun to watch Gary Tonin compete. You know, uh, there's been other guys, uh, Eddie Cummings has shown a lot of great, you know, footlock, interesting knowledge and whatnot. It's just, uh, the rule set is not something that I agree with on any level. And I think that it absolutely is taking jujitsu in the wrong direction. Wow. Um, are you interested in trying to bring it back to where it once was, or are you done with competitive jujitsu? I am absolutely done with competitive jujitsu. That being said, you know, I mean, I think that uh, what ends up happening is that, you know, the IBJJF is a fantastic organization that also has a lot of problems. Um, I'm not the guy with all the answers, but uh, I think that unfortunately sometimes, you know, and I can speak to, I'm, I'm not above this on any level. Sometimes you throw the baby out with the bathwater and you say, Hey, I don't like advantages or I don't like X, Y, or Z happening with the refereeing or I don't like points. And we say, we don't want any of those things when the reality is just an effective stalling call would, uh, <laughs> would, would solve a lot of different things. Um, I don't like seeing wrestling be removed from grappling, which it effectively has been at this point in the sub only things. I don't like seeing people starting on, you know, dominant position without earning it. You know, I, it's just, entertainment value is not something that appeals to me. What appeals to me is martial arts. And, uh, you know, but again, I'm just one, one person's opinion. And, uh, you know, that these tournaments are being very successful. It's just, I, uh, I see jiu-jitsu going in a, in a direction that is increasingly less suitable for fighting in my opinion. But then again, that's just my opinion. 
again, I enjoyed the fight greatly, so I'm not I'm not criticizing it by asking you this, but considering it's so polarizing, um, did you receive a lot of support from the jujitsu community? Did a lot of people reach out to you and say, "Loved what you did. Keep it up. You're representing us." Or did you not get much much of that? Um, no, I mean, I, I feel I don't know. I don't know about the jujitsu community. I, I can't say who's really a part of that and who's not. But I was very thankful to receive, you know, a bunch of supportive messages. Uh, it was very nice of people who, who I, I guess, enjoyed what they saw and. Uh, you know, then that's very flattering. And, and again, if people like what they see, that's, uh, that's, you know, it's nice. And, and I'm happy for that. That's not why I do what I do, but, um, you know, it's, it's very nice, uh, at the same time, you know, and I, I said this on, uh, uh, my friend, uh, Kenny Florian's show earlier today, I, I do not enjoy being, uh, you know, an even semi-public figure and, you know, having a bunch of people just be able to tweet at you, all this nonsense is, you know, it's not something that, uh, that is terribly great, you know, but you know, what you're going to do, it's a, uh, it's a part of, of being involved in the entire thing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't speak for the jiu-jitsu community. I don't speak for anybody but myself. I, I hope that, uh, you know, that, that maybe I can bring something positive to the table, but you know, the Marcelo Garcia's of the world, the Roger Gracie's, the Damian Myers are certainly already doing that. So, uh, I, I don't think they need me. <laughs> and I love that you gave a shout out to your friend, Kenny Florian and his show. Um, which is a great one as well, the Anakin Florian podcast. You have been averaging like, uh, you know, a fight a year at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> are, are we trying to be more active in 2017? Um, well, uh, you know, I, I, I'll be as active as it makes sense to be. Um, you know, I, I enjoy fighting, but, you know, the most important thing for me is to learn and grow as a martial artist. And I hope that I was able to demonstrate some of that growth in this fight, you know, past um, you know, I was supposed to fight twice last year, I guess, uh, because I had a fight in July that unfortunately was canceled because my, my opponent got injured. But, uh, yeah, if, if I could fight sometime later this year, uh, or rather uh, early next year, mid, you know, summer, something like that, that'd be fantastic. But, uh, I, I do not anticipate ever doing the four or five fights a year thing. I don't think that's an intelligent way to approach the game. Okay, but but you are in it for the long haul. I mean, you have aspirations to become a champion. You, you want to pursue an MMA career. That, that That's correct, right? Um, you know, I, I'm in it for as long as I like it I'm okay. in it for as long as it makes sense to me, uh, you know, as a, as a vehicle for growth. And right now it certainly does. I love the experience. I feel very fortunate for the opportunity to compete at the top level. And, and, and I would never disrespect the, the amount of hope, help and, and assistance that I've gotten from, from all my friends and coaches by just saying, Oh, thanks. And just packing it in, you know, um, that being said, you know, I, I know what my level is in jujitsu and it, it, goes well, well, well beyond my level of accomplishments. And uh, the reality is that sometimes you you climb the mountain and you get the, the gold medal that everyone sees, and sometimes sometimes you don't. And certain things are in your control and others are not. At this point in my life, I do my best to focus on what's in my control, which is, uh, you know, trying my best, focusing on what I need to do to, to learn, um, trying to be a, as decent a person as I can reasonably be. Um, and... Uh, and and that's all I can that's all I can really say. Um, you know, if that ends up being champion, that would be amazing. I, I would hope for that, but um, I hoped very deeply for that in jujitsu, and it, and it you know it didn't work out. Sometimes, it, partly because of my shortcomings, other things because of other time, other parts for things outside of my control. And uh, you know, the longer I've lived, the more I realized that you know, Conor McGregor could have tripped and fallen or gotten hit by a bus, you know, at any number of times in his life, and we would never know who he is. And we would say, ah, oh, man, that guy could have never have been champion. He was only two and zero, and then he, you know, he just got hurt. But he was just he knocked a couple guys out. But whatever, 
And, you know, because the stars have aligned, he's had the opportunity to have great performance. That's great performance. And we see the fantastic athlete that we have before us today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you wonder how many LeBron Jameses are out there. You know, maybe statistically speaking, not many, but numerically plenty, you know, that blew their knee out or didn't stand in the right gym at the right time or didn't have the right game when the right guys were watching. So really, you just try to focus on what you can control and uh, hope the rest takes care of itself. Uh, last thing, because it's interesting to hear you say, you know, you're going to do it for as long as you're happy and you don't like to be necessarily in the public eye. Was there any part of you after Saturday? And I know you say that you don't care about, you know, what, what people say, who kind of goes back to the locker room, goes back home and says, why, why do I need this? Why do I need to hear other people tell me how I did in a fight or critique my performance? Who needs this crap? Is there any part of you that left a little bit disappointed with just the whole experience to where it soured, you know, your, 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 your stance on MMA? Um, you know, I think it's a fair question, Ariel. Um, you know, basically, uh, you know, I, I think that for at a certain point earlier in my career, let's say, for instance, people booing me during the fight that, um, you know, which I, I tune out, I, I don't pay attention. You know, I honestly, I don't have, um, I don't, when I say I don't care about anybody, I don't, but I don't mean that in a negative sense. I don't wish ill on them and I don't, I just, they do their thing and I do mine. Um, you know, I, uh, you, you, for the most part, tune that stuff out. That being said, you know, you, it, you know, you're a person and you do have a Twitter, you know, so sure. people, you know, send you stuff and then you got to go, Oh, let me block that guy. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it does make you wonder like, oh, okay, I'm, I've gotten up out of two fights in the UFC against, you know, re- pretty dangerous opposition that have been known to, to hurt people before in autumn and, and gray and, and have gotten out of there more, more or less getting punched once. And, uh, that I'm, feel fortunate to have done that, but I, I recognize that that's not a trend that's likely to continue over the long haul. You know, it's just, it's a dangerous sport and it's, uh, you know, and, and no matter how well you, you plan and prepare and execute, you know, things don't always go your way. And even if they do, they don't go entirely your way. And you realize, man, I'm, I'm in, I'm engaged in a dangerous game, you know, for not tons of money. And, uh, you know, I'm approaching it in the way that seems best to me. And then on top of that, you know, right, you know get a decent result. And then you have to hear people complain. Yeah, I mean, on a certain level, you go, all right, come on, that's not really necessary. What am I doing this for? But then you just remember, you go, hey, I, I wouldn't be doing this. I would be doing something else if I wanted money, or I'd be doing something else if I wanted pats on the back. So, uh, you know, I, I just try to do my best to, to, you know, stay in my own lane and uh, focus on what I can control. And, and again, if people think what they think, that's absolutely fine. I don't have any issues with that. Um, you know, again, some people have tramp stamps, some people don't. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Congratulations on going 2-0 in the UFC. Um, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. So kudos to you, my man, and I'm looking forward to your next fight. Thanks so much, Ariel. I really appreciate it. All right, there he is. Ryan Hall, big win for him over Gray Maynard on Saturday night. Hey, you know who was at that fight on Saturday night at the Palms in Las Vegas? The one and only Dan Henderson, the newly retired Dan Henderson, who still remains in the news following his last fight at UFC 204. An honor, as always, to be joined by Hendo. He joins us on the phone right now. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ariel? I'm doing great. So much to talk to you about. By the way, you were at that fight. You were at that card on Saturday. They showed you on TV. Did you watch the Ryan Hall fight? And if so, what did you think of it? No, I missed it. I uh, got stuck and held up and didn't make it in time. And that was one of the fights I wanted to watch, though. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, so I'm bummed I missed that one. Okay, fair enough. So I won't get your take on it. You did, according to Twitter, pour beer down Brian Stan's back while he was commentating. Is that true or false? (laughs) That is false. What? He claims it himself. He tweeted it. (laughs) I... 
I rubbed his back of his neck with a cold beer bottle, but no liquid spilled down his back. Oh, what a drama queen he is then, huh? Yeah. Jeez. All right. Well, then I guess that's not juicy. Um, Why were you there at that fight? Uh, you know, I had some other plans for the weekend and, and that fell through and, and, uh, just wanted to, you know, get out there and watch the fights and, and just, uh, got away for a night with my wife and, uh, had some good time. I had a buddy singing, a country singer singing in town. The rodeo was in town. So a lot of country singers are in town. So I went and watched, uh, watched him play and, uh, you know, had a good time. Now, was this your first time at an event as a fan since your last fight at 204? Um, you know, it might be, yeah. I think it, uh, I think it is. So what was, what was that like for you? Did you get the itch again? Are you coming back? I did not get an itch <laughs> at all. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm completely content with my decision to retire and, and uh, you know, just looking at moving forward now. Um, have you watched the fight against Bisping again? Uh, I watched it about a week after the fight, a week and a half afterwards. And, uh, yeah, I was pretty much thought the same after watching it than I did, uh, you know, when I was there, uh, you know, just a little bit more pissed off again, but that's the way it is. So, so you still think you won the fight, correct? Yeah, I, I didn't think differently. I felt felt that uh you know even a couple of the rounds that I gave him could were were a little closer than I than I actually thought that night I, you know that I would have gave him for sure but uh after watching it it was you know a little bit closer than I expected or saw thought that it was that night if if the judges would have awarded you the fight any chance you fight again and defend the belt no, 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 that would have been uh, that would have been ideal just to to walk away with the belt, you know. But uh, knowing in my mind that that I left everything out there and did everything I could do, and just uh, for whatever reason didn't get the decision, I'm I'm completely content with it, and you know, feel that uh, it left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, but. You know, I'm I'm okay with it. But by the way, who do you think wins, uh, Bisping or Romero? Uh, probably Romero. You know, hopefully they can get his uh, corner stalling tactics uh, <laughs> to a minimum for, for the fight, though. But uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm I would pick Romero just uh, based on his style. So you're not a fan of that stuff, the corner stuff. No, you know, get out there and, you know, he just uh, spends a little too much time kind of cheating and stalling. But, uh, yeah, he's a tough fighter, good wrestler, you know, and uh, powerful. Uh, I think he, you know, is he runs out of gas a little bit, and I think that's going to be Bisping's chance to win is, is basically his gas tank that he always has. Okay, so now here's the interesting thing. Uh, you're not sitting on the sidelines for too long because this Sunday, over on uh, flowgrappling.com, you are competing for Chael Sonnen's Submission Underground 2 event against John Jones, of all people, in a submission grappling match. And of course, longtime fans of this sport and yourself would know that you were supposed to fight John Jones at UFC 151 for the light heavyweight title. The fight got uh, canceled because you got injured and then the entire event got canceled. So there's a history between you two. 
are you coming back to compete because it's John Jones or because you like this opportunity presented to you by, by Chell Sonnen, you want to do a grappling match? Uh, no, it's all because it's John Jones. You know, I wasn't even, even against John Jones. I wasn't overly excited about, uh, accepting it, but, uh, you know, after talking with my wife, she kind of talked me into thinking it was a good, you know, kind of be a fun thing to do. And I didn't get to fight him. And, and this is the next best thing is that, you know, maybe take part of his arm home with me or something. Um, does it does it kind of feel like you can put that whole story to rest after you you compete against him? Is, is that part of the reason why you wanna you wanna compete against him so much? Uh, I don't know. You know, partially, I guess that I could do that, but it's still not a fight, and it's it's not for the UFC belt like the other one was supposed to be. And yeah. and uh, you know, but it was it's still going to be fun to to go out there and and grapple against him. Um, you know, I'm having a good time just going out and a lot, lot lower uh, intensity training with just the grappling than, than preparing for a fight. So it's, you know, been more enjoyable than a, than a, than typical training would be. Sure. And that was actually my next question. Um, how intensive is your training for something like this? Uh, you know, not so intense, I should say, you know, grappling itself can be, uh, I guess a slower pace or a higher pace, you know, just depends on what positions you're in and the, and what's going on. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, just, uh, you know, what you get into it, but I'm, I'm planning on, uh, going out there and getting after him and trying to submit him during the regulation time. Uh, and, and do you and your coaches, do you scout John a lot as a grappler? Are you doing like, are you treating this like it's a fight? Well, I don't think there's a whole lot of footage of him yeah. out there grappling. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do. And, and likewise with me, there's not a whole lot of footage of me grappling you know, maybe some, some fights that I've had here and there have had quite a bit more, uh, stuff on the ground, but, uh, overall I, I don't do a whole lot of that during fights. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people might underestimate my grappling. Now, this is Chael's second event. Um, for those that didn't see the first, how long is the match? Uh, it's an eight-minute regulation time, and then uh, the overtime is with the EBI rules, and that, that you know could be it's just unlimited time, but uh, you know it typically doesn't go that long for the overtime. Uh, do you have to weigh in before this? Uh, yeah, unfortunately there's no weigh-ins. Did you want weigh-ins? It didn't really matter to me. I I just, he just told me and I said, okay, (laughs) not a, but you know, I'm sure I'll be 30, 35 pounds lighter than, than Jones. Yeah. So, so how much do you expect to weigh? Uh, I'm probably going to be around 204. 204. Okay. And, um, do you... Do you like like the, we had a couple of uh, jujitsu guys on the show today, Dylan Dennis, Ryan Hall. Um, this this particular rule set somewhat uh, critical, criticized, if you want to call it that. Like, do you like the EBI rules? Are 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 you a fan of it, or are you more old school? Uh, you know, it, it, I didn't know anything about them until this came up. So I've been, you know practicing a little bit of how the rules go and and yeah i think it's a good idea i think they could they could uh tweak it a little bit here and there but 
you know, I think overall it's, it's, it's a pretty good set of rules. Were you at all concerned that John wouldn't make it to the match given some of his issues out of, you know, out of MMA? He, he suspended all this stuff, the, the pills that he took that forced him out of uh, 200. Were you concerned about that? No, I mean, there's no drug testing for this and, and, uh, you know, so I'm sure he'll he'll be fine. Do you, do you think that throughout his career he has been abusing PEDs? I have no idea what to think. I can't make accusations like that. I have no idea. Um, you know, it, it, I, I couldn't tell you. So, you know, I just know that I don't. But yeah, I don't know what other people do. I remember you were on this program uh, many moons ago, and you said, you know, John Jones just isn't a good person, and he's fake, and you can see right through it. Uh, do you feel somewhat validated after everything that's happened? Um, you know, do, do you feel like, you know, you've you've been proven right? Uh, well, you know, I guess a little bit, but, yeah, you know, it wasn't about him as a person. You know, he just... I don't know him personally. I just knew that he wasn't how he portrayed himself to be on TV. And that's where I had the gripe. And I think a lot of fans uh, would have rather, you know, him just be real and, and they'll accept him for what he is, no matter what, you know, they'll have that choice. But if he portrays himself one, one way and, and goes out and acts a different way and, and gets in trouble all the time, you know, eventually the truth was going to come out, and it did, you know. So I think he's he's kind of owning who he is now, um, you know, and hopefully he, he can uh, learn from those mistakes and, and start representing uh, the sport and everybody himself better than, than, than that. So, you know, he, he got tossed into limelight at a fairly young age uh, uh, and became a star and, and uh, you know, didn't handle it, uh, I guess, the best way. But, uh, you know, who knows uh, how other people would handle that in that same situation. Uh, you know, maybe similar, but I just know that uh, I would like to see him represent the sport well. You know, he's definitely one of the top talented guys out there. And, and uh, you know, he's kind of screwing himself up. Uh, do you feel like he can get back on track? I mean, I thought he was the greatest of all time, and you can't take away what he's done in the past, but, you know, he, he hasn't fought in, in a while, and, um, you know, that one fight that he had upon returning wasn't, you know, a typical John Jones fight. Do you, do you think he can get back on track, or do you think that these these issues are just going to be too hard to overcome? Yeah, I think he's he definitely could get back on track. You know, it's just all about putting your mind in the right place and uh, going from there. He's... Uh, you know, so talented and, and has a ton of potential even now, but he's just, uh, needs to, needs to put his mind in the right place. Yeah. Um, I remember when you were talking about walking away from the sport, you said that you were interested in one of those sort of ambassador jobs with the UFC. Were you ever offered one of those jobs upon retiring? Uh, I have not been re offered that job as of yet. I think, uh, they kind of tabled that until after the first of the year with, with all the uh, things going on in the UFC, kind of need to wait for the dust to settle and then uh, kind of have that conversation then. And, and we'll see what happens either way, no matter what, I will be involved in the sport. Uh, you know, I would just like it to be with the UFC. Um, so after hearing that they let go of Chuck Liddell and Matt Hughes this past week, 
uh, I thought of you right away, and I wondered what you thought of that, and if that makes you think that a job like theirs, this sort of ambassador role, will not be available to you. Well, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what what will be and what where where I would fit in. Uh, you know, I guess you can look at it two ways. Uh, that you know that they're not interested in those type of positions in, in the UFC, or or that there's new job openings. Right. You know, I don't, uh, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm able to do a multitude of things, but it all depends on, uh, you know, how, how it's all worked out and what they want me to do. And, and I just want to have that conversation with them and, and, uh, and go from there. And, and if, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, I'm sure I will get employed elsewhere. Um, so are, are you confident that you will have that conversation? Do you think that that's even going to, to occur? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, but it'll, it'll be in January sometime. Okay. Um, and, and what, like when you say, regardless, you're still going to be a part of the sport, you have a gym. So I'm assuming you're referring to that to a degree, but what else do you foresee yourself doing for the next, you know, several decades related to MMA? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, just, uh, possibly, doing a little bit of stuff with Fox or, uh, you know, who knows? There's, there's a lot of other, the sports growing so much that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things that, that are capable of being done that, uh, that I w- would find, uh, you know, fun, entertaining to do. And, and, uh, you know, I, I've got some ideas that I'll, that I'll run by Dana and then go from there. Uh, outside of combat sports, are there things you want to do as well? Yeah, but that requires money to do. Just <laughs> go out and have fun and, you know, so I'm going to need a job. Okay, well, no, I mean, like, are there any, you know, business ideas, you know, like other forms of business that you want to get into now that you're not a fighter anymore that don't have anything to do with fighting? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm working on a couple, a couple things now, and, and, you know, one of them is uh, called Battle Skin, and... and that's kind of a new product that uh, I'm going to be getting behind and, and pushing out that I know wrestling is needed for a long time and, and uh, MMA as well. It kind of takes care of a lot of uh, the skin problems that a lot of uh, wrestlers have. Ah, so it's like a, a cream that you put on? Uh, it's more of a spray and, and, and it'll be wipes as well. And, and uh, yeah, it just, I've never seen anything work like this does on anything wow you know on on staff on infotigo on ringworm you name it 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 takes care of it so yeah i'm pretty excited about it you put this on before or after the the infection uh either or you can you can put it on to kind of help uh you know be more of a prophylactic and or uh you put on after to kill it and uh so yeah, it, you won't get anything if you put it on before, but uh, you know it's it's one of those things that uh, you see a little spot of something, you put it on there for a couple of days, and it won't even come out. Wow, that's fascinating. Uh, by the way, in the uh, the submission underground fight, uh, you don't you wear uh, no gi, right? So you're just are you wearing a rash guard or or uh, no rash guard shorts? What are you wearing? Uh, I will probably just wear shorts. Okay. No rash guard. Are you allowed to have sponsors on the shorts? Yeah, it's something I even asked, but I, I'd assume so. I've been, yeah, I think I can, yeah. 
Will, will you have sponsors on the shorts on, on Sunday? Uh, I believe I'll have a couple logos on there for sure. Okay. What's the prediction? How long does it take to finish them? Uh, you know, I think it, it you know, giving him his, uh, the benefit of the doubt and being a good wrestler that he is, uh, you know, I think it'll go into the overtime and, and I'll give myself about 30 seconds to, uh, to submit him from there. All right. I love it. Well, good to catch up, Dan. I uh, wish you the best. Thank you very much for the time and uh, best of luck to you on Sunday. Submission Underground 2, Dan Henderson versus John Jones, the main event that we never got. We're getting it, courtesy of Chael Sonnen. Love it. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Best of luck. No worries. I appreciate it, Ariel. Thanks. All right. There he is, the living legend himself, Dan Henderson. Again, Submission Underground 2. It takes place this Sunday, December 11th at... Uh, where's the time? It's somewhere... Sometime in the afternoon. They didn't put the time on this. Anyhow, it's taking place at the uh, Roseland Theater in Portland, Oregon. And it's going to be streamed live internationally exclusively on flowgrappling.com. And you can get all the information on how much, what you get with that subscription over on flowgrappling.com. So best of luck to Chael and Best of luck to Dan Henderson. Uh, also on that card, by the way, Misha Tate versus Jessica I. So they're doing a good job of getting recognizable MMA names to compete in these submission grappling events. Interesting stuff. All right, let's move along. Big fight on Saturday. Tremendous fight. Uh, in my opinion, it was the fight of the night. It was, uh, it was action-packed from the get-go. It was the culmination of the feud, if you will, between Joseph Benavidez and Henry Cejudo, the coaches on the 24th season of The Ultimate Fighter. In the end, the judges gave it to Henry Cejudo. It was somewhat controversial, especially that first round. So let us talk to Henry Cejudo right now, who is joining us via the phone. Henry, are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here, Ariel. Uh, just want to do a little correction. You said they gave it to me. They didn't give it to me. <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah, you did. Oh, my bad. Okay, well, uh, way to pour salt in the wounds. I messed that one up. Um, so my apologies there. Although perhaps it was a Freudian slip because a lot of people actually thought that you won the fight. Have you watched it since? And do you think you won the fight? Yeah, I watched it. I, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily like to talk about the fight right after I get done because I think something that's always separate separating me from the rest of uh, the competition is like maybe just my way of thinking. I necessarily don't uh, don't go into a fight just wanting to win, but to actually dominate. So when I don't feel like I I I, I dominate, sometimes I feel like sometimes I feel like a loser. I guess you know maybe in, in that perspective. But I watched the fight uh, the next actually that same day. Actually, I'm sorry in the like early morning, so I couldn't go to sleep. Um, and yeah, man, I have no idea. I really I'm really surprised. Like I don't know what the judges saw. I I counted every round, all the significant strikes, and I feel like it was just it was just complete man robbery, man. You know, it's, it's a shame at what the judges are willing to do. Okay. Um, I wonder if they're after me. I wonder if they're after me due to the whole uh, you know trying to you know backing up Nick Diaz and the whole yeah you know the the whole Nevada Athletic Commission. I think I, I don't know. I don't know if they still have it out for me, but. Uh, do you think like are you uncomfortable there? Do you, do you think that they still have it out for you? I 
now I do. Like I, I definitely do want to fight Joe eventually again, but I won't fight him in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm extremely cautious uh, about it now. At first, I was like, "Damn, like is this really happening?" Especially when I heard the scorecard. Uh, yeah, thirty twenty six. I'm just like, which <laughs> at least he must have beat me up every single round, and I must have never touched him. Yeah, that that one is truly bizarre. That particular, I mean, I feel like it was unanimous that everyone gave you that first round. Um, but the point was taken away. So, you know, going by that, it has to be a 9-9 if we give you the round. What did you make of the decision to take away a point by the referee, Eve Levine, after the second low blow? Man, I've seen some low blows before. Um, I, I think a lot of them was pretty, maybe... Uh, and again, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to kick him in the in the balls. As much as I didn't like Joe, as much as he's not a fan of me, I'm not a fan of him. And uh, you know, it, it was unintentional. I think cause the whole switching of the stance kind of confuses people. So sometimes I think I caught him midway through. I think the kick might have slipped up uh, up from his thigh into his crotch area. But yeah, that whole one point deduction you rarely see it uh, in MMA, but. It, you know, it was a special case, and and but 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 even with that, uh, Ariel, I was watching the fight, and I still feel like I won the round. I dropped him twice that first round. Um, I got the more significant strike, so that's enough to either me winning or at least having the round even. And then second and third, I was the aggressor the whole fight. So do you think it's you won bad, every you know, round? You know it's bad when yeah. uh, Uncle Dino White calls you and calls you to apologize. Oh wow! The judging. When yeah, did that happen? Uh, that happened yesterday. I, I sent I sent another text. I said thank you for the opportunity. Um, I fought like a warrior last night. Uh, I hope you know you're entertaining. He called me literally like two seconds right after I sent the the text message to him. Is like listen, Henry. I I I'm I I apologize. I'm sincerely I'm sincerely sorry. You won that fight. Everybody that I talked to, Sean Shelby said you won the fight. Everybody that was ringside, there's not one person in that arena that thought you didn't win that fight. I mean, and he just it was it was just a sincere apology. Wow. And uh, I'm just you know it says a lot because I really don't have a relationship with Dana White. That's I just happened to text him and. Uh, and yeah, he he was just he was, he, he was apologetic, man. Did did you ask him why they didn't give you the fight of the night award? I did ask him. I oh, did, and, and that was that was kind of mean because I mean, me and Joe, we we both beat the crap out of each other. Yeah, but I you know I think I broke my left hand. Maybe I'm getting it checked up right now. Okay, I might have fractured. Um, you know, he was beat up. I thought he was way more beat up than I was. I, I took his body. I you know left him with the fat lip uh, his right eye was cut um but uh and I don't know about cut but it was it was swollen um and yeah I was just surprised sometimes you go through, you go through wars like that and you figure that the one and two would have the criteria to win fight of the night it's like man you have these two elite guys that have hated not liked each other for the last six months anticipating this fight and then They'll just give it to some random people that throw a bunch of haymakers. I'm just like, I, I didn't even see the fight that got fought of the night. But I was just looking at our fight, looking at the, 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 the rankings, what were ranked and everything that's been happening. And it's just, and especially me now watching the fight and 
understand that the judges took it from me. And, uh, you know, it's like I lost money, man. It's it's crazy. I waited this whole time, and I followed the game plan. I did everything right. I did everything correct. And, like, everything was just taken from me, man. So, so what, did he, what did he say when you asked him about that? He just said uh, it was he just said it was the, the cards like every fight was good and uh, you know he just told me that he's not the only decision maker that Sean Shelby and and Joe Silva and there's like he, he talks to a lot of people before they actually make a right. a decision out of the night but I'm just like I complained to him a little bit man because I was like man this is you know I, I, we put on the show for you guys I mean this was a freaking this is a, a literally Aztec. This is a uh, Aztec warrior war. That was amazing. Fight. I mean, success. And, uh, you know, my face is still swollen. <laughs> but uh, anyways, man, I, I don't know, man. We, just, we didn't get in area. It's so fortunate. You saw the fight. What, what's, what's your take? Oh, man. What, what a fight. It was maybe the best three-round fight of the year. I wish it was uh, five rounds. I give you both a ton of credit. I mean, the whole fight was fought in the pocket. I thought, I thought you have never looked better in your MMA career. Um, you were so on point, and, and, and it just it just felt like everything was coming together for you as far as the striking is concerned. And I'm wondering if that's why this is hard to stomach. If you agree with that assessment that you've never looked better, and because of that, you know it's being overshadowed by the fact that you lost the fight you thought you won, and you had such a great performance, which leads me to believe you had such a great camp as well. Do you agree with all of that? Yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. Like I mixed everything, and, and again, I think I think Joe actually helped me. Uh, Joe, like everything that he said about me, all that stuff, like it really motivated me. It, it, it brought that it brought that old school back in me, and fighting with attitude, fighting with you know, fighting with grit, fighting with uh, fighting with a little bit of anger. And uh, I, I, you know, I kind of liked it, man. Like I kind of welcomed it, and I, I accepted it, and uh, I did my best to take him out and. I don't know, man. The judges didn't see that. One of the judges is like, I think, is seventy-four years old. Yeah. That judge that the the you know that gave them four rounds. <laughs> I'm just like, God, man, why is this happening to me? That one is truly baffling. So, so for the record, do you think you won all three rounds? Yes, I felt like I won all three rounds. Like the kicks, I think the kicks was the difference. Yeah. I was hitting him with kicks. The two take. I mean, I, I took him down. He never did anything, really. Uh, just maybe a volume. He he, he doesn't, you know. He, he he's one tough human being, and I know that, and I knew that going into it. Like he's just his biggest asset is is, is just just toughness. He's not as technical as I thought, but he's he's very uh, he's a very uh, fearless human being. So I knew that no matter what he did, he was gonna telegraph a lot of things, but he was gonna go out there and you know throw the kitchen sink, and that's what he did. But I felt like I. I did enough to, you know, to get the victory. And again, man, I'm not mad at him. <laughs> sure. As much as I don't like it, it's it's taught. It's it taught the judges, uh, you know, I, I never try to leave it in the judges' hands, but that just shows you how tough, you know, Joseph Benavides is. He's, he's a tough, he's a tough dude, man, but I still felt like I got the, I still felt like I got the best of it. Um, and, and just for the record, the judge that scored all three rounds for him gave him the 30 to 26 because of the point deduction was Glenn Trowbridge. Uh, Derek clearly gave it uh, two rounds to one for him. And then Marcus Rosales scored the fight for you. So that's the breakdown as far as the judges are concerned. Um, you know, so, so the fight happens, 
you know, you're, you're, you're very disappointed. How do you, you know, you go to the back, how do you stomach all of this? Like, do you still feel like you're like, are you still like raging inside? How are you handling it all? Because it's not any kind of fight, right? You, you've, as you said, you've been going through this whole journey on the ultimate fighter, six months with him. It's personal. How do you, as a competitor, how do you digest it? Yeah, it, it sucks. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but I, uh, you know, I, I've learned that I, I've learned to, you know, I, I just gotta, I gotta take my own advice rather than becoming bitter. I gotta become better. And, uh, I'm, I'm just, I've been doing MMA for three and a half years, Ariel. And, uh, I don't think people kind of realize, like I'm, I'm, I'm able to pick up with proper coaching, good training partners. I, I, I have the best option to, to defeat, you know, the pound, the pound for pound. Uh, best fighter in the world, uh, you know, uh, Demetrius Johnson. I'm only getting better, and my time's clicking. Um, I don't even, I don't necessarily, I don't even necessarily see this as a as a loss. Cause I, I think as a fighter, people know, people ha- have an idea when they feel like they've lost. And uh, I just, I don't feel that, man. I feel, uh, I feel robbed, man. And especially when uh, some of his teammates and some of his fans, like Brandon Moreno, came up to me was like, "Hey, man, I'm sorry, dude. You won that fight, man." Mm. His training partners are in this corner. I heard TJ Dillashaw said the same thing, and and everybody. So I think one of one of my friends told me that Eric Shelton thought that I won as well. So I don't know how much of that stuff is true, but when you got people that are that close, I trained with them, and I saw the fight, and they thought that I probably got the victory. It, uh, you know, they shouldn't be saying stuff like that, but it just shows you, man, that uh, I, I did enough to win the fight. Did you ask Eve Levine why he took the point away? No, I didn't. I didn't. I just, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but I, I know if Big John McCarthy was wrestling, it'd it it, 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 it be, uh, it'd be a little different. That's why, it, you know, it, it pays to get the best refs. It pays to get the best judges. Like that, You know, I, I think that judge needs to be, uh, you know, I think he needs to be questioned for, for, such, a, for such a scrummy scorecard, man. Um, you changed your camp this time, right? You trained in California for this? Yeah, I did. I went out to, uh, I, I pretty much, after I lost to Demetrius Johnson, uh, I pretty much, you know, started, it, it started, it started pretty much with a new team. I got rid of my, you know, I'm no longer with my former boxing coach. I'm no longer with, uh, the head MMA coach at that time who was there. Um, I went out there and I put myself in uh, the best situations possible. And I always use the, the analogy of putting myself in deep waters and putting myself in these areas that that I need help on. And, you know, one was particularly the clinch and just mixing up my stand-up and everything. And, and as long as I'm able to make those adjustments, Ariel, I'm, uh, I feel good. I feel you, extremely, extremely good. Are you still with your brother? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm still with my brother, but uh, he didn't quarter me. I have uh, Captain Eric. Yes. They pretty much do, they pretty much do the same... Uh, the same job, but I'm just, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm a little more connected with, with Captain than my actual brother. Cause Eric's a little more, uh, he, he's a little more flamboyant, a little, a little more talkative in the corners and things like that. My brother's a little different. Okay. Um, is it, is it true that you have one fight left on your current UFC contract? I do. I do have one fight left. What are you planning on doing? <laughs> Um, just fight, uh, fight it out, fight out my contract, and then just, just, uh, obviously just take it from there. Do you want to stay um, with the UFC? Oh, uh, for sure. For sure. I do want to stay with the UFC, but I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, especially being robbed, man, and knowing that 
I've only fought twice this year, which really when I fought Dimitri we were in a fight, he took me out pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I had to make sure it's uh, you know, it's lucrative enough for me. If I if I want to be in wars and whatnot, like especially like I was on Saturday, I just wanna be compensated, man. And and I love the UFC. They've been treat they treat me extremely, extremely well. But uh in the future I do wanna have kids, I do wanna I just bought a new house. So if it makes dollars, it yes. makes sense. Amen to that. Uh, as the great Rampage Jackson once said, the cheddar makes it better. <laughs> the cheddar makes it better. Yeah, for sure. Um, for did, sure. But hold on, Aaron. Let me put you on the spot. Okay, okay, please. Did you see the fight? Did you see the fight? Of course I saw the fight. What's your take? Did I win the fight? You can be honest with me. Okay, initially, when they went to the scorecards, I thought it was going to be a draw. I thought you won the first, but then I had to respect the the, the point being taken away. And then I thought you won the third. And then I thought, but the second and the third were so close. Um, I thought it was, it was draw or bust. I thought it was, uh, I mean, when, when I heard the 30 to 26, I almost, I like, I didn't even, I thought I was dreaming because the, the fight was happening so late on the East Coast. I thought I had heard wrong. Um, so I thought that they were going to score to draw. Had they not taken the point away, thought you won. Yeah. You know, when I, so, so if you're asking me like, which rounds do I think you want? I thought you want two out of three. Um, but when I'm scoring it and I have to acknowledge the point being taken away, which I agree is controversial because we've seen worse, uh, done and nothing happens. Then, then I thought it was, uh, what would that equal out to, uh, 20, 28, 28. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Well, do yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I don't know. I have to go, you have to, you have, I have to go back and watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> It only takes me one time to actually see. I think I think it was just the kicks that was the difference. Because again, he's he's very active. He just throws a lot of things, but it's a lot of it's just motion and movement. But I'm talking about actually landing it. Oh yeah. In specific sites with the punches and kicks. I, I just think that was the difference. You looked fantastic. You really did. I mean, it really all looked like it was coming together for you. And I love the the ferocity um, with your punches and 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 the impact and how you were landing and um, you know the 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 tenacity and the pressure. I mean, it really seemed like you were a different fighter from the one that we've seen in the UFC thus far. Um, two other things I wanted to ask you: Do you want to remain at one twenty five? Like, how's the weight cut going for you? It seems like it's all good these days. Yeah, it's good, man. The weight class is good. I just uh, I, I've learned to walk in a part of my lifestyle. Um, and, uh, it's good. I'm, I'm, rec- I'm recovering pretty good. I, I saw Tim Elliott's plan on going up to 35. Yeah. But, uh, eventually I would like to test the waters at 35, but that's going to be maybe, maybe in the future. Okay. Um, but I, I still feel like I have some unfinished work at 125 pounds and, you know, I, I, I don't want to start a new task and not try to, uh, you know, attain something that I feel like, I feel like I could attain. Uh, did you enjoy the experience of being on the ultimate fighter? Um, yeah, I did. I met a lot of good people. I met friends, friends for a lifetime. Uh, King Zulu, who was with me for the last six months, right after the show, he came out here and lived with me. Uh, you know, Adam Antlin, Gilney Shervatov, Alexander Pantoja, all these guys hopped me off in my cab. And, uh, you know, I, I'm extremely, extremely grateful, man. These guys are able to call them friends for, uh, for a lifetime, man. Mad danger. Mm. Um, how are you going to tackle this now? Like, do you think you'll need a break mentally after this, this show and the heartbreak of this loss? Or are you going to go right back in the gym and try to get right back on the horse? Yeah. Well, I think my left hand, I think I might've uh, broken. Yeah. I think I broke it on his chin. Damn. I dropped him. Which round? <laughs> Which round? 
first? Might have been, might have been the first. Wow. Might have been the first, and I was still. Uh, I was just. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I. I don't know if it's broken, but I know it's probably fractured. Okay. My hand is swollen, but I just kept fighting. I just kept fighting like the. Uh, I wanted to. I wanted to give the fans what they wanted. When did you get it checked out? Well, I'm, I'm going to get it checked out here actually in the next hour. I'm going to get an X-ray. Okay. And a lot of it's just to determine what happened with my hands. But no, for me, I want to fight. Uh, I want to fight ASAP as soon as possible, as soon as my hand allows me. Okay. Um, well, keep us posted on the hand. I, I hope it uh, it goes well, the doctor appointment. And again, congratulations on a fantastic performance. Still can't believe they didn't give you fight of the night. Um, you know, maybe they'll give you the, the, the win bonus. Did you ask Dana about that, if they thought you won? Uh, I don't know if they do that. What do you mean by that? Well, sometimes he just gives people the win bonus because he, he thought that, that they won. I mean, there's a precedent for that. But that's just just up to him, you know. It's, well, it's I tell you what, Ariel, since do me a favor, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and text us to Dana White. I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure. I'm sure he'd love to hear from me at this point. <laughs> 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 hey, Dana, uh, we haven't talked in a while, but I just wanted to ask you one quick thing or make a suggestion. Can you give Henry Cejudo? No, I don't know if that'll go over well. You have a better chance. <laughs> you have a better chance, <laughs> Henry. Take it from me. All right. How do I ask Uncle Dana that, man? Because I, uh, it sucks, man. Because it's not just you losing. I know. You know, this, I, I've lost many. I lost many wrestling matches before, but you know, this is man. There's money on the line. There's just you know your 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 you know your your everyday life is uh, is determined on this, and for them to sweep it and take it from you, it's it sucks, man. Rewatch that fight, Ariel. Okay, I will. I will tonight, and I'll let you know what I think, and you let me know by your hand. Um, all the best to you. I hope it goes well. And again, congrats on a great performance, Henry. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, uh, thank you, Ariel. I have, some, I have somebody here that wants to say hi, Ariel. Oh. One second. Do you have any idea who it is? I think I have a, a, a slight idea, yes. What's up, Ariel? Oh, there he is, the infamous Eric. Is it not? How are you? I'm glad. I'm glad you guys got to talk. Yes, awesome. uh, we're talking to Eric Albaracin, the wrestling coach for one Henry Cejudo. You're disappointed as well, I would imagine. For sure. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. We kind of planned for drama in the fight. I even in one of the last barn sessions, I took a point away from Henry during uh, for a low blow, actually, where he didn't really low blow him, but I told uh, Yoni if he kicks you anywhere in the midsection, just go down and say you got oh. low blows. Want to see the reaction? So we kind of planned. We planned for drama, but we didn't plan for robbery. Wow. So, so was this something he was doing a lot in camp? Because of the kids? No, no, no. no I just like I've been in a lot of title fights, and especially with like Pitbull. Yeah. There's always low blows and points taken away, and eye pokes, and I just learned to include that in the during the training camp sparring sessions because. Because they lose composure, you get emotional when sure. when you get a point taken away, and I want them to maintain their composure and you know stick to the game plan. So uh, I had you know you took we took a point away. You're down or you're down around. We gotta we gotta dominate this next round. So we kind of planned for it, and he went out there and performed. Yeah, it certainly worked because he didn't lose his composure. And uh, not sure if you heard, but I thought he he looked the best that he's ever looked in the UFC. So. Kudos to you and the team. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was it was a great fight. I it agree. deserved the fight of the night, I, in my opinion. So for sure, one number one versus number two, fighting for a shot at the belt. You can't get any better than that. Yeah, I think part of his uh, improvement is because of going to CSA, but a lot of it was some of 
We had guys that could go left hand with Adam Antolin, that could go southpaw, and one of the best strikers, the young Anderson Silva, like King Zulu. This guy's amazing on his feet. He didn't get to show it on the on the show, but he was a real catalyst throwing Henry into his next level of striking. All right, Eric. All the best to you. Uh, congrats on a great performance. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Yes, my shalom ha. Shalom. Yes, shalom chaver. Eric Albarasin, the uh, wrestling coach for one Henry Cejudo. Okay, let's move along to our last guest. Save the best for last. Number nine on today's All-Star show. We're talking to TJ Dillashaw right now, who's fighting John Lineker on December 30th at UFC 207. TJ, are you there? Yes, I am. How's it going? Good to talk to you. You know, um, uh, Henry just mentioned you, and, and and he claimed that you thought that he beat your friend Joseph Benavidez. Is that true? <laughs> no, not whatsoever. I was actually <laughs> sitting front row. Yeah. <clears throat> it was a, a, a very impressive fight. I think it is by far the best Henry Sudo has ever looked in his fight. He's been, it was more aggressive, looked really good in, in the fight. Very, very, very close. Um, you know, the only round that I scored for, for Henry Cejudo was round one, yeah. but he got that, he got that, um, point taken away, which, you know, I still think Joseph would have won two rounds to one if, even if he wouldn't know. So that, 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 that's a tough fight, man, but it was so close. You know what I mean? Like, obviously I'm a little biased sitting there cause I'm, I'm hoping sure. Joseph wins, but even going back and watching it and watching it on TV, you can see a little clearly, I mean, the emotions are high. I mean, they're going to think... He won. We're going to think Joseph won. Emotions were high. I was sitting in the middle of all of his, his family and friends during the fight, you know. But uh, especially when you go back and watch it on TV, Joseph landed in the, in the second and third round. He kind of was less aggressive, let him come in and kind of landed the cleaner shots and pulled and got out, landed a big head kick, you know, was able to get right back to see on any of those takedowns and make him pay for it. Um, so, I mean... For all done and said, I mean, Henry fought awesome, but Joseph just hardly squeaked that one out, which is really imp- impressive for Henry because I thought Joseph was a lot more of a well-rounded fighter than him. And, uh, you know, he kept it close. I think Joseph fought more emotional this fight than he's ever fought before, which uh, kept it a little bit closer than, than he's used to. Oh, interesting. Um, well, great fight. Yeah. Wish it was 25 minutes, to be honest. But Oh, uh, me too. Absolutely. Um, okay, so there's so much to talk to you about. And, of course, I'd be remiss if I'd, I, I don't start with the MMA a, A, A. By the way, we had Bjorn Rebney on earlier. I wish that we'd come up with a better name than that because it's just so damn hard to say. But anyway, that's the least <laughs> yeah. of the problems. I mean, uh, the best way to do it is the, it's the MMA Fighters Association, you know, Athletes Association. I right. mean, just saying the whole thing because it rolls off the tongue better than even just MMA. Yeah, you know, you're 100% right. Um, so what I was thinking about when I saw you at the fight, they showed you in the front row was, oh, I mm-hmm. wonder what kind of reception TJ Dillashaw got. I mean, I give you guys so much credit and, for just the courage that you had for speaking up your fighters and you have a ton of courage just because of what you do but just being on a conference call is probably more courageous than anything you do in a cage given the ramifications that you may face what was it like being at a ufc event just days after being a part of that conference call any cold shoulders was it weird was it uncomfortable at all no you know i mean obviously i think some of the main guys would have been but i didn't really have any uh um face-to-face talks with them you know i mean i was a little bit after doing that, after doing that conference call, going to the UFC, I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's a, it's a big step, you know, but it's got to be done. Um, yeah, sure. Was I was I scared of how I was going to be reacted to? For sure. I mean, that's my boss. That's the the hand that feeds me, you know. But ultimately, I'm just standing up for what I believe in and what's right and what what I've what I've done my research on and and just throughout other professional sports and and how we're kind of treated treated and how they were treated in the past before they kind of stood up for themselves as well you know 
And so, yeah, it was nerve wracking going to a fight. I mean, I was on that, uh, conference call for the association on Wednesday and then I yeah. go out to Vegas on Wednesday night and I'm out there on Thursday helping Joseph get ready for his fight and you know around all the UFC employees but uh, yeah I, I didn't get with any of them that I was around or I didn't get any cold shoulders they all treated me with much respect and uh, yeah I think I think it'd be more of the, the heads of the UFC they're going to have more of a problem with it because I mean I'm sure the employees aren't uh, you know aren't, aren't mad at the association sure. starting um, did any of those head officials talk to you? No. Okay. No. You didn't see any of not. Okay. They're like not at all no, or no. they didn't talk to you about this? No, I didn't I didn't talk to him at all. Okay. I didn't even see him. You know, I mean I didn't go out of my way to try to say sure. hi either. You know, sure. I mean I could have. I mean I saw them both there, but you know, I mean obviously I'm I'm a little nervous that I was all gonna go down, so I didn't really go out of my way to Understandable. Uh, talk to anybody either, you know. When did you make the decision that this is something that you want to be a part of how long ago you know it's been i've been saying for a long time that we've needed something like this you know yeah. i mean i was saying that we needed a union but a union is not the right word for it the association is the right word because we are independent contractors and we need to stand up as an association and if we stand up as a union then it would just get thrown away in court because we're not employees mm-hmm. you know even though we're, we're treated like it um I, you know i I, I, me and a lot of fighters have always said that we need something. You know, we know that the pay scale is a little unfair with what they're bringing in to, compared to what we're making. Um, so, I mean, I've wanted to, but then finally we've gotten a team together. And, you know, even even all the way down to the day before, it's kind of like, oh, man, should I, should I go down and do this? Should I be the one that steps up? Should I, you know, should I be that, that face? But ultimately someone's got to do it, and we have a good group of guys to do it. And, uh you know, I mean, it's just got to happen. And I feel like I, I'm I'm happy to be in that place, to be someone that's going to be looked at in history for hopefully standing up and making a change. And, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten a great reception from a lot of other fighters now. When I went to the, the tough finale, when I was there for that whole week and seeing guys warming up, they were super curious about it. They would ask me about it. They want more information about it. And, and they're on board. You know, the more I talk to them, the more, you know, in some big name fighters too. And, and, guys that have obviously wanted this as well, but we're in everyone else's situation, just too scared to, to step up and do it. Was the final straw for you when you didn't get the title shot? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would lie if, if, if I said it wasn't, I mean, I even look, man, I even reached out to Dana and I told him like, look, I'll do whatever I need to do. Cause we went and renegotiated my contract and, and uh, I told him, I was like, look, more importantly than even my contract and renegotiating it because they didn't have to, I still have more fights on my contract. I was like, I want the title fight. You know, I can, I want, that's more important to me than anything in the, in the world. I mean, me being known as the champ and being the best in the world is, is the most important thing to me because that's why I got into this. And I told him, I'll do whatever I need to do. He's like, look, I know the WME and TA are, are uh, enemies. If, if it's going to help you, for for me to leave them, look, I'll be team TJ Dillashaw. I'll be team UFC, whatever you want me to do. You know, he, after I had my meeting with me with him, he told me to give him a call. And this is when I'm, I'm leaving him messages and telling him this, but I never got a response back. You know what I mean? So I went and met with him, told him that I wanted the title fight, renegotiated my contract. Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place, but renegotiated my contract with him. And he told me like, Hey, if you're happy with the contract, give me a call tomorrow. Well, I called him the next day to talk about it, you know, and I also told him, like, look, I have some things I want to do. I want to bet my purse that I can beat Cruz. I wanted to kind of throw it through him first and and try to do whatever I possibly could to get this title fight, create as much drama as I possibly could, because that's obviously what, what does it these days is creating drama, and I don't feel like there's any other way to create more drama than to 
put my money on the line. You know, this isn't about the money anymore. This is about the respect of MMA and being the best in the world. And so that was, that was my mind in it. And I told him through text message and through voicemail, like, look, man, I'll do whatever I need to do to get this title shot. I'll leave my management. If I have to, I'll do whatever, even though I don't want to, like, I'll do whatever I need to do for myself to get this title fight. And he just wouldn't call me back. You know, he wouldn't get a hold of me. He wouldn't tell me if I was getting the title shot. He wouldn't say anything, you know. And then eventually, I find out from social media that Garbrandt was getting it. You know, wow. I feel I feel like he was just kind of even when I went there and he told me that he was going to push for me to get this title fight. He was going to do whatever he possibly could to get that written up. That from the way I heard about it, that Cruz and Garbrandt have already even signed have already even signed to fight each other, you know? So I, I kind of felt a little disrespected and lied to my face about it, you know? And it, it would have been, it would have gone over easier if you would have just told me from the beginning that I wasn't getting the fight instead of making me look like a jerk and trying to create a bunch of drama to get this, get this fight, you know? I mean, I was willing to do whatever it took to get it. And uh, just to kind of be pushed aside like that and to find out on social media, I feel like this is really disrespectful. You know, I'd like a, I'd like a phone call. I mean, I'm, I'm a, a previous UFC champion of years. You know, I've I've taken fights on one day notice. You know, I fought Joe Soto on a less than 24 hours notice for you guys to, to save the show. You know what I mean? They called me begging me to take this fight where I could be a John Jones. I could be whoever and turn down the fights down like many champions have. But I step up on a day's notice for you guys and don't receive $1 bonus for that fight. Wow. You know what I mean? Like I thought like, look, I'm, they're telling me like we have to cancel the show. If you don't take the fight, this to put the UFC under, we've had a lot of cancellations. John Jones canceled a fight on us. We need you to take it. You know, they, they give me the whole hype up spiel of take this fight. And look, man, I, I love the UFC. They're the best organization in the world. They have the best fighters in the world. So I wanted to stand up and be a team player. You know, I wanted to be team UFC, but the more team UFC you are, the, the, le- the worse you get treated. It seems like everyone that's, going to be an act professional and do their job gets, gets pushed aside, gets taken advantage of, you know, you got to create drama. You got to be a loud mouth. You got to talk shit about the UFC. You got to take drugs and fail drug tests uh, to get what you want. I guess, you know, they want, they want bullcrap drama to, to push your name up and, and act like a fool. You know, you can't act like a professional and be respectful to get what you want these days around them, I guess. So I don't know, man. I just felt like ultimately I've been, you know, disrespected a lot. And, uh, it definitely helps with my my decision of standing up for the fighters and standing up for myself. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the UFC is a great organization. I would never want to fight for anybody else. But I do think there is, I mean, for how much money they're bringing in from the numbers I've heard and the percentage we're making, it's just it's just not right. You know. Mm. Um, do you think that you were sort of uh, encouraged to sign this new deal? because the possibility of getting a title shot was looming, but you know, it, it, it was never a possibility. Like, do you think that you were sort of tricked into signing it? For sure. Hmm. How many fights? I, I, after, after it all was done and said, yeah, I, I felt that way. How many you know, fights? I felt it was like a, it felt it was like a consolation prize. I signed an eight fight deal. Oh, damn. And do you regret that? Yeah. No, man. I mean, I don't, I, I still think, I mean, Sure. Should I, should I be, should I fight my contract? I mean, it was my, me and my wife were talking back and forth about it. Should I fight my contract out and be a free agent and try to get paid as much as I possibly can? You know, I mean, that's definitely a thought in the back of your head, especially when you're trying to support a family. I don't have health insurance. I don't have a pension. I don't have a retirement plan. You know, I have nothing to show for this other than my, my pride and what I've accomplished when, when I'm done fighting this sport, you know, so I got to make as much money as I possibly can to take care of me and my family. But I didn't get into the sport to be driven by money. You know, I got into the sport because I love to compete and I wanted to be the best in the world. And I do think 
the UFC and having that UFC belt is the best fighter in the world. You know, and I feel like going to Bellator and fighting for Bellator is, it, it is, or whoever is going to be, World Series or whatever it's going to be, is a step down right now until more fighters start making that, that change. You know, it's uh, my goal to be the best fighter. I, I believe I am the best 135 pounder in the world. And, uh, you know, by me losing a very close split decision to Dominic Cruz, it's just kind of crazy how I feel like I've gotten forgotten. You know, I've been pushed to the back burner because I'm too professional, too respectful. I don't, I don't create enough drama. You know, I need I need neck tattoos and and talking shit and being a Conor McGregor or whatever. It's just it's just crazy, man. I mean, I got I got a lot of a, a lot to say, I guess. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard from them since since they didn't give you the tell shot? Anyone reach out to you? Hey, sorry, didn't work out. You'll get the next one. This is for the number one. To anything at all? No, no. no the only thing was just to to take the Lineker fight. Wow. You know and. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to just sit on the back burner and do nothing. I mean, I got to get paid. You know, I don't make, I don't make, I mean, for the, for the, for the fans out in, the, in public, I don't make enough money to not fight. You know, I don't, I don't, even winning the belt, I don't make enough money to, to sit around and wait for a title shot, you know. And uh, the way I look at it is I'm the one that's fighting number one contenders. Other than Cruz is ranked one, I'm ranked two, Lineker's ranked three. You know, when Cruz is ranked one, I was ranked two, since I was ranked three. So really, I mean, I'm fighting the number one contenders. You know, Cruz is is kind of hand selecting his fights, and the UFC's letting him do it. You know, and I don't I don't understand why. I know it's some sort of politics. I don't know if it's because Dominic Cruz is in the in the media and he's in part of Fox and he's part of. I don't know if they're trying to pump him up for what reason. I don't know what he does for them. You know, other than act like an idiot, but it's uh, it's something. You know, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. He's going to fight number eight ranked guys, number six ranked guys. And I'm fighting number one ring guys, and I can't get a title shot back again. Especially when I went and met with the UFC, and they're telling me that they thought I won my won my fight against Cruz. You know, I mean, I feel like that should be enough on its own. So, um, do you think that he's the one who kind of helped block you out? Do you think he played a part in you not getting the title fight? Oh, for sure. I, I, I highly believe that. I believe that Cruz is going to try to do whatever he can to not fight me until he retires. Oh wow! Try to, you know, him trying to talk about how he wants these super fights and big money fights. It's like. I don't even think you're the best in the world and you're trying to dodge me as long as you possibly can. Cause you know that I'm going to beat you. You know, I, I fought him with a uh, emotion the first time and still beat him, you know, and he knows that and his coaches know that and my coaches know that. And I know that. And so he's going to do whatever he can to not fight me again. I saw in an interview, I think he did it with MMA Junkie, where he was talking about, you know, why you didn't get the title fight and saying that, like, you, you don't put yourself out there and only now you're doing that. And he sort of helped you. Did you, did you read that stuff? And, uh, and what's your reaction uh, I to saw- it? I was like tagged in something on social media about it. So I read through it a little bit and then my parents wanted to tell me all about it. Oh. It's funny. My, my parents are the ones that tell me like what goes down. They look into all this stuff more than I do. <laughs> I try to live my life outside of fighting. You know what I mean? Like fighting is my life. So when I get home, I try to stay away from it. But yeah, yeah I, I saw some stuff about it. I mean, the, the, it, it was kind of crazy. I feel like he talked for 10 minutes, but didn't get anything accomplished. Accomplished. He did like a full circle uh, and, and didn't make any sense. I feel like he was running for president this, this <laughs> term. He kind of was a perfect politician and said a lot without saying anything. Nothing he said made sense and just kind of wanted to, to blabber. You know, it's almost like someone's in his ear trying to tell him what to say because he's not smart enough to bring it, talk about it himself. So he's just trying to create as much excuses, excuses as he can to not fight me. And you're going to continue to see him, and it's just ridiculous. You know, I mean, you could see this all the way up from Garbrandt's last fight that they were building, that he was choosing this fight and picking it. I mean, Fox did it, you know, they gave him that, that, 
fight against Mizugaki, and then as soon as the fight's over, they're going back and forth between him and Cruz and letting them talk shit to each other. And instead of being a, a professional sport, it's more about this this drama and this days of our lives like TV show rather than who's the best in the world. You've been in there with both of them. You've trained with Cody. You fought Dominic. Who do you think wins that fight? I think Dominic wins that fight with uh, with with how smart he'll fight him. You know, okay. I think Cody's Cody's uh, one dimensional. He, he's a great fighter. He's fast. He's he's powerful. You know, he's a uh, he is good. Don't get me wrong. Anyone's got a chance. I mean, anybody can possibly obviously win, but. If I'd put money on it, I'd bet on Cruz. He's going to fight him too smart. He's a veteran. He knows what he knows what to do. Um, I think uh, I think the way Cruz fights is Cody's biggest weakness, and he just he just not. I don't. I just don't think he's ready yet. You know, I mean the kid. The kids don't. What he, I mean, I don't blame Cody for getting this title fight at all. I mean that should be that should be anyone in the UFC. This should be your goal to get the UFC belt and to fight for that title. I mean he should push for that as much as he wants. Right. I blame I blame Dominic Cruz and I blame the UFC for letting this happen. You know, it's kind of. I feel making a mockery of the sport by letting a uh, number eight ranked fighter fight for the, why does he jump seven guys to be able to fight for the belt? Mm. It just doesn't make sense at all. And, and how do you prepare mentally for this? I mean, you're getting into a fight with a very talented fighter, but you're fighting the same night as this title fight. Is it hard to yeah. get up for it? Is it annoying that you're fighting the same night? Cause you know, you're going to be in Vegas and the poster is going to be there and it's going to be Cruz and Garbrandt. It's going to be in your face. How are you going to deal with that? No, man, I've actually been done very, very, very well with it. I mean, Lineker's a very, a very tough fighter. You know, I mean, he's definitely not on my level. He's got, he's got huge holes in his game. Um, and I'm going to prove that he doesn't belong in the, in the top five with us. Um, but I have to, I have to stay focused. If I'm not focused, that's when I'm going to get in trouble. And I've, I've learned that through competing all of my wrestling career and through these fights, you know, I get to be focused on the task in hand. Yeah, sure. Was I disappointed? I didn't get... I didn't get the title shot. Absolutely. 100%. But I'm fighting a, a tough guy. I mean, every guy I fight now is a top contender. I'm fighting number one contenders. You know, I have to go out there and perform. I want that title shot. I have to win. So my task in hand is to be John Lineker and to focus on him solely. And, uh, this is a good fight for me, man. I mean, you know, everyone's, there's a lot of hype on him. You know, he's got a, a, a big name now. And just for me to prove to go out there and to shut him down and, to prove how much better I am is a, is a big statement. So I got to focus on that completely. And, uh, I have been, you know, I'm, I'm excited for this fight and, uh, it's a great card to be a part of and to go out there and make a statement before they fight is, is great. You know, it's, uh, it's a perfect way to continue to, to build my name. I mean, the UFC can do whatever they want to try to not give me that title shot, but I'm going out there beating number one contenders and especially doing it on the night that Cruz and, uh, Cody are fighting. Then, you know, it, it'll speak, it'll speak huge. And, and, in the public eye, you know, I mean, there's no way around it. Um, back to the athletes association right now, there's five yeah. of you who have, uh, you know, stuck your neck out. You're on that Island by yourself. Um, since Wednesday, do you know if any more have joined? Are there other official members of the association as far as fighters? Yeah. So there, there already are. I mean, they're all, ver I mean, obviously verbal agreements and that's kind of how this whole thing is going down, but okay. week by week, they're going to continue to announce some big names and they're going to have some big names announcement here soon. Oh. Um, kind of just kind of to keep the ball rolling so people don't forget about it. You yeah. know what I mean, because if just us five, or say it was say it was fifty of us that came out and talked about it, sure that makes a big statement that all fifty of us came out at once. But it's going to make a bigger statement, I think, to do it week by week. You know what I mean? To to be in the the public eye every week that this fighter's like, look, I don't think I, I don't think this is right. Look, I don't think this is right. You know, and uh, really, this is more than just this is more than I mean. 
This is big. I mean, not only about that we only, fighters as a whole, whatever, how many fighters, like close to 600 or maybe over 600. I don't really know the exact number on that. But as a whole, we make 8% of what the fight, what the UFC brings in. You know, 8%. Every other sport, NFL, MLB, I mean, they're making anywhere from 50 to 65% of what the sport brings in. You know, I mean, NFL makes like over $13 billion a year. Their athletes are making over $6 billion a year. You know, I mean, it's just kind of crazy. I mean, it's kind of saying that, well, we don't work as hard as an NFL player, or I don't work as hard as an NBA player or MLB. I think us fighters work harder than any other sport, but I'm not going to, you know, but and to be paid less is kind of a slap in the face, you know, and, and for how much we're putting on the line, we're putting our blood, sweat, and tears and, and our livelihood. I mean, I've seen past fighters that don't seem all there anymore, can hardly walk around or look like the tin man, you know, that have been through the ringer. And so I think it's just time to start thinking about your future. You know, I mean, everyone wants to think about the now and being the best in the world and push through these injuries that we always go through in camp. But, uh, you know, not not only do we need to get paid more to to help provide for our families and, and uh, putting our life on the line, but also it'd be nice to have health insurance. I mean, right now I have to pay for health insurance for myself, and which is very expensive being a professional fighter. You know, you go to a, a insurance company and that you know ask you your occupation and you're a professional fighter. It's very expensive to get insured as well as my wife and. You know, just everything at all. I mean, I have to worry about my own retirement plan. I have to put away for my own 401k and, you know, and then all the, all the getting 1099 because we're independent contractors. Just everything. There's there's a lot of things that, that would help out for us athletes that need to need to change, you know. I mean, we're controlled more than any other professional sport. We're told what to wear, when to wear it, what we're allowed to say in our interviews. Um, you know, I have to wear Reebok. Um we we have to tell the UFC or you saw where we're at 365 days a year, but we don't have health insurance. You know, I mean, we're we're treated worse than an employee, but it's just it's just crazy, man. Mm, yeah, I mean, you you've laid it out uh, pretty damn well, and kudos to you for that. Um, I don't know about you, but a lot of fighters and managers have reached out to me asking me what I think about it. And the, the main thing that they keep saying is I, I'm hesitant to join anything that Bjorn Rebney is a part of. What do you say to those people? I understand that. I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, that's kind of what I've gotten the, the grasp of as well. You know, every time I talk to a fighter, I mean, I've talked to a lot of them here yeah. at, I'm not going to give out any names because I don't know if, what's going to happen, but <clears throat> very interested. And they're, they're on board from obviously talking to me, but their, their first concern was, you know, what about Bjorn? I mean, I feel like this is not a good, good look. It's bad, but we're, we're kind of, Bjorn's been through, he, yeah, he's been a promoter. He's been, um, he knows the other side of it. He knows a lot more of a promoter's job and more about the UFC than any of us possibly could. We're on the athlete side of it. We're not on the, on the side of, of what goes behind it and what they need to tell the fighters. And we're kind of letting Bjorn be our devil's advocate. You know, we're letting him be the bad guy and letting us, he's kind of guiding us. But what people need to understand is he's not part of the board. He's just a supervisor. If we didn't feel like it was good for us, we wouldn't have him. You know, uh, the, the board members are us five fighters. You know, we're the ones that make the decisions. We're the ones that are voting on everything. We're the ones that are going to decide what's right for us and what's not. And Bjorn's just kind of going to guide us through it. So really, He's just a supervisor of the association, if that makes sense. Yeah, one hundred percent. Are you worried? We need someone. We need someone to think outside the box. I mean, we're so. I mean, shoot, I'm fighting in four weeks. Yeah. I mean, this can't be my full time job. I have to worry about beating John Lineker. Tim Kennedy's fighting this weekend. You know, um, Kane Velasquez is on my card. Cowboy Cerrone's fighting this weekend. You know, we all have big fights coming up, and it is. It's kind of crazy. We're all stepping up right now. You know, but. 
what, what's going to change for us? You know, what are they going to keep dodging me title fights? I mean, they have, they have to fight me. It's in my contract that they have to fight me each year, you know? Yeah. So, well, that, that, that's why I have so much respect for you guys because it's one thing to do it when you're on the way out, when you're on the outs with the UFC. It's another to do when you have a fight for the UFC in a week, in three weeks, when you're fighting in yeah, number one contender fights. Guys, you know, I have to, I have to talk to these guys, but I have to, I have to stand up for what I believe is right. You know, I mean, not only for myself, but for past fighters, you know, and then, the, and then this is going to help all the fighters now. And then it'll just pave the way for the future fighters. So I, I feel like it's a better image for myself to stand up for everyone else. You know, everyone, everyone else wants to think that you're, you're selfish in this sport, you know, but every team, team member I've ever trained with, I've become very close with, you know, um, all my coaches I've become very close with, you know, I, I, you have to be selfish in getting better, but you also, you know, with, with how much we put under this, this sport and how much we train, how hard we train, there's so much appreciation for everyone. And, you know, I'm hoping all the other fighters are going to appreciate this and, and jump on board because, it's a big step, man. This is a big thing for, for history of, of our sport and for MMA, and it could be huge. I mean, all these other fighters need to realize that, you know, me, Cowboy, um, Kane, uh, Tim, you're all active. You got George St. Pierre, one of the greatest fighters of all time, standing up. I mean, he's standing up. He doesn't need any extra money. The guy's yeah. making more money now than he ever did fighting, you know, and he, it's not like he needs to start this association to make money. He needs to start this association because he believes it's right, you know? The one thing that I thought all five of you did very well in your own way was be um, sympathetic, honest, but not confrontational. You didn't take any unnecessary shots at the UFC. You didn't make it personal. You didn't try to hit them below the belt. You were laying out the facts. You were saying why you were you know, doing this, why you were a part of this, why you may be disappointed. But it didn't feel like you wanted to get into a fight because you recognize that you have to fight for the UFC. I do feel like Bjorn is being too confrontational. I feel like he's being too personal. And he did that on the show earlier today, and he did that on Wednesday. I feel like that's going to be a potential detriment. Can we reel him in? Can we make this less personal? Because I don't think it should be so personal. It definitely shouldn't be, because this isn't isn't personal. I mean, it's personal in the fact that I want to take care of myself. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I don't don't want to be a fighter that's retired and has got nothing to show for it, you know? Um, but it doesn't need to be personal into like attacking someone. You know, yes. this is more business. This is business. I mean, it's straight up is business and it's respect. Yeah. You know, um, well said. I think the UFC is the greatest organization in the world for this sport. They've done wonders for wonders for our sport. They've done wonders for me. I'm, I am where I am because of it, but they're also taking advantage of the situation. They're taking advantage of it being a new sport, just like any other sport did. That's now mainstream and popular. Everyone got taken advantage of it until it got popular enough and everyone realized, like, damn, these guys are killing it and I'm the one putting my life on the line, you know? Um, last quick thing for you, TJ, and tremendous stuff. Really appreciate the time. Uh, Not a problem. How do you feel about, you know, your 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 longtime friend and mentor and training partner, Uriah Faber, retiring in less than two weeks in Sacramento? I know things kind of went awry over the last year or so, but it used to be so close. Um, and, and this yeah. appears to be the end. What are your emotions when, when you hear about this? There's a lot, you know, I got a lot of mixed emotions. It's, it's, uh, super unfortunate the way this has all gone down. And I feel like really immature on his part, you know, on the way that he's tried to bash me. I mean, I thought at first it was just for him to get a title shot. And I really hope one day that he'll be able to come to me and say that that's what he was doing. You know, I mean, it's just kind of crazy how much time I put in at that gym and, and how much I helped him train and how much he helped me. You know what I mean? He, he he was making money off me, you know, so, I mean, obviously, 
he gives everyone a shot. And if you start doing good, then he's going to make money off you. So it's in his own best interest. But, you know, I, I was a friend of the guy, you know, I mean, I put in a lot of hours there at that gym and I, you know, I grew as a person there and, uh, it's kind of crazy and how immature it was that he wanted to bash me and kick me out of the gym because I wanted to train with someone that he didn't get along with. You know what I mean? That's just, uh, it's so crazy. And it's such high school drama, but when it comes down to it all done and said, we do have a past, we do have a, a history and, uh, you know, with him retiring, he he's done wonders for the sport as well. I mean, you hope he goes out on a good note. Even though the guy has really pissed me off, and I had to, I've had and still do have a lot of, you know, un, unpleasant like hate for the guy. I mean, because I mean, for, for the way he acted, man. I mean, it's just so crazy to to call yourself my friend and then not want the best thing for me. You know, how can you be my friend and then bash me for wanting to do what I believe is best? When it has nothing to do with you, it has nothing. Like, I'm not trying to talk shit on you. I'm not trying to say anything bad about you. And I feel like in the media's eye, I was actually very respectful of the guy until he started making false accusations, trying to bash my name. It just kind of went too far. But, sorry, I'm going off track. But all done and said, you know, um, I don't I don't wish anything bad on the guy. So, hopefully he goes out and least, at least shows himself. I do believe it's a it's time for him to retire. He's actually, I feel like declined in his, in his skills rather than getting better. And, you know, you need people around you telling you like, all right, man, it's time. I mean, you've, you've done a good job. It's time for you to hang it up. You know what I mean? Like you got some fighters coming into the gym. There's some new guys that are kind of beating up on you. It's time to, to call it quits, you know? So hopefully he comes out and looks good. He does it in Sacramento. He always is amped up when he fights there. He's by far a town favorite. He's a fan favorite. So, Hopefully you can make a good showing. Well, holy smokes. If Dominic Cruz or anyone else doesn't think that TJ Dillashaw is being honest in his interviews, I, I present to you the last 20 or so minutes. Um, incredible honesty there. I, I really appreciate your candor and just the, the authenticity behind all your responses. Really, really appreciate it. Tremendous stuff, TJ. I wish you the best of luck on December 30th. Kudos to what you and those four other fighters did on Wednesday. Good luck with that as well. We will certainly be watching it. And I, I wish you... Uh, I wish you the very best as you prepare for a massive fight in, uh, what, less than three weeks' time. Good luck to you, my man, and thank yeah. you for the time today. I really appreciate it, brother, and uh, that's one thing I hold myself on is that I'm completely honest. So for all these guys that think I'm you know, selfish and old enough for myself, want to want to call me a snake, I'm as honest as it gets. I mean, I've never done an interview where I've lied. So Well done. It's, uh, it's something I hold myself on, and I want to look back on this career and know that I've done the right thing. So I appreciate all that, and I will... Uh, See you soon when, I, when I'm fighting in Vegas. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Thank you, TJ. Awesome. Have a good one. There he is, TJ Dillashaw. Wow. I mean, whew, what a way to end a marathon show. What a way to end those nine guests. I mean, from everything from the, the title shot situation, the, uh, the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association, Uriah Faber, Cody, Dominic. Whew, amazing stuff there from TJ. Amazing stuff from all nine of our guests. I mean, every single one of them, one after the next. Uh, just incredible. What a show. What a fun show. Um, running out of time, a few minutes left. Let's bring in New York Rick, who has been feeling the cold shoulder as of late. But I've tried to explain him time and again that there's just so many guests out there to speak to. We only have one show a week. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, the, the numbers the numbers don't lie. And the people don't want to hear from him as much. And that's what we're being told. And I have to deliver what they're telling me to do. So, New York Rick, here we are talking once again uh, did you shave your head recently? It looks cleaner than usual. Might have gotten a haircut. Yeah, it looks good. Getting ready for your big trip to Germany? Indeed. Be in you... Germany for a uh, collision. Alistair, me and Alistair. <sighs> what, what, what an announcement that was. Yeah. 
you're going to Germany for uh, Bader Hari versus Rico Verhoeven. My right. favorite, Rico Verhoeven. My favorite kickboxer of all time. I'm kidding. Damn, Although Friend is going to come back next time. Be mad. Uh, well, he's not a kickboxer anymore. You heard that on this show. You said all time, though. That's there was, true. There, he was, he, listen, he's the only guy. And I, and I was trying to look this up. He's the only guy to hold a major MMA title and a, a kickboxing championship at the same time. When he was the uh, Strike Force champion yes. and won the K1 uh, Grand Prix. Although, let's be honest, or that Strike Force heavyweight says, title uh, was. Uh, yeah. What was up with that? Grand Prix? Was he kidding? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> oh, my. See, that's another moment that I forgot about. Okay. First things first. I've weighed in on it. Yeah. MMA beat. You, you know my thoughts. The Mixed Martial Arts Athlete Association. Can, your thoughts. Well, my first thought is can we come to a, a, a consensus on what we're calling this Ugh. in terms of the the. Acronym. What do you say? I, I like MMAAA. No, that's horrible. I think it just has to be the whole name. Yeah, but I don't. It's too much. It's it's a mouthful. It's too much. Also, you know what's annoying? And the it can't Twitter be handle MMAAA. It cannot. Can someone clean up the Twitter handle? It's MMAAA, but it's all like the first M is capitalized yeah. and the rest aren't. I don't aren't, think I you mean, can switch that? that after. Come on, you can't it. switch that. Not after you've created. Jeez, it, I don't think. it looks like a, a fifteen-year-old yeah, created not that. Good. Not good. All right. Um, that's your big takeaway? <laughs> no, I, you know, I think that's important, actually. It though. is important. I do think that that type perception, of branding stuff, yes. that, that perception is, is an important part of it. Um, I think it's obviously a step in the right direction. Now, people are right to have their reservations about, you know, uh, everybody's role in this and what can actually be done. Um, I think we've seen so much what we thought was, you know, progress to this point that ended up not being progress. Or at least, you know, uh, maybe behind the scenes, there's there are certain moves being made, but... Uh, at least publicly, there hasn't been much of a shift. Um, now, the, the the number of fighters who are more comfortable speaking on it has increased. At least that's that's one benefit from it. Um, but we haven't seen m- much of a shift in policies or anything like that. So I think that um, there is there is a, a reasonable uh, you know uh, expectation to to have reservations about this. Um, but. It, 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 it's not bad. It can't be bad. That's that's for sure. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you think Bjorn, who to me was the, the big lightning rod after yep. Wednesday's call, as I said, a lot of people called me about him. Yep. Do you think he did a good job today on the show in answering those questions and letting us know that his heart is in the right place, that he's doing this for the right reasons? I have a I have a response. I if want to know you, your if response. You have, if you're taking him at face value, if you're, you know, if you're, taking everything he says and and accepting that as the the truth and um i think he did as as well as you're going to do um people look i think it's i think it's false if people believe that everybody doesn't have an incentive to do something no nobody is doing something for from the goodness of their heart um without some kind of incentive and that incentive may be that the the doing good deeds makes them feel better but there's always a motivation for something there's nothing that's unmotivated in this case um if we're assuming that his motivations are uh to change the sport of mma then i think that his his answers are are justifying that and reasonable but i think what people are assuming is that the, those are not the sole motivations and that there are certain things going on uh behind the scenes that that may taint that that picture um i don't know you know what what that is and i i don't think we will know um until at least much further down the line uh but i thought he did as as best as you can do i thought he should have talked more about the departure from bellator without you know we were going to get to the association stuff he was too quick to i mean this was your first interview since there was in my opinion um a need 
to close that that book, close that that chapter in your life. And I, I didn't feel like I was getting that. I felt like I was getting, you know, quick responses to what I was asking and then other stuff about the association, which was a lot of the same stuff that we we heard on Wednesday. I don't like how confrontational he's being. I feel like there's a lot of unnecessary insults being thrown the UFC's way. Um, and I feel like that's only creating um, a potential rift, a potential roadblock to actually getting what you want done. This shouldn't be about, you know, Bjorn versus the UFC. This shouldn't be about Bellator versus the UFC. This shouldn't be about him, you know, getting replaced by Scott Coker. This should be about the fighters. And I think it's very notable that the fighters aren't taking that stance, aren't taking those shots, but he is. And I feel like they need to they need to rein him in there because well, nothing is going to be accomplished if that's... I thought that was a mistake that Jeff Boris made at the, the first press conference when they announced the PFA. It was too personal. It was too confrontational. It, it, it got too insulting right off the bat. That's not what we need. That's not what the fighters need. That's not going to get anything done. Do you, but at that point, the, the question is, is it even worth reining in I think at that yes, because this is going to get to well, be a locomotive uh, out of control, and it's going to go I, the route of like a Scala. Where well, I'd go be- even further. I'd say cut it off completely. It's Bjorn has to have a role here, right? So it's either going to be let him do that or just cut it off completely. No, and he could be he could be that guy. But what what he value- knows? See, to me, like hiring Bjorn is is for example when the FBI hires a notorious criminal to work for them to explain to them, you know, uh, how to bust stings and, 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 and how to like find criminals and things like that. You know what I mean? That's, that's his role. Like you're taking a guy who was on that side of the fence and you're bringing him over to this side of the fence. I understand completely why I don't think it's as controversial as people may think it is. Um, it, it makes total sense to have someone who's in that role who has this past. And I think, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you could change your stripes. You could be a different guy. You can have a different, take on how this sport has run different ideologies. I just don't understand why it has to be so personal right off the bat. And to say, I'm not going to reach out to the UFC, the UFC has to reach out to me. Why? I mean, they may have to reach out once they get 400 fighters on board, but why not try to open those lines of communication? WME IMG represents talent that for the most part, the majority of them are parts of association slash unions. The athletes who invested around 250000 into the UFC, the Cam Noons and Tom Brady's of the world, they're a part of the NFLPA. Uh, Robert Kraft has to deal with a, an association. Uh, actors have to, you know, be a part of associations. Uh, the, the, those guys have been fighting for associations and, and talent that's represented by associations and part of associations for years. So they understand the value. They understand why it needs to happen. Why make this personal? Why make this into a, you know... Uh, a, 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 a backyard, you know, one of those like, um, you know, when they're slinging insults at each other, not backyard, a school, a schoolyard insult game. I, I, I don't agree with that stance. But my thing is, then why have his involvement at all? Because I'm saying- he's very smart. He's a very smart guy and knows the MMA business better than you and I. He ran a promotion. He founded a promotion. So- he sold it for many many millions of dollars. He's a smart guy. He knows what to do. Yeah, but then maybe take that behind the scenes, just not be a public face of it. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to limit what the actual messaging is from him, it, there's no it, limiting it. It defeats it. the purpose. Or, or he could come on here and talk about the stats and how much they're losing and all this stuff without getting personal, without saying that they're this mm. egregious predatory monopoly. These words are flashy, they're sizzling. Go look at the Twitter. 
It's 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 none better. I just don't agree with it. I feel like if you're going to get something done, let's extend an olive branch. Say, look, we want to be a part of the UFC. We just want what we are owed. We want what we deserve. Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's erase the past. Bygones be bygones. It's a clean slate. New ownership. Let's figure this out. I'm not seeing that. Um, and by the way, ha- like to your point, GSP, Kane, Dillashaw, Cowboy, Kennedy, man, I mean, these guys are very well respected. None more so than GSP. Having them is so huge for this. You can't even quantify it. It's what the PFA and MMAFA didn't have. Active UFC contenders are sticking their neck out. I mean, this week in Toronto is going to be fascinating with Kennedy and Cerrone there. They're fighting on this card. And then Kane and Dillashaw on December 30th. I can't can't express enough how much um, respect I have for those five individuals for what they they said and did and how they said it on on Wednesday. And just didn't, I, I don't like the confrontational approach. That's all. But I I I'm with you to an extent. But I just feel like it's either I feel like it's redundant. If if you're not going to be confrontational, then it doesn't he doesn't serve that purpose. Doesn't need to be involved at all. You could find somebody who doesn't have his already. Uh, people that don't people don't have preconceived notions about already, and to do to serve that same purpose, you don't need another person like that if um, you're not utilizing what his yeah. what he's already bringing to the table. I mean, look, so, there's no right answer, so we'll see if this comes but, back to to bite them. Right? I think this is the more important question. You know, cowboy and and uh, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm blanking. Who else is fighting? Kennedy uh, and Tim Kennedy are are fighting this weekend. Yeah. Is something going to come of that? Is there any reason to believe that there's there's uh, some kind of involvement and and some kind of way that the the MM AAA will uh, play into this? Um, I think until we see some kind of reason for that to be, um, what's the word? I don't want to say a conflict, but some sort of reason for that to come to light, involved with a fight. I'm not sure that that really even matters that much. They're fighting this weekend. I have a, I have a feeling nothing's going to go really differently. They're going to go through fight week. They're going to have their fight. They're going to collect their check. Well, and it's almost like you on. can't touch them, right? Because then people would say, oh, if and, we were but mistreated. But from the other side as well, I don't think Tim Kennedy and, oh, you know what? Maybe Tim Kennedy and Cerrone will get on the mic after their fight wow. and say, hey. Could you imagine? MMAAA oh is gosh. here. I didn't even think of that. But if they don't. Yeah. I think it's going to be business as usual. That's what you oh. have to you have to create these opportunities, and unless it does, I think we're going to be looking at something pretty standard until until one of those impasses, until one of those moments comes. I'm just saying, every manager fighter that's reached out to me, and there were a lot about this, have said, "I oh, love it." No, but yeah, the the fact that these are the names involved is a huge step from where we've been previously. No, 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 but I'm saying they all love it because of the names, but their one hesitation is Bjorn, and I don't know yeah. if it will convince them to join by taking this approach. Um, let me ask you about a few other things. Mm-hmm. UFC letting go of Matt Hughes and Chuck Liddell. We were told they'd be with the company forever. What does this say to you? Do you understand why they did? I mean, clearly they weren't doing the jobs that they were hired to do because those were just fluff jobs. They were on the payroll because of what they meant to the company. And I don't think anyone should care about that because you or I aren't paying for it. And they gave us a lot of entertainment. Yeah. They helped build the UFC. But the fact that the new ownership got rid of them, along with 15 or so employees in this second round of layoffs, what does that say to you? No, nothing. I take. I glean literally nothing from this because if they're going to lay off people who are actually in like key positions, um, as they did earlier this year, uh, why wouldn't you know Matt Hughes and and uh, Chuck Liddell be on the block? They they. I look. I'm not one to advocate for somebody losing a job. I would never want anybody to lose lose their source of income. Um, but if they felt that they were unnecessary, 
then that seems like the prudent move to make, no? I guess my big takeaway was... It's not, it's not the old UFC anymore. It's, it's, well, it's not Dana White's UFC. Yeah. Right? I mean, because you know that yeah. he wanted them around. You know that these were his guys. Um, I thought it was incredibly telling. I mean, wow. Uh, wow. Just several months. What do you mean? Dana White said repeatedly that they will always have a job with the UFC. Yeah, that, I mean, th- that there are there are bean counters that come up and talk about the budget and, and mention Chuck Liddell's name. And he's like, you're not touching Chuck Liddell. And now they're gone like that? I don't think you would have heard him say that after the sale that's for sure it's just it's just telling i mean i think it just tells you about where the company is and and where it may be going and and here's one thing like i reached out to the ufc about this um and and i said look we're not going to report every single layoff because there's i mean there's no sense in doing that and there's 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 been a lot we can't report every single one but my take on it is if they're hiring was made public via press release, press conference, if it was celebrated, then I do think that we should report their departure from the company, no different than any other sports organization. And and I, I couldn't get them to officially confirm it. It is a, a fact. I did confirm it in other ways. But I do feel like the departure of two legends, even though they're not, you know, integral parts of the company right now, should at least be recognized in some way. Sure. You know what I mean? I th- and I think the reason that this is kind of like, I-, I think a lot of people are taking the approach of, um, you know, reacting to this in a way that says, well, of course, but the, the reason that may be is because we didn't really know what their official capacities were when, when they were granted these positions. Um, we didn't really, nobody really took them at, at face value as, as, uh, uh, they'd be performing everyday duties. So I think, you know, if the, maybe if it up front, there was a better education done on what they were actually going to be doing and what their day-to-day activity was like, there'd be a different reaction, but, um, I didn't have much of a, a reaction to it. Ryan Hall's performance on Saturday, loved it, adored it, hated it, was disgusted by it. That's it. Those That's are the, it. no, I'm in the middle of those. Uh, indifferent it, indifferent to it didn't care I thought it was a, a style that he chose and made work for him really really well um did wasn't ins- excited by it but definitely had no problem with it at all it was a style that he adapted that uh he was not the one who was stalling action he was he was every time he went to his butt it was for a reason he was trying to engage and get into a submission it was not a situation where he was using it to to stay away from fighting so by no means that i have any problem with his style um it's not the most exciting style i'm not about to say that he it was a great performance that um i'll be watching again uh but he he found a style that works for him and he did very well with it uh it was very effective and i have no problem with it jake ellenberger losing because his foot his toe i should say yeah that's a tough one yeah because what do you think I feel like a lot of people are blaming Herb Dean in this case or saying, you know, but it's very, uh, I say that's almost one where you just have to run it back and, and try to rebook that. It should that. be a no contest, right? I think it has to be, but. Well, why not just let the fight go? Like get well, his foot out of the, th- the, the n- is it because he called the timeout? It's yeah, it's because of the stoppage, but. That's stupid. There were people who were saying, well, Jake was trying to get his foot out. He was he that was the best defense he could have. That's silliness. He was unprotected at that time. Yeah. He was worried about his foot. He was going to get clobbered. Um and he wasn't let's be frank, he wasn't doing that well in the fight uh before that. Masvidal was busting him up pretty well. Oh, bad. looked fantastic. Um so I think that it it was just a very tough spot. Herb Dean made a, a judgment call and I think ultimately um 
a no contest is probably the fair result and just try and rebook that. But if you're Masvidal, you have to feel like I was winning that fight. Yeah. Um, I should be moving, ahead, moving on. I, uh, right now he's standing with a win. Um, so it'd be hard. It'd be hard if you're if you're convincing Masvidal to justify a rematch. But I think that the fairest thing to do would probably be to run it back. Who won, Henry Cejudo or Joseph Benavidez? I had it a draw. Oh, like me? Yeah, I had it a draw. Um, I think. Uh, do you agree with the point being taken away? Yes, I do. Very, okay. very uh, vehemently. We. How many times do we complain about yeah. the points not being taken away? And yeah. uh, the 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 message to. Uh, Suhudo was if this happens again I'm taking a point away guess what it happened again and he took a point away I have no problem with that whatsoever thought it was a draw thought the 30-26 card for Benavides was absolutely ridiculous now I don't think it's ridiculous to say that he won that fight 29-27 that's a very reasonable scorecard because those last two rounds were uh, up in the air I thought that the first round was 10-9 Suhudo um, with a minus a point so 9-9 leaving those two rounds uh, f- for uh, debate and I thought that you could reasonably make a case that uh, that uh, Joey uh, Benavidez won-, won those two so they were very close Joey I like Joey yeah Joey? Joey B. Um, okay, so he wins. Do you want to see him against Demetrius for a third time? I do, because oh. I don't think that there's another competitor I'd rather see. He's the, he's the next fight you'd book? Sure. More so than a new guy like a Wilson Hayes who had the title yeah, I have shot. no interest in that. You, the, the idea of, and, and this is, I went back and forth with a few people on Twitter with this. The idea that we should be throwing in new people just because they're new is silly. Well, how many times are you going to have to fight the same guys over and over again? Until the division gets stronger? infinite Jesus. times i think they should fight forever no no i did i disagree he's done it twice he knocked him out the last time look if you can convince mighty mouse to take it now if i'm mighty mouse i would have an argument against probably fighting the guy four or five times yeah but that's that's the problem with this division it's just not strong enough to to sustain uh com- contenders and and to be fair to to benavides he's the one knocking them off so if uh, if that continues to be the case, I think he should continue to be the number one contender and should fight for the title. It's a tough spot. You cannot you cannot tell me that the reason to put Wilson Hayes in a title fight, who he just lost what two fights ago, same for uh, Formiga, just lost two fights ago. You cannot tell me that the reason to put them into a title shot is because uh, they're brand new opponents. You can't you can't convince me of that. That's what I would tell you. It's a poor argument. <laughs> Joseph Benavides has won six in a row. Yeah, but they gave him the title shot. And then and give DJ, him another one. No, but no, no, no. Hayes. And then DJ got injured. Oh, well, yeah. He lost, He let that window closed. He lost that opportunity. Why? Because he wasn't injured and chose to fight and yeah. make a paycheck? Look, he only got that because of timing. Let's be Let's be real. Oh, like, stop he it. got it because of timing. Now he's lost it because of timing. There, There's no reason for them to be getting title shots. Shout out to Sarah McMahon. That was a fantastic win. Oh, yeah. Submitting Alexis Davis uh, mom versus mom fight. They should have branded it as such. But to submit Alexis Davis, uh, such power. First time in Alexis Davis's career that she is submitted in a fight. Buying or selling TKZ, the Korean zombie versus Dennis Bermudez as a main event. Buy, buy, buy. You love it. I would buy uh, Korean zombie. And to be frank, Dennis Dennis, uh, Bermudez... um, Versus anybody. Those are two really, really exciting fighters. I love that. I love that fight. Uh, what do you think of the Roy Nelson apology? Yeah. It was silly. What yeah, is this? The what whole, are we doing? Well, they put him in this circumstance. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing was silly. Yeah. It was silly to begin with. Any interest in John Jones versus Dan Henderson grappling match uh, on Sunday? You're damn right. You're seeing John Jones compete? Yeah. And Mighty Mouse just competed on Saturday? 
Yes. John Jones is still the number one pound for pound fighter. I don't want to hear anybody. If you if you have a problem with that, come at me on Twitter. I mean, John Jones is still number one. Is John Jones in the rankings, or can you not rank him right now? Don't know, but he's still the number the, the one. The only reason I ask, let me just go to the light heavyweight very quickly here. No, he's not there. Okay, because they took Connor away from the featherweight, which seems like a very, I don't know, harsh move. Gonna take away his belt and his spot. Well, the prestigious <laughs> UFC rankings. I mean, who knows if he'll ever fight there again? But if he does, it looks kind of silly. Do you if agree with me after what I said last week, which all the like the clickbait websites just loved? Ariel Hawani blessed the UFC. Ooh, it was such a blast. It wasn't a blast. I said that I agreed with the move of taking away the belt. Yeah. Just not how not they that, did it yeah. and why they did it. Well, anyway, I think it's come to light that the, the promotions that they've done since. Um, well, I mean, do you see this? Like what they did with the countdown show? And not only that, like Connor's walking around with the belts. Like, could they not have predicted this was going to happen? Yeah. Con- and, and only empowers them. And now if you'll remember, I said this when we talked about it at the time. Maybe this was intended. Maybe this kind of, you know, storyline, this conflict is... Stone Cold versus Vinnie Mac? Is supposed to be happening. Maybe all the billionaire stuff stuff will leave, uh, lead to uh, Vinnie Mac cornering Connor. <laughs> oh, my God. Mark Gasol can corner. Uh, they're going to try to get him on WrestleMania. That's my prediction. That's a total guess. Not educated, but I mean, I feel like they're going to do a skit where Connor is like in the back and then Vinny, you know, it just feels like. Just walking by with the right? strut. No, that's cool. Uh, Tanya Evinger getting her belt back. Yeah. Like it? Hate it? Love it? Don't don't like or hate. Just it, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. You can't lose the belt on a no contest. It's just, it's just you know, it, it's not reasonable. Uh, if Tanya didn't lose, she can't lose her belt. Um, it's unfortunate for uh, Yana because she had a great performance, but the athletic commission determined that uh, that the referee acted in in a way that affected the fight. So you have to you have to reverse that. Can't can't buying or selling uh, Connor getting a boxing license. Oh my god! What do you care? I is no, it just no a, interest at all? So do you think it ever happens, or is this just part of the game? I think it's a thing to Don't keep, be a hipster. To keep right. option. That, uh, that's the hipster take? The someone hipster yesterday, take is not to care about this stupid Someone yesterday license? said to me, because uh, I was talking about Ryan Hall, Ariel is such a hipster. He doesn't really like this, but he's you know pretending like he likes it. And I was like, this is such a weird hipster. I mean, you've done such a 360 on this boxing thing. No, no, like, no. I've done no 360. You're calling me a hipster. Everyone's Everyone's forgetting what I said or didn't understand what I said. I said, don't talk about it 24 hours later. Give it some time. You can talk about it on a dead week. And I'm not saying this is the dead week. Yeah, but is this I, a dead week? Are but we... I, I, do, I do feel like him getting the license from a very well-respected commission, maybe the most right now, is notable. Notable, California, sure. No, notable, sure. And now we move on. Until right. he has a boxing match the question, scheduled. No, the question I asked was, do you think he's actually going to Ever. use this license or is it all just, you know... A negotiation ploy. Yeah, it's just to leave options open. Will he use it? Maybe, but there's no reason for him to use it now. Okay, okay. A few other things. Congress looking at uh, MMA for the first time seriously this Thursday, so we will see what comes of that. UFC 208 was canceled, the January 21st Mm. show. Uh, That's a big victory for Bellator, right? Yep. I mean, it's kind of interesting because they (sighs) have the show. Why? I don't know if it's a big victory Huge for Bellator. Huge victory. Not having to go up with the UFC in the same vicinity, Inglewood. I, I almost think they kind of wanted to go up against them, though. Eh, maybe. But having the night to yourself is better. Um, next weekend's, like the following weekend's, January 28th, Fox show in Denver, tickets on sale, still no main event. Yeah. Fascinating. That's that's a rare one. 
Um, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be a great card. I mean, actually, that why why would I have even said that? I'm sure it'll be a great card. Yeah. I don't know if it'll yeah, be a great what, card. What, what, what am what I you? talking about? Are you um, the PR guy? Yeah. Are you the na- new Dave Schaller? I uh, I think it will be a good card. Otherwise, they probably you know wouldn't have done that. But maybe it's just a market where they feel they can go into and and sell well, regardless. Anything from the two Bellator events this weekend that really stood out to you? Nope. <laughs> I thought it was silly to do the Caldwell rematch over again. Uh, people in Bellator did not like that I tweeted that. Um, you totally negated the loss, and uh, now you're just kind of telling us, oh, we just wanted to write this wrong, and we're going to go back to uh, our plans, which was Dantas versus Caldwell. There is a Bellator event this weekend, by the way, in Florence, Italy. Alessio Sakara versus Joey Beltran. And, yeah, they uh, lost that main event. Yes, and there's two UFC events this weekend. There's the card headlined by Derek Lewis, and pronounce his name. Go ahead, do it. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to pronounce it like Derek Lewis in that video he made. Shamil Abdurakhimov. Uh, okay, between this card, which also has Hamilton and Ganu, Anderson O'Connell, which I like, uh, Volante's on the card. Uh, there's a couple other interesting fights. They're, they're the best, you know, the, maybe the most interesting one is uh, Mark Casey versus the returning Frankie Perez. Um, and then UFC 206, which we've gone... You know, UFC 206, if you actually look at UFC 206, the main card is really good. It, it doesn't matter what they did with this. I know. When you promise, or not promise, when you when you make it seem like it's going to be GSP and it's not GSP, and then you lose Cormier Johnson, it's... You- but like Holloway Pettis, Brown Cerrone... Uh, Superboy, Swanson, Gaslam Kennedy, and Emil Mech making his debut yeah, against Jordan Meehan. card. That, that's like an amazing card, missing like a title fight pay-per-view headliner, right? Yep, it's a good card. Okay, so all those fights, Saturday, Sunday. Also, Misha Serkinov versus Nikita Krylov is a great fight. Which fight are you most looking forward to this weekend? I mean, the main event. It's, Which it's, one? Uh, the uh, well, Derek actually, Lewis one? You know, Badr versus Rico Verhoeven oh. on Saturday. But, but. Derek Lewis? No, no, uh, Max Holloway and, and Anthony Pettis. That's the one. In MMA, for sure. You won't be watching. You'll be in Germany. No, I'm going to be watching. It's after. So Yeah, but you're not going to stay up. But what do you mean? Glory Collision happens first, then yeah. UFC. Oh, I'm going to stay up. You crazy? Right. Okay. Uh, shout out to Gerald Harris for his amazing slam. Wow. He is back, right? I mean, the story, the whole story with that fight where the guy missed weight by, what, 50 pounds? 50 pounds. Uh, much respect, Carlos Sparza selling her... Motorcycle, that turned into a big thing. Uh, Vanderlei Silva is injured, so the Crow Cop fight isn't happening. Crow Cop using the term, uh, don't be scared, homie. One of the big surprises of the year. Um, Daniel Cormier had successful surgery on his groin, hoping to be back in around four months. Um, hey, I want to give a shout out to Robert Whitaker, who we didn't really talk about last week, and some people were mad at me, and, and, and rightfully so. We should have given him his due. Great win. Uh, still not sure what Derek Brunson was doing, but... Robert Whitaker is a force to be reckoned with and he has come a long way and I want to give him a shout out. That's fair. And also much respect to Cole Miller for that Sherdog interview he did with uh, Dave Mandel. Did you see that interview? I did. And then I saw him um, on Twitter, one of the first to respond about the... uh, Yes. The double M triple A. How about that? It's a fascinating time. Yeah. What a fascinating time it is in this sport. It's never dull and uh, who knows what's going to happen in the next seven days when we come back. Anything else you want to say before we... Say goodbye for the week. We played basketball last week and uh, New York Rick blocked some guy and he kept going. <laughs> he kept I got doing that. It, it was amazing. Bit. It was uh, it was maybe the most emotion that I've ever seen out of New York Rick in my life. I can I can get feisty on in the his court. face. He made fun of the uh, the pom pom hair. He hmm. I don't know what led to that, but it was something else. 
you, you don't go at me on the court. That's, no. that's how it goes. Clearly. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. What do I have to say? Um, that's about it. I mean, we covered it all. So what I mean, what, what what more do we need to do? We've done nine guests. We've said it all. You now, <laughs> you know, we could answer some questions from fans every once in a while, but yes, I'd love to. But they're going to kick me out. Listen, let it be known. I'm happy to stay here for another hour, answer all your questions. It's the, it's, 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 it's the dictators in the back who are kicking me out. I, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. I've got some water. I've got some snacks. I'm good to go. I'm being forced out. Oh, the UFC announced a new CFO today, Andrew Schleimer. He replaces the departing Nikisa uh, B. Darian, who I've actually played basketball with on the Toronto Raptors what? practice court. Yes. Uh, actually a very talented fellow. He's going to work for Frank and Lorenzo Fertitta, very close to Lorenzo Fertitta. Now they've got a, uh, a new CFO. So that's interesting for those who are interested in the business side of things. Um, but yeah, a great, a great show, a who's who. And I thought everyone brought it from the beginning to end. That's so it. kudos to all of you. Thank you, New York Rick. Safe travels to uh, Germany. What, what part of Germany are we going to? Oberhausen. So do we fly straight? Dusseldorf. And then what? Then to Oberhausen. I think it's close enough that I can... Uh, oh, you're driving. Catch a ride, yeah. No, no, oh. no I'm not. Uh, I'm definitely not driving. Other side no, no, of the no. road, i Is I've it a connecting done. flight or is it a no, direct no. flight? No, then... no, direct to Dusseldorf and then Oberhausen uh, wow. by land. Wow. And when are you going? I'm leaving tomorrow night. This might be the first time that we both go on trips um, this upcoming weekend no. and you're going to the bigger fight oh, in its respective well, sport, right? Sure. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, th- I mean... This is this is the this one. This is the fight. Yeah, this is the fight. I still think it's it's BS that it's not a five round fight. Didn't want you know. Yeah. They they didn't agree to five rounds. They want three rounds. Give I, me look, five rounds. It's a heavyweight fight. Yeah. I, I, that's I'm true. not sure it's going to go more than three anyway. All right. Uh, what time's the main event around? The main the main event is the, so the pay per view card is 4 p.m. here in the states. Eastern. Eastern. Okay. So right before look you're you're watching that and then you're hopping right into uh UFC 206. Oh wait 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 a second. Tweet now from our good friend Jorge Masvidal. What do you say? <laughs> no need to run anything back. The fence saved him <laughs> from an even worse beating. I've moved on to the side dish now rice ceroni. <laughs> I mean, I that's had a, a feeling one. that that's how he'd feel. For sure. And and look, you can't it's hard to it's hard to argue with that, right? He looked damn good. Um, and it oh, he's like listening it w- to you. The game bread fighter is listening to you. He's heard what you have to say, and he's not happy. Yeah, it, lo- it looked like it was going that way. So it's it's hard to if you're if you're Jorge, it's it's hard to argue against that. For I sure. agree. You can't you can't mentally go back and do the whole thing. Maybe at some point you you, you cross paths, but if it happened early and it wasn't it wasn't shaking out that way, if you're if you're Masvidal, you, you can't want to give that another shot. Rice Cerrone is a good one. I've never yeah, heard that of is that. good. Yeah, well done. Good for him. Thank you for watching, Jorge. <laughs> All right. Uh, as New York Rick gets put in his place, what a fantastic way to end the show. Beautiful stuff from Gamebred. All right, you can hit my music. Uh, a fun show once again. Like I said, an all-star cast, a who's who, if you will, in the world of mixed martial arts. We talked to them all. We said it all. We did it all on today's episode of the MMA Hour. And uh, I want to thank all of you for tuning in, for giving us some time here on this Monday afternoon or any other day this week if you're catching this late if you're on the plane maybe heading to toronto to the t dot this is the first time that i cover a non-montreal canadian mma event i think since ufc 174 in vancouver first time i'm back in toronto since 165 john jones versus alexander gustafson the greatest ufc fight of all time in my opinion so i'm looking forward to going back to god's country looking forward to being back there with my beloved fellow canadians maybe i'll 
catch the Raptors and the Timberwolves on Thursday. Shout out to the New York Knicks, 11 and 9. Killing it at the Mecca. All right. Thank you very much to Demetrius Johnson. Good luck to uh, him with his uh, knee issue. And hopefully we can get an update on that. Congratulations, of course, on the big win Saturday. And much respect to Tim Elliott for uh, his performance as well. Thank you very much to Dominic Cruz. Good luck to him on December 30th. Thank you very much to Bjorn Rebney. Good luck to not only him, but the rest of the team that are trying to launch this Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. Thank you very much to Dylan Dennis. Enjoyed our chat very much and best of luck to him as well. Thank you very much to Alistair Overeem. Check him out on pay-per-view this Saturday calling the action. Thank you very much to Ryan Hall. Congrats. Good luck to Dan Henderson. Thank you very much to Henry Cejudo and thank you very much to TJ Dillashaw. Good luck on December 30th. Back next week, same time and place. Until I say peace, somebody else.